Hey, Hans is dying. No, he's not. But I want you to sign up for patreon.com slash so I can pay him each month to do this program with me so he can live a bit more comfortably. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. And with me today is Hans, who is wearing a Blood Diner shirt. We're celebrating horror. Hello. Uh, but we are watching Carl Reiner's Space Jam today. A classic hit of the 1990s. This was your selection. Is that... Did he direct that, really? I... Uh, wow. I, who's to say? I wouldn't be surprised. That's why I'm wondering. Who's to... He's directing that's, that's the new one. That's a question I've never... never... He's dead, isn't he? <laughs> no, he's not dead. He's alive. What do you mean? Carl Reiner's been, alive. Hasn't he been obese for like 50 years? How has he lasted so long? Is eating you're, you're thinking of Rob baby? Reiner. And oh, Rob, right. Rob Reiner's yeah, unfortunately I, alive. Also, okay. How has he made it? Well, he's, uh, he's, he's 70 <laughs> and he's got the right connections. And, uh, you know, he's got that all in the family money to keep him going. Right, yeah, it's like that. Uh, the governor from Jersey, what's his name? The the one that Chris has Christie. a fat pussy. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the one with the fat vagina. Yeah, that survived COVID, and then we're supposed to be scared of it after he survived it. Right. Now today yeah. we are talking about uh, the original Exorcist film, William Friedkin's 1973 classic. Somewhere between science. And superstition. There is another world. The world of darkness. Nobody expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! One hope, the only hope, the exorcist. And uh, we were just talking about how you did not go with the typical stairs shot or the exorcist shot from the outside. You went with, what's his name, Lee J. Cobb, staring at, yeah. was it Damien Karras' body? Yep. After he jumped out, after his uh, very short transformation, yes, I yeah. ended up watching the. I ended up watching the. What is it? The, the version you've never cut, seen. No, hold on. A second. This is not a director's cut. This is mislabeled as a director's right. cut all the time. Now, technically, if you all right, it, it, it's kind of disingenuous. He did make the cuts voluntarily, not at his own uh, volition. He he did that to appease. His once enemy, now friend, the author of the book, William Peter Blatty, um, who wanted certain elements of the film reinstated 
to heighten the supernatural aspects of it because if you do watch that 1973 version I, I think it's I think there's an opportunity for the interpretation that many have had over the years that I did not understand because I up until maybe about last year I had only seen the 2000 re-release the version you've never seen before and that makes it crystal clear that it's entirely supernatural in the right. 1973 original version there is an interpretation you can come away with that this is entirely the perception of Damien Karras, in my opinion, anyway. That, 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 that's how I understood a lot of that. Because he is, he, he is the central character of the film. I don't think it's really Reagan, even though you're introduced right. to... I think you see Reagan, out of the two of them, you see Reagan first. You're first introduced to yeah. Father, Father um, Marin when he's in Iraq and he comes face-to-face with the statue. What did you think of that as an opening, by the way? Uh, it reminded me of Uncut Gems. Uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, by the way, this movie is forever ruined by the scary movie too. Oh, that James intro Woods. With James Woods. I can't. I can't not see James Woods in that role. So when uh, when the priest came through the door the first time, the first thing that popped in my head was that scene of James Woods just being like, "Oh, fuck this," and walking away. Uh, and that very short joke that they do, and I think it's a scary movie too. You, at the you uh, might be the only person to find scary movie two more enduring <laughs> than the original Exorcist. Yeah, I think it's it's probably because uh, I, I had only seen it maybe once or twice when I was very young, so it's not it's not one that I uh, I don't know. I, I know that it's a classic and everything, and I know that. It's influenced a lot of movies, but it's another one of those that I, I guess I just didn't see when I was old enough, so I didn't understand the uh, how, how iconic it is. Because when I was exposed to it, uh, I had already been exposed to movies that were inspired by it, so it's never been that you know, um, it, it's never meant that much to me. I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. Sure. Sure, which yeah. is I think understandable because I think if it, if it hits you at the at a certain point in time, then uh, it can be the defining horror film. But if you wait too long and then you watch it, a lot of people come away with the interpretation that it's a silly film, that it's uh, yeah. not scary at all. Uh, it, it, it seems to be polar opposite takes of this movie. Um, so you started with the 1973 version, the original theatrical cut. And then you watched the 2000 remastered uh, scenes were implemented and also just little photos overlaid into shots. Uh, Very See, this this is a problem with directors when they have the, the chance to go back to their earlier works and they're like, hmm, this is, I mean, this is what I probably would have done at age 25 when I directed this. The whole Wong Kar Wai thing where he's getting his movies re-released by Criterion in uh, a new remastered print. And he goes, wait a minute, hold on. I can I can touch up these files here. Uh, I can I can play with the colors a little bit. Okay, well these are I mean, this is all natural green, but what if it was red? What if I turned it blue? What if I made this whole movie uh, purple? What if I do that? <laughs> Friedkin loves to do that. William Friedkin, when they re-released the French Connection, that was originally uh one color tone. When the Blu-ray comes out, he has his little editor, he's like, here. 
do this. I want it to look like a 1950s romance film or whatever he had in his mind. And all of a sudden, it's you know highly saturated. It's more colorful or it's more washed out. It, it, it's a total mess. They should not be... Well, look, I mean, who am I to say who can do what with their own creative works? But, uh, you know, this is not something that should be enabled or uh, celebrated. Unless it was taken away from you and turned into something that's completely different than what your vision was, I don't think it's justified for them to just go back and change things now that they have a different vision of it or, you know, a different idea or different technology even. Like, um, what's his name did with Star Wars? Uh, Lucas. Yeah, or... Or the E.T. walkie-talkie thing, uh, where it's like, well, we do have the technology now, so let's just, let's change it uh, and uh, change some of the purpose of whatever the thing is that we're changing or the meaning of it by just making this change that has no no merit or no reason to to exist, really, other than just them messing with it. Right. I, I think I said this maybe on AI, where I was talking about how I had watched THX for the first time. And I was like, wait a minute, that that doesn't look like early 1970. That looks like yeah. 2003 or something. And it turned out that George Lucas, of course, had tampered with it. So that that's an issue. That's the biggest issue, I think, with the version you've never seen before. Otherwise, the scenes that are implemented, I think, enhance the movie. The spider walk sequence has become something that is iconic. They released like an action figure of that. It's one of the more memorable yeah. things to come out of that film, one of the more memorable pieces of iconography. And um, I think there might be some scenes with Marin that are put back into the there's movie. A, there's a scene where, which I, I think is the only one that actually worked for me. Uh, I think the spider one, it, it's, it's iconic and everything, but uh, it kind of failed out of place where they put it. Uh, it kind of felt like uh, a shock that obviously you're not expecting, but then... Uh, is the first time that she's ever out of the room and that's never mentioned again and it's just a thing that happens so it feels really out of place with everything else that happens inside of that room uh but i think that the one thing that works for me is when um when they're both exhausted outside of the room and they have like a little bit of dialogue there as to like they don't know what to do or how to uh fight uh the the what is it pazuzu no no we don't call he's the devil (laughs) in this one he's the devil True. Next week right. when we're talking about it, then we're talking about right. Pazuzu. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently on the original one, they just looked at each other and then that's it. There's no dialogue there. There's nothing that happens. Now that and also at the end in the scene where the devil gets inside of uh, Father Karras, uh, his face changes a little bit, like becomes a little demonic, like Regan for a couple of seconds. And that was well done. Uh, was that not in the original it, it, I could have. I mean, maybe no. it was just the contact lenses that were in the '73 cut, but I, 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 I feel like, I think they added, they added like a little bit of more, more than just the eyes, though. Like his face changes a little bit, and they tried doing that earlier with Reagan, and it doesn't work. Like it, I think they tried to do an overlay with the. Uh, that spooky face that shows in the dark with the goofy That's That's teeth. terrible. That's so uh, bad. I mean, look, yeah, I, I yeah. like I like the subliminal cuts to that white face of the demon. I think that looks very good. It's very effective when it's two or three frames. When you just have it like on the kitchen counter pop up, just fade in, and it stays there, and it's just hanging out there. <laughs> that's terrible. That's so bad. But um, again, you know, that's just old man very, syndrome. It, 
you know. He's... He feels very mighty boosh, you know, very much like a bit from from a show like that, a very random humor type of thing. Right. I mean, he's. I think Friedkin was probably in his fifties at this point. Um, you know, he's a man of about eighty years old nowadays. So yeah, yeah, it it sounds about right. I don't think there's ever been. Actually, no, that's not true. There, there's one instance that comes to mind where a re-edit has improved the movie. We might be talking about this in the not-so-distant future. Uh, the Killing of a Chinese Bookie. The re-edit of that movie, the 1978 re-edit of that movie, is far superior, in my opinion, to the original 1976 version, which I think is about 40 minutes longer and is mostly just like uh, uh, cabaret club scenes that, that were included. Uh, that wind up getting axed, and it just makes it a more concise film. It's a much better film. Otherwise, you know, if they there's a 30 year gap in the edit, you're you're screwing yourself. You're going to kill whatever you're you know hoping to to accomplish with this remaster. Um, so something something positive to say about the 1970 uh, three cut is I have a thing. Go ahead. The body horror. The no, I'm I'm not talking about what most people know about, which is the whenever she becomes the the demon uh, and all that gross uh, pea soup thing. I'm talking about the hospital scenes. That shit was horrifying to me. Every every little test and everything they did, the the little needle thing with the yeah with the little blood that was just shooting out of her neck. All of that was so well done, and it showed how terrifying. Uh, medicine was in the 70s where everything yeah, yeah. there's just gigantic loud machines next to her face to get like the x-rays of her brain or whatever that was uh and it just looks like a traumatic experience it looks more scary than what happens later in the movie or at least i guess i've been i've been uh in the hospital before where you, you go into like a machine that you don't know what it's going to do so that's way scarier than you know a demon because I'm not someone that believes in that type of shit. So for me, those moments of her being a little girl in, in the middle of all of that was much scarier than what happened later. I completely agree with you. That was very unnerving for me. When I watched this movie at age nine um, and my horror movie experience was like Freddy Krueger and not even early Freddy Krueger, but like Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare with Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr, goofy, funny right. Freddy. And right. then like I... Yeah, or Chucky. Yes, yeah. I was big into the slasher films. Uh, so, I, you know, they're all kind of goofy after a certain point. It's really only the first movie or, or two where they're actually trying to be scary. Uh, right. I, I get into The Exorcist at age nine, and those hospital sequences were, were really, ooh, that was a tough watch as a, as a young lad. And, uh, you know, I was terrified by everything else, of course. This is a, for a long time, I consider this a, definitely the scariest movie. Uh, that I had watched, but the hospital sequences especially are extremely effective. Uh, it, the old technology just, of it, you know. It feels very real. It feels very, this is normal. This is just a camera that's here. This is actually happening. Uh, the way that everything is shot and the way that everything looks is just very realistic and, and unnerving, uh, especially because you know that non, like nothing is going to resolve whatever her issue is here. So everything that they're doing is just, you know, pointless at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think the, uh, there's a similar effect with like the mental ward sequences, which I, I feel accurately portrays what, uh, you know, psych, psych, psychia, uh, psych, 
psychiatric wards were in the 1970s which is mm, a bunch of mom. old mentally ill <laughs> wandering uh wandering around some facility with maybe one or two nurses and they'll come up to you and you know all those people got dumped out into the streets in the 1980s yeah. with reagan so um yeah creepy stuff you know that's explored more in exorcist 3 which maybe we'll talk about that maybe we won't we'll we'll see how we're feeling after these these next uh couple of episodes but uh yeah there's there's a lot of I, I think the strength of this movie is that it is so grounded in reality with all the external elements and it doesn't consider itself a horror film. Right. Right. And uh, <clears throat> I, I, because I, I know that freaking is not very religious. So. Oh, he is now. Uh, he is now. Is Did he... you see The Devil and Father of Morth? No. Don't no. see it. Don't see it. Uh, it, okay. he just, he, it's his most recently directed film. I think it came out in 2017 or 2018. It's a documentary about him watching a re, a real possession and he a- alters the voice and adds sound effects. And it's, it's, it's really, again, it's more of his old man brain acting up, but now he's even older. Okay. So it doesn't, it's not good. Don't check it out. Okay, because uh, the, the movie feels like it's shot by someone that's just trying to show you what what's happening as realistic as possible. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's someone that actually believes in the thing because it doesn't glorify the priests. It doesn't glorify any aspect that that comes with the good side. You know, it's 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 very much like a matter of fact. Like this is happening, and and the way that he shoots it. Uh, uh, something that I noticed was that uh, when uh, when he's cutting in dialogue or when he's cutting in the action, he never goes back. Or I don't know if he did. I when I noticed it, I, I I started paying attention to it and I didn't know if he did before. But uh, he when he cuts, uh, he never cuts back to the same frame. He he always goes back to something different. So that makes everything a little bit more intense uh, because uh, it, it, there's a lot of movement with the camera and a lot of. Uh, um, just the, the intensity that it gives you, uh, not having just static shots that go back and forth, uh, so that you don't really focus on the dialogue. You focus more on what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I, feel, I, think... I, I feel like if it if if it was more of a believer, uh, he would have at least tried to glorify the good side a little bit more than than what he ends up doing in this. I completely agree. I think this is what Darren Aronofsky has been trying to capture with his recent career with Mother, with Noah, of I'm not religious. I don't believe in anything in this text that I'm going to be adapting, but uh, I'm going to offer my spin of it because maybe that'll be interesting. And instead, it just comes across as like the amazing atheist directed Mother. You know, it's awful. Hey, hey guys, how do you feel about bionicle but in noah <laughs> you're the little, the little rock robots mm. <laughs> robots the little monsters that just made a rock yeah yeah what, so, uh, that's another one that started very promising and then what happened you know what happened is he decided really, to adapt noah's arc as darren aronofsky he made a big mistake <laughs> Um, yeah, no, at this time, Friedkin was not religious. I, I think he was like a non-practicing Jew and, uh, William Peter Blatty was obviously Catholic and had attempt. I, I mean, I think he, I, he was going to make a stab at becoming a priest earlier in his youth and ultimately decided not to. And, um, you know, they, that was, I think one of the main 
issues with, um, you know, Blatty's interpretation of Friedkin's film. You know, it was the kind of like the Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick thing where it's like, well, you removed X, Y, and Z supernatural elements. You changed the whole meaning of what this could be. Although I think that even in the 73 one, I don't lend that to the, the uh, idea that it's all in Father Karras's head. I think you can see it that way. You cannot see it with the 2000 version. But I think it's plain as day, like an actual exorcism and demonic possession that's occurring in the movie. I don't think they ever at, at any point try and deter you from that idea or that notion. What do you think about that theory that it's all supposed to be like sex abuse or sexual abuse or something? The that Rob Ager theory? Which is, yeah. that's everything. That's everything he has ever theorized about a film that's like mystical at all. Is It all comes back to sex <laughs> abuse. I actually think, I actually do think there's something probably to that. Um, but less so here, more so in The Shining. In The Shining original screenplay, I've been told okay. reports of um, the abuse that Jack Torrance dished out to Danny was not from the book where he breaks his arm when he's drunk but rather there's some implication of sex abuse. And uh, the things like the, the Playgirl magazine that he's reading in the lobby of The Overlook are intentional uh, to Stanley Kubrick and not just like Jack fucking around showing up to the set with a Playgirl magazine for kicks one day. Right, you know? right, um, right. Yeah. I think that's probably more so the case with that film, less so the case with this one, but I, it, I it's a valid, it's a valid take. It lines it's, up. I think it... it... It would make sense if the movie was maybe 20 minutes shorter. If the ending, let's say that you're short 20 minutes from that, because if it was really rooted on that idea, that that's the reason why this is all happening. Or I don't know if the, the theory is that, you know, this is the reason why this is happening is because of what happened to the girl. But uh, there's not much of an interaction between Reagan and anyone else but the priests for what feels like, what, 40 minutes uh, the end of the movie, uh, from the moment when uh, Karis meets her or goes to meet her, that uh, ha they have like that little uh, interaction with the fake um, holy water. Uh, to the end, um, there's not much of a mention of anyone else other than you know the mom that's you know sucking what is it dicks or sucking cocks in hell and yeah and uh, everything else is related to Karis and the other priests so. If well, that was hold, hold on. true, then I... that's not entirely correct because we have Burt Dennings, the director of the film that the mother is working on, who goes upstairs to spend time with Reagan and then winds up killed. Uh, he winds up uh, with his head oh, twisted around, having fallen out the window. So that you could easily make that tie that there's something going on with the director or what have you. But uh, even still, you know, things are acting up beforehand. She's away from the dad. Yeah. You know, there's a... I think I think you could draw a through line of things that would line up with that theory for the film. But again, there's too much of it in place that is irrelevant to... Uh, that would that would be rendered irrelevant if that was the correct uh, view of the film. Well, they, they keep all of that vague, right? So that we don't really know exactly when she gets possessed. Or when it all started, it's just one day she starts cursing, and well, no, no, uh, she doesn't no, want her. Not not exactly. It's after she goes to the attic, 
and uh, plays with the Ouija board and starts talking about Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy is not somebody who exists prior to um, a lot of that happening, I believe. Or or he's like an imaginary friend or something that eventually winds up personifying in this demon that inhabits her body. Because to me, it feels like from the beginning, the demon was targeting Father Car- Is it Karis or Callus? It's Karis. Right no, yeah. you're confusing uh, other last names. I, w- I wouldn't know. Who. I, just, I just know he's Greek, so I, I, you know, I know those, those names are goofy sometimes. Uh, but what was I saying? Fuck, I lost my train of thought about him. Something some being... about a molestation. Oh, right, right, right. He, uh, no, <laughs> he, uh, I, I, it feels like he's being targeted by these demons from the beginning because uh, everything that has to do with his mom and everything that he brings up trying to get to him, um, it it feels like it was more of a of an attack on him. And also, yes. I guess that's why it feels like it's his movie. Uh, he's our main character that right. we follow with his mom. So that that that, that <clears throat> that's one thing that I was a little bit iffy about that. You know, it's it, it it feels like it's too much of by chance that she got this one demon and you know everything worked out so that the father carrots who was who the demon was targeting from the beginning is the one that ends up there. You know, right? So that that, that, that I think renders the Reagan was touched and she's acting out. Yeah due to mental illness, due to borderline personality disorder, or whatever it might be, uh, not a valid theory with The Exorcist. I think it comes down to you either you can either take it at face value that it is a story about demonic possession, and I think that is correct, or you can do the, this is all Damien Karras's in his head. This is all in his head. This is a mentally ill girl. He's filling in the gaps every time he's off screen and not with her. Um, and this is just what he learns. This is his take based off of what he's hearing from the mother, what he's hearing from the Catholic Church, and everybody who has sent him to go perform this exorcism. But the problem with that is we're introduced to Marin first and foremost during his trip to Iraq. And he meets the, he comes face to face with the statue of Pazuzu. And if you remove that element, I think you can you can put it more in the Karis spin, that it's all Karis's. Uh, perspective of things but without that and without the the elements of a greater evil and some kind of old battle that's been taking place and this is just the next round of it then it, it's a demonic possession right and at the time wh- why do you think this is the one that hit like it did because there's a lot of possession movies that were coming out at that time or I don't know if a lot, but I know that there's a couple that came out before this one. So this is not the first Possession movie that came out. Do you think it's more because of the graphic nature of it that has more of an impactful? Uh, I think I, uh, it definitely plays a part. It, it's one of the earliest films to have this level of what I'll call gore, even though it's not really gore. It's not traditional gore like what you or I or probably what's in Blood Diner, you know, uh, would, would think of when that word is used. But things like the hospital scenes you had mentioned weren't really in films during that time. And, uh, you know, having a small child 
shout vulgarities and her face be a mess and talking right. about sexual things and the masturbation with the cross. Uh, in the 1970s, when America was still a religious country, that's, that's, I mean, that's huge. Like in New York and LA, they're probably thinking this is an interesting piece of art. You go to Colorado, you go to Minnesota, they're thinking we're going to go to hell if we watch this movie. And that's like a legitimate thing. So it's understandable. Colorado, why. really? Sure. Yeah. Colorado. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look, I mean, now they're legalizing weed and whatnot. Very, yeah. I thought that was a very progressive state, isn't it? It wasn't always. Okay. It wasn't always. Okay. Know. Things change. Okay. Um, but, but just to that point, it's a shocking film for a number of different reasons. So it was kind of, it rattled the culture for the time. And also in addition to that, it's a very bold movie for a company in 1973, that's early seventies for a company like Warner brothers to make and put out there and have like a big budget behind. And, um, you know, the star power of having a list director, William Friedkin, I think the French connection came before this. I could be wrong about that. Um, Seventy-one. I think this was a this was this was a hot commodity, and I think the the novel was a bestseller. So there was a lot of hype around this movie. Originally, it was going to star Stacy Keach as Father Karras, and he was cast. He was yeah. paid for his role. I believe he still gets a a little check in the mail anytime The Exorcist is played on television, but he is uh, he's. He's pushed out of the role because William Friedkin has a, uh, a a trip to New York that's scheduled, and he goes to see a play called The Championship Season, which is Jason Miller's play. Who I mean, he I think he won. What did he win? He won. He won some like very prestigious literary prize for that. Uh, that's escaping my memory at the moment for his play. Tony Award. No, not the no, not the Tony Award. <laughs> Um, it'll come back to me. Oh, Peabody. The, no, I don't think. Uh, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, it, it's it's not really. Uh, it's not really. Not Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason Miller, I believe, is also an actor in his own play. Oh, it actually did win the Tony Award for the best play. So you're technically right. I was thinking the Pulitzer uh-huh. Prize. It won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh-huh. 1973 it wins the 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 tony for for best play the same year that the exorcist comes out big year for jason miller so um friedkin sees him in this play he's he's convinced he has to cast him as father Karras, uh much to the dismay of warner brothers who again has already paid stacy keach stacy keach uh knows the script practically off book at this point and they are ready to get rolling on this movie he is let go and wisely, in my opinion, replaced with yeah. Jason Miller. Yeah, I, I saw that. I uh, also uh, Jack Nicholson was also considered for that role, and uh, I I can't see n- neither of them playing it because they're they're too much of. When when you cast Stacy Keach for a role, you're getting Stacy Keach, so you're you know what you're gonna get from him. You know that character, that voice. Uh, you know uh, that personality that's kind of cocky, kind of a dick without being a dick. I, I I think this character needed someone that was vulnerable looking, someone that could show like a, a little bit more of a troubled uh, character in their face, more than what Nicholson could do because Nich- Nicholson would just look insane. 
so you wouldn't believe that this priest is even suffering any type of conflict internally because of you know it would just look like a like a Jack Torrance, right? So maybe I, I don't have know. You if, if seen, um, have you ever seen um Have you ever seen the King of Marvin Gardens? No. Jack Nicholson and Bruce Stern starring and Ellen Burstyn actually uh, starring that movie. It's a Bob Rafelson film from the BBS era, and Nicholson and Bruce Stern kind of do a swap where Nicholson is like a much more reserved, toned down character, and Bruce Stern is the over the top flamboyant guy. And Nichol, I mean, I think it's one of Jack Nicholson's best performances. But to what you're saying, I don't think he can convey inner turmoil well. He goes right. to a level. So he, you would have this reserved Nicholson, which would be I could I can imagine that movie. I think it's a very different movie and not a good, not as good of a movie. Um, I think it's probably yeah. it pr- probably becomes a a more forgettable commercial Warner Brothers film from the 1970s. Still probably good, but not having the impact that this movie had. I think if you have him in that role, he goes from zero to ten. And that's not that wouldn't really work for the Father Karras character. Same with Stacy Keach. I can't I can't see the the Titus's dad as that, you know. You only you, you only was... know him as Titus's dad? <laughs> That's the first one that popped in my head. And I know that Titus is a fucking cock now, but that show is still... I, I mean, I don't know if he still holds up. But that was my first introduction to Stacey Keach. Uh, Most people and, don't uh, remember that show, Titus. It ran for like <laughs> one season or two seasons on Fox. Three. I have the DVDs. Oh. Um, but <laughs> but I, 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 there's some a movie with Stacey Keach. I can't remember what it's called, but he's like a truck driver. It's like this kind of action-y movie from I think it's either eighties or seventies, and he plays this truck driver, and he has more of a more of a hero uh, role, and it works in that movie. But he, do, I, I don't think he has that, or I guess I've never seen him playing a role where, you know, it's this vulnerable character that is supposed to fight through his inner demons and show it on his face without showing any type of physicality. I guess. Uh, Stacey Keach is scary by just the way he speaks, uh, you know? So I, I, I don't know if that I- interaction between him and, and Reagan, where he's supposed to be terrified, he will be able to convey it properly. Or I can't imagine him doing that. Maybe I just have to go back to his career in the 70s. Maybe he has something there where he's playing something like that. But I mean, it would, it would I, certainly I can... be more believable when he's punching her in the face repeatedly at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just smashing yeah, her head yeah. into the tile. No, uh, actually, Stacey Keach in the 1970s is not Stacey Keach in the 80s or 90s that, or like body bag Stacey Keach. Uh, there's, a, there's actually, there's a technical, you know, there's a, there's a linear sequel to this Exorcist film that is not Exorcist to the Heretic, which we'll be talking about next week, um, called, called, uh, <laughs> yes. I just realized that I've watched almost every Exorcist movie because of this. Have you seen Exorcist 3? And- no, that's the that's I think that's the one that I'm missing because I've seen Dominion, I've seen the be- beginning, I think it's called. Yep. So this is the beginning, the and alternate then cut, two, yeah. and now this one. And my own, I'm, I think I'm only missing three, right? I believe so. Yeah, and then there's the series that Ty West has been directing for seven years or whatever. I don't know. And then the David Gordon Green version that's going to be coming out. That was canceled. That was good for a couple. I, I watched a couple of episodes. I think it only lasted one season. They canceled it. Two. Um, two. Oh. The Ninth Configuration, 
that's the movie, The Ninth Configuration, uh, is directed by William Peter Blatty, and it features Jason Miller and Stacey Keach and uh, another actor who's who the guy who played Herschel on Walking Dead. You know who I'm Scott talking about? Wilson. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a you know there's a connection to The Exorcist with that movie, and I think if you want a proper adaptation of William Peter Blatty's work. Um, you go Exorcist, you go uh, Ninth Configuration, and then you go Exorcist Three, which was originally called Dominion. Was it? No, Legion. No. Excuse me, Dominion was the prequel. Legion, yeah, I just, yeah. I just said Dominion is the, the Dominion is the one with the red guy, the the red yes. demon thing with the yeah. giant head. Right. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, no, Exor- Exorcist Three is actually a very good movie. That is a movie that has come around to a lot of people kind of like Halloween three where I thought F- exorcist two, I thought exorcist two was that. And then I watched it and I was like, no, 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 no. I, I guess, I guess, I guess it's one of those doctor sleep times when I'm the only person that doesn't <laughs> like it. And everyone knows that this movie's amazing because, because I was watching that yesterday and I was just like, what the, what is this supposed to be? Like, I just don't get it, I guess. Cause these fucking sucks. No, no, spoilers. no. You are definitely in the majority <laughs> okay. on that one. I, I am in the minority here. Cause I like exorcist to the heretic. I, I think, I think it's a, well, look, we will have a lot to talk about next week. Cause we'll also have a guest for that show. Um, so I don't want to say too much, but I think there's a lot of interesting things that are going on with that movie. And it comes out a bit of a me- a little bit more than a mess maybe. Um, and it's, I didn't, I didn't hate it. And there's a lot of very cool things that are done in it, but at the end of the movie, I, I'll, I'll save it. Let's say, yeah, we'll save it. We'll save it. We'll save it for that. There's still a lot to unpack so here. The good with... ones, so, the, so the good ones three then. Yeah. That's the so one that people the... like. What's a timeline then? Is well, three are, following okay. two or no? It ignores two. If if you want, if you really want like a good chronological version of it, right? The truest form of an Exorcist trilogy is the Exorcist, the Ninth Configuration, and then Exorcist Three. Okay. Exorcist right. Two is a commercial, commercial sequel. Uh, Dominion and The Beginning, those are commercial sequels. They have nothing to do with William Peter Blatty or his work. There's nothing that is sourced in the literature there except for the name Pazuzu, which was existing even before his novel. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, it, it's like, uh, it's, it's like the Halloween series. You got all these different pathways that you can go down. Even the series offers a, a different pathway because that's still Reagan McNeil, right? Gina Davis plays a grown-up Reagan. Right. So uh, yeah. back on this film, who do you think uh, gives the best performance? I think this is loaded with phenomenal performances from everybody. Max von Sydow is, is great. And, uh, you know, people like to credit the old age makeup and whatnot, but he really does sell being an old man in this movie, even though he's only in his 40s. That's something that's very difficult to do, is not only look like an old man, but properly act like an old man, have that registers legitimate when you're acting, yeah. you know. His physicality is very old man-ish. Right. Not just his face, like the way his body moves and the way that he moves when he's fighting. Reagan feels very old man-ish. I think uh, the mom was the best performance. Uh, I think her character is really important to keep this story grounded in reality uh, because she's not a believer at the beginning of it. 
And so she tries to find any other type of solution before you know, landing into exorcism, which is why we see all those tests and all those visits to psychologists and all that. Uh, that uh, kind of grounded it a little bit more than if it was just a movie about a demon. Uh, so her character was really important for me to to get into the story. And I also thought that she was great at it. She was great at, at portraying that pain of a mother that would feel if her if this would happen to her daughter. And also uh, all of her very vulnerable moments that happen later in the movie, too, are very believable. Uh, so her uh, it's uh, what's her name? Ellen Burstyn, Ellen Burstyn is who is probably yeah. going to be nominated for an Oscar this year for a film that she did. So I couldn't tell you the name of the film. I couldn't tell you the name of any film from this past year, really. Your favorite, though, is the frontrunner, Nomadland. I know you're very excited about that. You want to see Francis McDormand win yet again. <clears throat> That's the front runner. <laughs> I think so. Goddamn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's have it'll be great. It? No, I haven't. I probably won't watch it either. I'm I'm out on 2020. I don't want to go back. I I, I took the recommendation of a Brett Easton Ellis that Lovers Rock, the Steve McQueen movie series episode from Small Axe was good, and it wasn't bad. But he was like, this is probably the best movie I've watched this year. And it was like 70 minutes of people just dancing at a party. I was like, all right. I, I, I mean, it, I get they're, they're capturing a vibe here with this, but it's not like, I, I don't know. Come on. It's not the best movie of the year. Anyway. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. You should, I think you should see it just because. You watch Sweetie. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sweetie, Sweetie. Sweetie <laughs> yeah. was a New Zealand or Australian film from 1989 with a fat woman who plays a mentally ill lady in a family. And there's a lot of implied sex abuse with that. I'll say that. Sweetie. J- Jane Campion, who is the second woman ever nominated for Best Picture. I mean, excuse me, Best Director Oscar. How about that? For what? For Sweetie? For no, no, not for Sweetie. For uh, she did some movie I think with Nicole Kidman. I the the name of the movie is hours? my memory. Yes, the hours. Uh, what's the movie where she has sex with Anthony Hopkins? Oh jeez, can uh, he? <laughs> no, uh, there's some movie. It's really gross. Uh, <laughs> wait, what? Nicole isn't Can He Linda Hopkins. Blair's porn film? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. It just popped in my head. Maybe. Is it? I know that her career after the ex—I mean, obviously, you just have to go to the heretic—was not very good, was not very promising. But she wound up doing like a late seven. So in the nineteen seventies, the the genre of like a smutty movie, like a real movie, like a soft core movie, and and like a real movie, and then a hardcore movie. Were, if that those lines were very blurred. So she wound up doing a late seventies movie called something like Canned Heat, where she's a female prisoner yeah, and she's having sex with yeah. guards or whatever. They were shot with the same camera, so they all look the same. Right, the everything was sixteen and, millimeter, uh, the cheapest stock. Yeah. Chained Heat, Chained Heat. That's Chained late eighty, uh, early eighties, nineteen eighty three. Um, Paul Nichols, Paul. Okay, all right. Anyway, uh, what do you think about William Friedkin as a director in general? I'm not very familiar with his work, to be honest. Uh, I've seen Italian Job, but... No, he didn't do Italian uh, Job. He did the Brinks Job with Peter Falk and Peter Boyle. Italian Job with somebody else. Wait. 
No, French Connection. Why am I thinking Italian job? I'm thinking Little Car. Okay. Mark Wahlberg <laughs> I'm on thinking Little mind. Car is no Italian job. Seth Green, no, Little Man. Uh, <laughs> let me see. I, I don't really know how many of his movies I've seen. Uh, I've seen Rules of Engagement. I've seen that was kind of. Well, he didn't do that either. He that was that was uh, Brett Easton Ellis's partner. He says, "Oh wait, that's Rules of Attraction." Excuse me. I don't. I'm really off tonight. Yeah, stop attacking I'm bad. me. <laughs> Getting stop all these titles me. fucked up. I have it right here. I have it on my phone. Who's in uh, Rules of Guardian Engagement? Is that Benicio del Toro, or is that Hunted? No. That's uh, Samuel L. Jackson and, and Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, right. It's an army movie. You're right, yes. I didn't know he directed that. I have seen that. Let's see. Tales from the Crypt. There's a couple of episodes there. The Guardian, Rampage, Cat Squad, To Live and Die in L.A. I've never seen that, but that sounds familiar. We, uh, should, we should definitely do an episode on To Live and Die in L.A. That is, uh, that's in the same texture as something like Manhunter. It has... Uh, William Peterson from Manhunter playing a cop again, and Willem Dafoe is the bad guy. He's a counterfeiter. I think Daryl Hannah's in the movie as well, playing his girlfriend, and uh, she's got a similar look to a Blade Runner, uh, you know, aesthetic. It's a very well done movie with a. It's probably best known for its ending. I'll say that. It's William William Peterson good in it, or is he William Peterson? He's good. He's be- <laughs> I, he's. I think he's actually probably better in To Live and Die in L.A. than he is in Manhunter. Okay, I've seen Cruising, of course. Do you know the story uh, about Cruising and The Exorcist? No. So no. in the hospital scene, the killer from Cruising uh, was one of the actors in that scene. The sorry, the source material of Cruising is there's a serial killer who's out killing gay men uh, after picking them up from clubs. The man who admitted yeah. to the murders is one of the the nurses in the scene in The Exorcist, which is why William uh, Friedkin was attracted to the material. And he went and visited the guy afterward, and he was like, yeah, I don't remember killing all those guys. I remember killing one of the guys, but the police said I, they'd give me a lighter sentence if I just said I killed all of them. So I said I killed all of them. And he's out. He's out. He's wandering the streets right now, probably around me. So good for him. Nice. Be careful. <laughs> yeah. speaking of gay guys uh, <laughs> no I'm not, I'm not very familiar with his work I, I know his name a lot because you mentioned it a lot uh, but it's one of it's the same as uh, the other episodes that we've done you know it's a uh, name uh, when we do a, an, an episode that's specific to one director most of the time it's just a name that you really recognize but it's, I'm not very familiar with their work sure. he's definitely one of those I, I think I've only seen what three of his movies. Uh, I think so. I don't really have much much of an educated opinion, but I did like. Sorry, <laughs> I did like uh, the way this is shot, uh, the way everything moves. Uh, very like there. There's not a lot of dull moments. Everything is constantly moving, uh, and the story is constantly moving, and and the the performances were all great. So. Um, just using this and cruising as a as an example, then he's great. But I I'm, I can't say that because I'm not educated, really. I would say <laughs> I, here, my opinion on William Friedkin is that he's probably the best living American director currently. Um, maybe not like currently active, but like of people who are alive today. I think he's better than Scorsese. I think he's better than uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Abel Ferreira. What do you think he offers that they don't in his movies? 
or that, what makes these movies better? That I uh, hmm. That's difficult to to assess on the fly. I'd have to really think about that. But I I, I think he's just got a, a much stronger track record, um, re, and a, he, he's got a smaller amount of films within his his catalog of um, directed movies. But he's got a a great string of of films that I think starts with. Uh, I mean, really, his first movie, The Boys in the Band, from, I think that was 1970. Even Certainly. that, you know, where it's just like a bunch of gay men getting together for a party. Uh, he does so many interesting things with the direction and style of that film, where, on the surface, that 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 uh, synopsis, that uh, slug line of, yeah, it's just a bunch of gay men hanging out in the 70s, does not sound interesting to me at all. It was one of the last films of his I checked out, but even that is a, a, a pretty <laughs> I good mean, movie. The, the Slugman is slightly different, but <laughs> what, do, what, do, what does it say? What does it say? It says tempers fray and true selves are revealed when a heterosexual is accidentally invited to a homosexual party. Yes, so it's exactly what I said: a bunch of gays having a <laughs> so tea party together, party. playing dress up, wearing their wearing mommy's clothes, strutting around in the mirror. Who's the prettiest Where lady? Yeah. <laughs> what sorcerer? This sorcerer oh, is sorcerer awesome. is amazing. Sorcerer is a remake. Look at right on YouTube right now. Can't even show you. God damn it! Someone just wrote the ninth configuration rules. Matt O'Brien commented. Good timing, Matt O'Brien. Um, sorcerer is amazing. Right. Sorcerer was released the same year as Star Wars, same weekend as Star Wars, and was squashed. It's a remake of The Wages of Fear starring Roy Scheider, and it is one of the more impressive accomplishments in film, probably, I would say, especially for the 1970s. All right. Well, to go back to the, <clears throat> the question I made about Freaking being better, do you think it's the subject matter that he chooses for his movies? Do you think it's a type of movie that he makes or or or... The performances he gets from actors. What makes you like his movies better than all of the other directors that you mentioned? I, again, I have a difficult time um, giving like a good reason that would, I'd I really have to think about that. I, I'd really have to sit and think and write that out. Uh, I just know for the 1970s that his commercial output probably beginning with French Connection and ending with Cruising uh, in the 80s. There's something about the style that he employs in each one of these films. Actually, you know, To Live and Die in L.A., even though that feels a little too Michael Manny at times, it doesn't quite have his 1970s uh, flair uh, that that he, you know, uh, imp started employing with, I think, French Connection. Um, there's just something that's more consistent to that, and there's a greater level of artistry in things that you wouldn't even think about necessarily, like the ADR. A lot of the, I mean, Exorcist 73 is entirely ADR, I'm fairly certain. And mm -hmm. just the, the level of having the actors nail that, and you not even really think about it as you're watching yeah. the movie. Maybe at times, you know, there's a, you know, one or two blips. But on I didn't the whole, notice, yeah, the <clears throat> being able to nail the performances in the recording booth, and also, um, a lot of the stunts, a lot of the, 
I mean, his techniques in the 1970s are kind of infamous because he would subject actors to essentially real abuse. He would, uh, there's a famous story about Ellen Burstyn where she wasn't given a level of performance that he wanted for a shot where I think it's the scene where the, the dresser is going across the room to lock her in when she's running up to Reagan's bedroom and she gets knocked over and she just wasn't selling it. So they had like a, a, a crew member who was pushing her or something or whatever. And she hurt herself on one take and she was like, please, William, don't, I don't want to do that again. Don't do that. Go lighter. My back is starting to hurt. And William Friedkin's like, you got it, Ellen. All right. And yeah. he looks over to the crew member <laughs> and gives him a wink. And he's like, let yeah. her have it. And uh, fucks up her back real bad, really bad. But he got the good take out of that. So he would do things like that. Uh, the way that they were shooting French Connection in uh, New York City, I think it was. Was it New York City in French Connection? I think it was. I, th- I believe it was. I believe it was. I believe it was. Uh, you know, many of the car stunts with that were playing it fast and loose. And then Twilight Zone happens and William Friedkin takes a step back and goes, maybe I should be nicer to my actors. I don't want to wind up in court like John Landis. And so he kind of chills out <laughs> after that, thinks about some things, evaluates himself. And that's, that's the end of that. I mean, nothing happened to John Landis, really, right? Right, yes, no. He went to a funeral and made a speech, made it about himself in the movie. Yeah. These children died for my movie. We must all go see my movie now in their memory. Is it the Twilight Zone movie? Yes. Oh, especially that movie. It's not It's not great. <laughs> it's not worth it. No, it's not. His, his segment's not even that good, <laughs> you know? Certainly not worth dying. It's for. fine. Like it's it's enjoyable if you like that kind of campy horror-y shit, but definitely not, you know, worth a couple of deaths. Now, um, I just saw something here. The movie Bug. Have you seen Bug? Three With Michael Shannon and the- Ashley Judd, right? Yeah. Uh no, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't really. That one's very strange to me. It's really weird because when when it came out, um, I remember renting it. Uh, this 2006, I was living in Canada, and I remember renting it from a from a Rogers Video, uh, and uh, it's it's really strange because it's supposed to be this psychological movie where she starts going nuts about you know bugs being in her body or whatever, and visually it's really good. Like it's very unsettling and everything, but. I, I guess maybe I just need to do a, a rewatch because when I saw it in t- 2006, uh, I, I was very bored by it. Uh, I just remember that visually it was really good, but then it's one of those movies that le- le- leave you like very unsatisfied with the ending. And uh, it has pretty good reviews. I guess like 62 in Metacritic, but I was wondering if you had seen it. No, no that, that's one that... I. I believe I've had on the TV before and didn't pay attention to it. That's no, I, I, I believe the majority opinion on bug was, it was kind of whatever when they dropped it. And what was it like 2003 or 2006, something, something like that. Six. Yeah. Yeah. And then gradually over time, people discovered it through uh, streaming and the opinion of it has improved sharply in that time. That movie is about what a couple of like meth tweakers thinking there's bugs under their skin or something. Right. 
Yeah, I think she goes through some type of uh, psychological trauma or something, or they do some type of drugs that makes them believe that they there's bugs inside bugs inside of them or something. Uh, what about Killer Joe? Killer Joe is great. Killer Joe is yeah. the layup for Matthew McConaughey to get his career on track. That's like the first serious movie uh, he wound up doing after his run of rom- uh, rom- romantic comedies, and that. That is probably like the best way for Friedkin at this point to end his career on. Devil and Father Remorse. I don't know if you consider documentaries within a, a director's filmography. Some people do, some people don't. I think it depends on how many documentaries they've directed and also the style of the documentary. Uh, but Killer Joe's last narrative, his last fiction-based uh, film, he wrote that with uh, a playwright that was based on a stage play originally. And everybody delivers good performances. Very odd movie. Very well shot film. And uh, it, it was a good comeuppance for Friedkin, who probably hadn't had a hit in a while. Uh, I know that you know some of, some of his movies in the aughts are downright terrible. There's a Tommy Lee Jones, Benicio Del Toro film that I think is called Hunted. And that is maybe... That's remarkably the bad. Hunted. Yeah, The Hunted. The Hunted. Uh, remarkably bad uh, 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 piece of work from an extremely talented director. So um, yeah, um, I I was just going through his uh, through McConaughey's uh, filmography, and he was he did Lincoln Lawyer before this before this one. So okay, so maybe maybe Lincoln Lawyer is the real start of that. Is it? Did anyone give a shit about that movie, though? I do remember I, I think, people well, talking about Lincoln Lawyer and saying, oh, McConaughey's... I mean, the movie's whatever, but McConaughey's surprisingly good in this. Well, he was coming out of Ghost of Girlfriend's Past, so I just wouldn't really take that much to improve that, that performance. And then Bernie, sure. have you seen Bernie with with uh, Jack Black? No, that was Richard Linklater, right? Yeah, it's that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good, I... I I, enjoy, I remember enjoying that one. I thought Mud, which we've mentioned before, oh, mud. which I've mentioned before, <laughs> which I've mentioned before multiple times. You know, I've only seen it once. I can't even remember if it's good or not. It's your favorite movie. But yeah, you talk about it every show. You bring up Mud, a movie nobody has remembered. Now, uh, now that I see this, and it's completely unrelated to what this topic of this episode is, but uh, talk to me about your love for Magic Mike because I've never Mike. seen it. Magic Mike? I haven't seen Magic Mike. What? What are you you talking about Magic Mike? I've never watched Magic Mike before. What is it? Oh, no, you said uh, Pain and Gain, right? Pain and Gain is much different than Magic Mike. No, Pain and Gain is a legitimately good film. I'm not saying that I... I I put out out a tweet that said that Pain and Gain was one of the defining films of the last decade. I I think that holds true. I think it's one of the last... Along with Wolf of Wall Street, one of the last fun... These people are terrible, and we're going to make a fun movie out of their whole thing. I mean, what they did is atrocious in real life and should not be a comedy, but it's a comedy. And I think it's Michael Bay's best movie, probably. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. And, you know, you have The Rock playing a bad guy in that movie. When have you seen, when have you seen Mark Wahlberg playing a bad guy in a movie even recently? I don't even know what it's about. I I honestly confused Magic Mike with Pain and Gain. I haven't seen it. It's very different. Very different. I haven't seen it either. I thought it was. 
both about like male gigolos or whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're 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 bodybuilders. <laughs> no, we should do a show on pain oh. and gain at some point. Um, that could be good to All cover right. on the on the program. Do you want to do uh, do you want to do a Michael Bay retrospective? Do you know anyone that likes Michael Bay or that would like to talk about Michael Bay? Um, the the person I live with is a huge fan of Armageddon, but uh, they will not be on this program. So uh, other other than that, no, I don't know anybody who likes Michael Bay seriously. I mean, I, I honestly think that he's one of those people that are just maligned because you know it's cool to hate him. I've heard, I've heard that he's an asshole, which fine, he's you know an artist, which that's what happens. An artist. But I. I've honestly, yeah. He likes to go by the artist. That's how people address him yeah. when they're around him. <laughs> because if you look at his directing career, his early directing career is not bad. There's a couple of really good ones there. Uh, yeah, he's got the Transformers and the, you know, all the shit that comes out after that. But that, but you have, you know, Bad Boys. You have uh, the, oof, oh, never mind. I, I thought there was more than this. The Rock is pretty good. For what it is, right? Nice I th- I, hey, actually, Michael Bay. Look, Michael Bay falls in the same category as Nicolas Cage and Nickelback in terms of like aughts memes of like the worst thing, the worst thing. We're all gonna agree this is the worst thing, right? This is the worst at X Y Z, you know. And in reality, no, they're not really that bad. They're never really. I mean, Nickelback. Yeah, he's, he, he's like yeah. a better Zack Snyder. No, no, hold on. No, excuse me. Is that is that what you were leading up to? Is that what you were holding on to while you introduced pain and gain to the conversation? No, I, no. Just to drop that. No, How just, dare you? It just popped. Unbelievable. Like a knife in the back. We're going to be... Listen, hey, we're going to be talking about Zack Snyder's four-hour R-rated Justice League when it drops in March. So do, just be ready for that. Be mentally prepared for that. That's cool. That's fine. I actually think... I know, I but... Can, uh, Michael Bay, I, I don't think I've ever really not enjoyed any of his movies. I remember I had Transformers on the television. I was like completely disgusted with the idea of watching a Transformers movie. But that that was actually fine. It was all right. I mean, Shia LaBeouf yeah. is good in it. Uh, the one movie uh, uh, in the Transformers series that I had watched, I watched, I think, the first three, was the one that he, you know, uh, he did not direct. That was the bad one. You know, I can't speak to any of the others. I'm never watching I... that shit. I think I've seen all of them. That's which cool. is kind of shameful. It's shameful to say after I've, <laughs> after past episodes I've said that I've never seen an Indiana Jones movie or you know AT or or Goonies or you know those those classics that you're supposed to to know. But you know I've seen every Transformer movie. Did you see the animated I guess that's, Transformers? This is why no, I guess this is why Nick Aldershaw and Robbie Goodwin think I'm retarded. <laughs> when when the episode, they're like, "What do you mean you like Zack Snyder? They're everything. He's everything you like." And I'm just like, I don't "But know. It, hold on, in fairness, it's literally just me, Nick, and Robbie who support openly support Zack Snyder's creative efforts. Everyone else likes to join the mob and kick poor Zack while he's down." After after his daughter killed herself, you go and you rail against him. You make fun of him at every opportunity. Unbelievable. After he had his movie stripped away from him, and everybody just laughs yeah. and points and makes fun. 
How come you don't feel the same way about the guy that did Fantastic Four? Josh Trank. Josh Trank. Yeah. I did feel that way until he started trying to join, trying to join that mob and be like, "Hey, I'm one of you guys." Yeah, my movie sucks. You, you weak, pathetic worm. No respect for that man. I have more respect for Max Landis. How about that? Max Landis yeah. retrospective. We can watch all his YouTube movies where he talks about wrestling and comic books. Or what is it? American Ultra and what's is that a bottle of vodka? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can only take so much Zack Snyder abuse for one day. This has nothing to do with The Exorcist. Uh, what did you think of the ending of The Exorcist? Uh, the... Hmm. Because the you know the one I saw has that extra scene that to me it's completely unnecessary with um, the what is it a detective or someone I don't remember who that guy was yeah yeah the uh, uh, Kinderman Lieutenant Kinderman yes. who is going to be played yeah, by George yeah, yeah. C Scott in Exorcist three so that that's it's actually a good thing that you brought this up because it completely slipped my mind I think the two endings change the entire tone of each version of the movie. Uh, it is a much... I, I don't want to say it's a more nihilistic film without that interaction at the end. But it, it certainly feels like a bleaker ending without them talking and starting that friendship. I didn't like it because it it removed what the movie had set up which is you know this thing could happen to anyone you know this this scary thing happening in this house uh and then them acting like nothing happened kind of diminishes everything that we just saw for two hours at the end because he just leaves it in a in a in a what note instead of uh oh fuck he felt because i'm trying to remember but the original ending we see father Karras all fucked up on the ground right and then yes. what it ends there or what? No, 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 no. So we see Reagan and her mother moving out of the the uh, the house that they had right, lived right. in, and then Karis's friend, who uh, the other priest's name uh, character name is uh, William O'Malley, I think it's William O'Malley, uh, goes and you know has a word with the the mother uh, Chris McNeil and Reagan just to check out to see how things are doing, and Reagan sees the cross that uh, uh, Father O'Malley has around his neck, gives him a hug, even though she has no recollection of anything that had came mm -hmm. before. So it's kind of like she still has an internal recognition of what is good. Gives him a right. hug. And then I think he gives her the necklace, right? Yeah, and good. then she drives oh. off. Uh, the tubular bells start playing, and that's the end of the movie. And it's kind of like, it, it does, I think emphasize the impact of the exorcism much more and it feels bleaker it feels darker and i yeah i, I agree with you it, it's also a heavier ending without that yeah addition to it where you have o'malley and uh uh kinderman talking but i feel like that interaction lends itself to what Blatty wanted and why ultimately why it was put back into the film which is you come away with more of a sense that good has prevailed yeah uh, 
I uh, I don't know. I, I didn't like it, uh, especially because the, I believe that the last frame is a boarded out window from the house, which to me is kind of like putting the nail on the coffin and getting rid of the story. So like saying, okay, so this happened and it's a story that happened and goodbye. It's never going to happen again. Or, you know, it's, it's very uh, definitive. Uh, you know I would what? have liked it better if it's a little bit more open. Like even, even what you just said about the original ending, I like it a little bit better because there's that thing about the amulet, like, or the metal medallion, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, something could happen there. Like, we don't know if she's going to need that or if that's going to be uh, worth anything to her. Um, on this ending, you even show the house boarded up. So, like, no one's even going to go into this house. You're right. Uh, so, the, the you know, it's the the damage or, like, the that fear factor of this could happen not only here but anywhere else. Uh, it's... I don't know, diminished, I feel. Um, no, 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 hold on, you're, you're correct. That, that, that supernatural. Yes, no, 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 you're, you're totally right, you're right. I misremembered something with the original 1973 ending, which is that after that interaction takes place, I believe he's about to take the stairs down where Karis obviously fell to his death after jumping out the window. And it's kind of like a morbid, he decides not to, and then walks away. So you still end on kind of a sour note where it's like, yeah, this was at yeah. a cost. Um, so what you're getting at with the the revised cut from 2000 where you still end on the boarded window and then you cut to the tubular bells where it feels like, yes, we have, we have the good prevails, but there's still this thing here. Um, it doesn't feel as smooth as the original 1973 ending, which is a harder, heavier ending and is more grounded, I think, in, in the real world. So you're right. I, I actually well, it do closes it, it, agree with that point. It, it closes it closes a chapter of the story. Uh, I really believe that if the original one had ended like this, uh, I mean, they probably would have still come up with sequels just because they would have wanted to milk the the franchise. But it would make less sense for them to be sequels if you have such a definite ending like this, because then when Regan pop, pops up later, uh, then you know, it, it doesn't fit with the boarding up of the house and the, them leaving. And then not even them leaving, but they leave and we don't even stay with them. We move on to these other two characters that are unrelated because they're not really that involved into the story. They're just side characters that are a part of it. But by moving on to them and that conversation that I honestly can't remember, but I think it has nothing to do with what we just saw. Um, well, it, it's, it's, it echoes back. Her. It echoes back to the conversation that Kinderman had with Karis where he's inviting him out to a movie um, and yeah. Karis makes up an right, excuse right, right. or something and then winds up exiting. And uh, in, in this one, you have Kinderman inviting Father O'Malley to a play with, I think, it started Lucille Ball. Something made up. Something completely yeah. made up. And the yeah, father yeah, says, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I've seen it. And, you know, that, that's how the yeah, friendship because... starts. Because it shows us that, okay, so we've moved on. So so now, let's forget about this little girl and everything that happened. Now, what's going to happen with these two guys? Are they going to be friends? Are they going to, you know, like, and honestly, who cares? Uh, so it definitely removed a lot of, you know, whatever tension or whatever suspense was there, left there by the ending. I agree, I agree with um, you. It makes and, for a stronger uh, film. However, uh, I think this ending is necessary 
cruising into Exorcist 3 because that's who the two characters are in that film that were centered around. Okay. It's about the relationship between uh, Kinderman and Father O'Malley. And then specifically Kinderman hunting a serial killer called the Gemini Killer. That's loosely based on the Zodiac. And there's two versions of that movie, that's, too. Um, that's three. That sounds more interesting than what we... Why are we talking about two with 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 our guest if it sucks? Well, if you like it. Well, I, I don't even three. know if I really like it, but I like aspects of it. I think there's a lot of creativity that is in that movie, and it's not a movie that a lot of people have discussed or talked about. Uh, in a framework that is anything other than this is a total piece of shit. Why was this made? This is awful. This is atrocious. Uh, but I think there's something I that can that, be right? uh, pulled from from that movie and also uh, the making of it. So I, I do want to get into that. And then, um, yeah, Exorcist 3. There's two versions of Exorcist 3. There's a version with Jason Miller from this movie, and there's a version without. And we have Brad Dorif as the Gemini killer and Father Karras. Um, in that film. So in the original cut of that, which I believe Shout Factory released a version of it, but it fills in the gaps with dailies. So it cuts between the 35 millimeter print and then VHS scenes. Oh, know. what was the movie that we we did? That they did uh, Star 80, was it? No, uh, was no not Star 80. Um, damn. Uh, what did we cover where they were doing that? It was something around that time, I think. Where they do, yeah, fucking. Oh, uh, no, no, you lost it. <laughs> what's that? Yeah, what's the movie with the with the mummy, like the vampire mummy or whatever? That's the what in Transylvania? There's like a like a mummy and like, is it the host? No, the guest? No, the. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't understand. I'm not gonna remember. I don't think we did any vampire movie movies like, on this show. That's got like Nazi. No, not the keep. The C keep. Civic TV. It was the yes. keep. Yes. Yeah. Was it the keep? That's the one I'm talking about. That's the one that was trying to get to, but I couldn't remember enough factors of it. It was like Nazis and the village and the vampire mummy thing, right? Right. Robot. Yes. Android. There's no androids Something in that movie. Like, it's yeah. just it? the golem. The golem. Was it the keep? It was, I believe well, they, it was the key. Saw they do that? Well, they I, well, do like dailies or like the VHS? I think the thing with the keep was there's not an update. I mean, there is now, but there wasn't an updated print of that. So they pulled it from a VHS or, or really rough copy. Although somebody recently obtained a 35 millimeter print of the keep and is doing like, uh, you know how Demonoid used to be, where it's like you have to have a password and get in here. It's an exclusive membership. Someone released that on Torrance. They cleaned it up in their own spare time. Uh, kind of like the aggressive Star Wars fans do with the original trilogy. So uh, that, right. that might be something to check out to see how it actually looks, as opposed to just like a Laserdisc copy. What do I think don't you had? Wanna, don't you don't want to revisit the keep? I don't know. It's a bit long. <laughs> it's a little long, a little dull. Uh, uh, so which Exorcist 3 should I watch? Because I, I'm assuming we're going to do an episode of it now since we've talked so much about it. I think it would be beneficial to watch both of them, to be honest with you, because they are different enough. And I, neither one is bad at all. I actually have come around to think that the the reshot, the re-edited version is actually better. They're both directed by William Peter Blatty, who did the ninth configuration as well. Um, and it's a fairly 
fairly good adaptation of his book Legion. So here here's the primary difference. The version that was released to theaters by I think it's Morgan Creek is the production company had Jason Miller swapping in and out of the role of Father Karras and the Gemini Killer with Brad Dorif. And there's an exorcism at the end of the movie, which was not in the film originally because it wasn't called Exorcist 3. It was called Legion. But it's exorcist-related. There's money to be made. They go with Exorcist 3. Mm-hmm. So there's an irrelevant exorcist character who I think has his skin peeled off and he dies, but he's he's completely pointless. And there's a couple of inserts leading up to him uh, where he's just like reading the Bible and there's a bird out his window or something, and then he gets a weird feeling. But he's he's pointless to the, to the movie. I think the ending is much more satisfying, though, in the theatrical cut as opposed to the original version. But Brad Dorif has more of a role in the original one. He's great. He's fantastic. He's always great. Yeah, he's, he's always he's that He's that uh, that weird... Is he still alive? Mm-hmm. What's he up to? I think What's he just he got cast as Chucky for the Chucky TV show. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of depressing. That's how he's, I mean, that's how he's paying he's his getting, rent. He's getting work. Yeah. Yeah, good. Get, get get that money, Brett, I guess. But he's so much better than just that. <laughs> what, a, what a shame. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know his career, where he's gone. I don't know if he's one of those actors that's succumbed to uh, substance abuse and ruined his career. I don't know. But everything I've seen him in, he's always great. Um, so I'm hoping that that Chucky show is going to pay him well. He's, he's I guess fine. who's putting it out? Uh, to like stars? Shutter? I don't know. It might be like the Paramount Network or USA or one of these one of these things. Whatever whatever Universal owns, did I think. You, did you just fucking thought of this? Did you know that they're doing a Sopranos prequel? Yes, I've heard about that. It's a movie. They got his son playing yeah. young him. Yeah. What do you what do you what do you think about that? Uh, uh, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's too I haven't seen any there's nothing out yet. So I'm not gonna say it's a terrible idea. I think it's probably left best untouched, but it takes place thirty or forty years before the series. So Tony Soprano is going to be like 15 years old or something. And it's Michael Gandolfini who looks like him. And he acted in something recently. He was in some movie with, uh, with somebody. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, it could, it could it's be, the, it could be fine. It could be great. I guess if you really care about how that character became who he was, but I don't think it's I, about him. I think it's about, I, um, it's about the race riots that were in New Jersey during that time. I oh, think it's going it? to focus on his dad. I When I read oh. about it, Tony Soprano is not going to be the lead character. It was going to be about his father and um, some of the, the, the organized crime that was happening in New Jersey in the 1960s. If it's like that, then it should be fine. Because okay. I, I think it's Terrence Winter yeah. who is directing it, writing it, and he's good. Um, but it could be, I mean, it could go either way. I think marketing it as a Sopranos prequel is a disaster. It, it would actually be very smart right now because a lot of people revisited that show and got into it during the lockdowns. Yeah, you are yeah. now? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, what, like five episodes deep of season one. I finished uh, it, it, it feels, a couple of months ago. After. It feels so so weird. It, you, all of it? Yeah, I got, through, the whole series? I got through all of it in probably about two months. 
I rewatched it for the first time maybe about 10 years. And I thought, I think that's the best show. I think that holds up better than any other scripted show. Doesn't it feel like even though you were alive in those years, I guess to me, I was nowhere near New York, uh, you know, uh, growing up. So when, when this was happening, uh, my reality was much different than whatever reality was happening in New York. So to me, it's very difficult to try to relate into that um, time frame of whatever, whenever that was, which is, I, I can't even remember if it's based on that time or if it's based on earlier than that. No, it, it's all, it's a, uh, it, it is on the, yeah, it's in real time at, 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 at the time that it was being released. It was in real time. So it was like 1997, 1998, maybe 99. Right. And then it ends in 2006, <laughs> but they took a couple of years off in between along the way. I remember there was a, there was maybe about a year or two where they broke. It's just I, I found it, and this happened to with uh, happened with Breaking Bad too. Uh, I saw a couple of episodes recently. One of my friends was rewatching the whole thing, and they I didn't think they would, but they both feel like time capsules already. Uh, the Sopranos feels like a completely different existence that what we have now, even though it's only what twenty years old. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was watching it, it, it was kind of. I don't know. It was kind of odd because it's so everything is so much different now that a lot of the things that happen in the show could not happen now. You know, just just with the if you just put the surveillance aspect, you know, a lot of the things that happened, you know, a couple of cameras there and everyone goes down or whatever. So it's yeah. it, it, it's cool because you you have to suspend this belief for something w that you were alive to see or you were alive when this was happening, but right. at the same time. It's so different that I, I guess I didn't think it was going to feel like this just because it, it, it feels like it hasn't been that long when that show came out. But, it you know, once you realize that it's been 20 years and everything that's happened in those 20 years, uh, because that show still feels relevant in like pop culture, like you mentioned, like people uh, revisiting it or whatever. But it, it gave me like an old like like an odd feeling watching it just because everything is so different now that I felt like I was watching, I don't know, like a like an old 70s gangster thing, you know, where it's like, like oh, this is uh, um, times past, you know, a thing that, you know, happened a long time ago, but it wasn't, you know? Right. They kind of address some of the changes that occur. I mean, they, they do throughout the series, but specifically with like organized crime and the efficiency of that by, I think, the final season where they just have like, Two of the lesser mob figures go and they're gonna go shake down a Starbucks, and they're they're like, "Look, I I can't I can't pay you." They they keep track of the amount of bagels here. Uh, it's not like this is a mob, and, and they don't like get it. They're just like two old mob guys, and uh, it shows you like the, the decline cool. of mm -hmm. civilization, Western civilization, and organized crime existing within that 20th century bubble, and how it's kind of been. Well, I won't say it's been weeded out. I think. It still exists within certain sectors, we'll say. I think in politics, it's very, very alive. Um, but if you're outside yeah. of that, good luck. I, I, when you eventually yeah, finish that, we should do an episode on The Sopranos for, for our, our highly weighted sequel to Almost Movies with True Detective, Jake Hanrahan. Which, right. True, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. I've, I've just, it's a show that I've never seen that I know I should. So I, you know, I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, it's very, I, I think it holds up better than Breaking Bad, uh, in my opinion. Breaking Bad, especially 
uh, you know, we've said this before, the earlier seasons still feel like cable TV and not like HBO, but clearly AMC for that time where they're saying like, uh, damn and hell and crap and they won't, (laughs) you know, commit the actual swear words. You know, it's a little cleaner than it should be by the end of it. Uh, anyway, anything, anything else on the exorcist 1973 or the version you've never seen before? which was a box office hit, the version you've never seen before, exclamation point. When it came out, it's such an early 2000s title, too. Yeah. You know, very exaggerated, very... Yeah, well, you got to think, at that time, it's it's kind of a weird time to release it, too, right at the the millennium. You know, it wasn't wasn't the 30-year anniversary. It was only 27 years. And then they just decided, yeah, we're going to throw that out there. And it was a hit. It, it, it made it come back into the public uh, memory, you know. <clears throat> so at the time, I kind of understand it, I guess. there was, no, I mean, DVD was still new, so you didn't have all these, like, alternate versions of movies that are out there, director's cut of deleted scenes. Um, right. That's how I discovered it, so. Yeah, but no, not really. I don't think there's much you can add about The Exorcist that hasn't been said by everyone that's seen it before, so... There's two very good um, documentaries if anybody wants more info. Um, one is called Leap of Faith. That's on Shudder right now. It's just essentially an hour-long conversation with William Friedkin. And then there's another movie called Friedkin Uncut. Both were released last year, although Friedkin Uncut, I think, was made in 2018. And uh, they're both very good documentaries on his career and the making of The Exorcist. So I would, I would highly recommend those. I'm trying to get my hands on. There was a paperback released in the '70s called "The Making of Exorcist 2. There's just a, there's a they for whatever reason they released that. There's not a documentary on the making of Exorcist 2, but there's a paperback, hundred plus pages on information, production details. You're gonna end up paying way too much for sixty dollars, sixty-seven dollars on eBay. Gonna, I checked. Oh, that's not bad. That's not the worst. That's not bad. That's not what uh-huh. I'm paying. That's what I'll say. That's not what it's going to yeah, yeah. end up being. Anyway, that, that's been movies for this week. Uh, Hans is Hansikin, or no, you're not anymore. You're Hansikin Dose on Instagram. You're Hans Meme Memorial on Twitter. I am LowRSWB yes. on Twitter and Facebook. LowRSWonderBread on Instagram. And uh, yeah, if you want episodes early or exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash LowRes. Source for a 1977 film. That got demolished, I believe. The story is it got demolished by Star Wars because that came out right around the same time. And up until maybe about 2013, where the Alamo Drafthouse, I think it was, decided to reissue the film, people weren't really talking about Sorcerer much. They weren't uh, interested in the film. But it is really a remarkable movie. And a lot of the special effects in the, in the film are uh, something to be in awe of especially if you do compare it to what they could pull off with Wages of Fear back in 53, where yeah. a lot of it is just, um, it's a little more subdued due to budgetary reasons. So, uh, Oki, you, you brought this film up to me originally when we started talking. Um, what was it about Sorcerer that, I guess, stuck in your head and made it feel like maybe an important film or an interesting film or just something that you wanted to hold on to? I forget which I saw first. I think it was The Wages of Fear. Um, and I remember just how intense that was. And just, yeah, the intensity of both of those films. are It's such a masterclass in um, 
uh, just sustained tension. And uh, you watch um, Sorcerer, and yeah, they, they were able to do a lot more special effects by that point. A lot of that is practical effects, obviously, you know, due to the era. Um, yeah. And it's just such the, the direction in that movie. Like, you just, I think it took like a year of shooting on location for just to finish it. Um, huge budget for the time, a $24 million uh, movie. Um, two production, uh, two studios were involved with it. Um, but it's just like, it's, it's such a big movie um, and it's such a, like a great suspense thriller and you, something like that would never be made today. And it's all hinges on this like very, very simplistic uh, plot device of the, the truck is going to, it's going to blow up. Both trucks are going to blow up. And that's like, that's what's so awesome about it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Hans, had you seen Sorcerer prior to this uh, recording? No. No, no. I, <clears throat> I just watched it today. I, I was familiar with uh, uh, what is Wages of Fear. I have not seen it. I started watching it uh, as I was working, but I I couldn't give it my entire attention, so I, I decided to not watch it. But I, it's pretty much the same story, right? It's very similar. It, yeah, in some ways. Mm-hmm. I would say that structurally it's essentially the same, but the tone of it, the vibe of it, the characters in it, and the camaraderie is totally different than Sorcerer. It's kind of an inverted... It's, like, very of the time. It's got a bit of a... I, I, well, I wouldn't say it, it, it's, like, around the world in 80 days or it's a mad, mad, mad world. But it has one of those types of uh, whimsical flares that's infused with it. Even though it's, like, a dark, grounded film and it ends in a very, like, abrupt, uh, unfortunate manner for the lead character where... Um, kind of similar to the Roy Scheider character in Sorcerer, Juan Dominguez, I think is his fake name. <laughs> yeah. is. Um, you know, he has a, a more grim fate than even that character in Sorcerer. So uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities. William Friedkin denies that it's a remake because, it's, yeah. I mean, technically, you know, there was a book that preceded it. So you can say, well, it's just a, another adaptation of that. But there's a lot, there's a lot of overlap. There's like yeah, there's pretty much repurposed scenes, and instead of a, a blowing up a boulder, they blow up a, a big uh, um, tree trunk or whatever log. Right. Or, mm. Yeah. Or uh, instead of the the wheel getting stuck in the deteriorating bridge, uh, there's another aspect uh, of um, the film where they wind up passing through some like wooden moat ish type type thing where the like a very rickety swinging yeah uh, bridge held up by like um yeah rope right and which is fucking intense like the whole movie yeah there there's so much that is accomplished in i would even say both of these films that is certainly impressive by today's standards that they would just very easily rely on cg on as a cop out for safety yeah. purposes. Cause you can't imagine, you can't imagine this was safe for the, the stunt doubles or even the actors that were involved. Um, it, it all looks extremely uh, like thoroughly well thought out, but I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that they played it fast and loose on the, on the set. They go like, they go like to like Herzog territory where it's like people could have died. Yeah. Doing this kind of <laughs> shit, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the feat that no one died. I think if I don't know, I think that's what makes it. Well, that's what makes it more intense. I think that 
everything looks like they're actually in peril. Like at any moment, the actor could actually die. You believe that they're actually going because I'm sure they did. You know, I'm sure that they they were going through, you know, or or maybe with even doubles and just having the actors do all the stunts or whatever. So uh, you do have that that intensity of how real everything feels. Um, I I I got a very uh, beginning of The Exorcist feel uh, yeah. for most of the movie, uh, and I guess it comes with, I mean, being the same director and everything. But uh, that the whole, you know, um, the beginning where he when the father finds the statue and all of that. Uh, prelude, I guess you can call it. Uh, I felt like I was in that same universe there, uh, so I was kind of expecting for something supernatural to happen, which at the end doesn't really. Uh, no, I you, guess you have like a heightened you... reality nightmare moment where nothing like really happens. It just seems like he's stayed well, you, up way too long. You had like the tree rape from Evil Dead a little bit there for like a couple of minutes, but we don't really know if it's just wind. Uh, so, so it, and I don't know if it's that that influence of me knowing that Friedkin had directed The Exorcist before, so I was kind of expecting that maybe that had something to do with it, or maybe you know the name uh, of it. I was expecting something something supernatural, but uh, like Oki said, like it's very intense, and it doesn't really feel like a two hour movie to me. It went by very quickly, uh, and I think that using the the vignettes like they do at the beginning to introduce the characters in a very a very quick way where it's very effective because it's very to the point and then we go straight into you know the development of the actual story uh that it doesn't it, it never drags or it doesn't feel like a long movie to me at, at any point yeah it's yeah, awesome yeah it, he does like to have prologues and epilogues to a film that uh you know typically i feel like with movies you definitely want to end on a big explosive note and he gives you some time to let let the story be subdued and come back to a calm state, especially after you have like three characters killed within a span of maybe like 25 minutes. Um, and he, he, you know, this character does wind up being successful. That's handled a little bit different in uh, Wages of Fear. And Wages of Fear, also the, the character dynamic between uh, the lead character Mario and his companion is so much different. It is very erotic it's bad. The, the it, two of these uh, yeah you, you, uh, you felt that huh yeah there was kind of like uh yeah like he was the mario was kind of the bottom bitch in the beginning <laughs> like he was following joe around and he's like yeah i'll be your lackey i'll do anything because you're, you're a rich guy and you know yeah and then there's that that like he he becomes disillusioned with him because he starts to figure out like yeah he's a total pussy and yeah it's like this whole kind of like even the scenes in the bar in in, in wages of fear where he's just trying to, um, he's trying to man up over Luigi, which is funny in this movie. Yeah, there's Mario and Luigi. <laughs> Luigi. Luigi's a fear. Uh, but like, yeah, there's this whole kind of like, uh, yeah, kind of homoerotic element to it. I would say for sure. Yeah, they piss together to celebrate. They do all sorts of Hans. You really missed <laughs> out. You should have watched the full movie. Uh, it does not start that way, really. Like, you don't get a full vibe of that. But by the end, it, it it's almost like overt. It's it's very like this is clearly a, a metaphor for a homosexual relationship between an older dude and a young guy, and he's like, "Oh, why do you always treat me so lousy?" And he's just like, he, he's so whiny he's, and wimpy. He cries like after yeah. he says yeah. that. Yes, he yeah. cries and he goes up a hill, yeah, like weeping. Yeah, and um, yeah. There, there's there actually seems to be a, a friendship there, whereas in Sorcerer, it seems like. 
everyone is much colder with one another. The guys yeah, in the opposing is. trucks don't really care for one another at all. And uh, Juan Dominguez and, and his partner, who I guess would be um, the surrogate for the, the one we were just talking about, are, are I guess like friends by circumstance. Like you, yeah. they try to sell it to you, especially toward the end. Like, oh yeah, we'll get two whores and we'll celebrate. Well, yeah, but it's like you weren't really close to this guy throughout the entire half. Nah. Obviously, you're just talking to him because he's dying. He's like very pale and creepy and on the floor of your truck here. Uh, but yeah, you don't ever believe that there's any love lost when that guy winds up passing away from his injuries. Yeah. Oh, go on. No, no. Gonna... no is that? I thought it, Hans. Is... It... Oh. Is there is there a, con- a connection between those characters or a reason why they all end up in the same Latin American? Well, that's the beginning. The beginning yeah, explains that They're all trying to, to get you. away from. Well, right. So they're yeah, just they're um, just getting away from something they did, I guess, and right. they just yeah. end up in this shithole. Yeah, they're all yeah. like in okay. purgatory or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the thing. That's why I was expecting something supernatural, I guess, too, because. It felt very convenient that they all ended up there, but then you know after after that happened and, and we just moved forward with it and really like it doesn't really matter. Uh, I stopped caring, but that was like I wonder if I had missed something or 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 if there was a specific reason as to why they ended up in this random unnamed. No, what do they call it? It has a name, but it doesn't ex- exist as a real it's place. Like, they don't like mention in, a country. They, I don't think they mention it, but I think it's like in. It's supposed to be Porvenir. A... It's called Porvenir. Oh yeah, okay. But, yeah. but it, but that's you know that's not a country or, or anything. There's a place actually here that's called that, but but it doesn't look like that. Uh, so I was I was kind of trying to figure out why they would end up there, but I guess it doesn't really matter once the story gets going and once his focus is on you know them trying to get out. I guess which is the reason why they're all trying to do that, right? Right. So they've wound up socially blacklisted due to their crimes, their their transgressions. And the place is, I guess, bad enough where they have an opportunity to make some real money and hopefully change their situation, get out of there. Um, and I don't know. I, I, Oki, do you have a preference between these two films as to which version of the story you like better? Ooh, so, okay. So when I first talked to you, I said Sorcerer. Yeah. Right? And that was sort of because of like everything I mentioned earlier, the directing in Sorcerer is just, it's just better than Wages of Fear. Like it, it really is like a tour de force, like um, in just how the intensity that you get from it. Yes, there are intense scenes in Wages of Fear, but not anywhere close to Sorcerer, I would say. Sorcerer has way better characters, um, significantly better. And like you were saying earlier at the end, um, when um, the character who plays Joe, basically in in, in uh, Sorcerer, when he's dying, and and um, the character Roy Roy uh, Schneider Schneider or Schneider Schneider yeah, when he's like you know talking to him or whatever, you know it's not it doesn't have that same effect. Um, right before the end, where so there's also the two things that happen in Wages of Fear and Sorcerer where. In both movies, the the other guys in the other truck die in a very similar way. And Sorcerer, they start talking um, right before they die, and then randomly, abruptly, they blow up. It, it feels like it's the first time that they're talking. It feels like the first time that yeah. they're yeah, yeah. So you don't you don't have that kind of a character interaction. But fucking Sorcerer is such a cool, stylistic, intense, 
and well-directed movie. It is so like, um, there's just so much to it technically that it's just, I'm, I'm in awe of. So I can't really say, I don't know. Like, I think both of the movies, they do what they do really, really well. Um, when it comes to like just traditional storytelling, I would say, uh, uh, Wages of Fear is a better story, uh, and, uh, Sorcerer is a better film. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. I, I, I feel like I would agree with that. Uh, I rewatched both of them today. I had seen both, uh, especially Sorcerer, I, I've seen like three or four times over. Wages of Fear I watched maybe once when I was in my early 20s. So I, I, it's been a while since I've absorbed it, and I probably didn't get it all on the first go. So when I watched it today, I was um, really impressed with it. I had a much higher opinion of Wages of Fear than during my initial viewing of it uh, years ago. It, I might feel like it might be a better movie than Sorcerer. I don't know. I have I would have to sit on it a little bit longer, but I like Sorcerer more uh, because of all the reasons that you essentially outlined. And it's just a cooler movie in general. Everything about Sorcerer <clears throat> is cool. The title is cool. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that isn't cool this is Roy Scheider. He's just kind of a nerd, you know? He's kind of a dork. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't pick him as the lead in any movie. Uh, you know, like that part where he's where he's slashing at the fucking weeds with the machete and <laughs> going into the into water. You don't think that was like really intense? I like, think it like, would have been cooler with like Gary Busey doing that, doing that, or or a James Woods, or wh- who else was James Khan? James, James Khan would have been great. Hey, I I, I think James Khan was supposed to be the lead in this movie. Actually, no, no, it was um, what the, it's it, I think it was Steve McQueen. That's to be. right. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which? Oh wow. That, uh, which would have been cooler, which would have definitely been better. That would have been something. And that's not to sell Roy Scheider. I'm obviously I'm ragging on him right now. Rest in peace, Roy Scheider. Uh, but no, I mean he he does a good enough. He does good in this movie. He's a, he's a fine actor. He's just not like whoa, Roy Scheider. I got to check this film out. <laughs> Roy Scheider's in it. I um, think I I think what the the not having a relationship between those characters it's. I mean, I, I haven't seen Wages of Fear, so I, I don't understand the relationship. I don't know how, how close they are. And by what you guys are saying, uh, I don't know if that would improve the movie or not, having a, a, a relationship drama there in the middle of everything. But I, I like the fact that uh, the characters are so um, disposable, the four of them, mm. that when they die, they just die. And it's something that could happen, make, making it more realistic than... Uh, creating this backstory for them to just die when when we don't really need to know them. I think uh, Friedkin did a really good job, at, and the cinematographer, don't know who it is, but did a really good job at making such a shithole, like such a yeah. Yeah. such a shithole that it, I, I don't care who the characters are, I don't care what their background is, I don't care who the who they are as a person or what their relationship are. I feel for them just because they want to get out. So that for me is enough for me to care for their lives. So I don't need that relationship. And when they die, uh, it feels very uh, Omar from The Wire. You know, yeah. it's like uh, they're, they're just characters that, well, this happened because this is life and things like this happen and goodbye and you're dead and done and that's it. Uh, I find that to be a little bit more effective than uh, spending time getting to know them and, 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 and creating a relationship there between them for them to just die which just seems like a like a cheap way of of getting emotion out of the audience, uh, because well, how's like, that a cheap? Hold on, no characters dying uh, in a story is a cheap way of getting emotion. Like if you if you're comparing those two stories, like I don't think you need it. 
Uh, I think, I think what, what, well, hold, hold on. Uh, something that should probably be clarified then about Wages of Fear is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Oki, those characters are not like social rejects, right? They're just living in the third world working. Um, yeah, no, they're like, just they're kind of, they kind of get stuck there. Yeah. They, you know, and there's, it's really hard to get out of that place. So in, in Sorcerer, they're all like pretty, pretty much people on the lamb. And right. then, but in Wages of Fear, they're just all kind of layabouts and they just like, they kind of have odd jobs and they're, you know, they have enough to eat and drink. I think that's something that one of the right. characters said. But it, like, it, it is really organic the way, and that is kind of what works for um, Wages of Fear a little bit more than Sorcerer, I think, is that like, you do care. But what you're saying, Hans, which is really interesting, is that because it was so bleak, um, the setting that you were still invested and you were like, damn. I feel sorry for anybody in this situation. It's kind yeah. of what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, because they just want they want just want to get out somehow. And a uh, part that stuck in my head was uh, when one of them was asking about I think it was plane tickets to to go to a different country or something. And the guy said, "Yeah, if you have a thousand. and the character said, "Well, I have a hundred, which is as much as I've been able to save in a year." And that just made their situation just impossible. This is hell. We can't get out. Yeah. So when this situation comes along, I, I don't really need to know who they are. I just know that they're in hell right now and they need to get out. So that for me was enough to care for them. And when they died, it's very sudden and very, oh, fuck, especially because they just went through 20 minutes of very intense action of then maybe making it or maybe not. And then it's just boom, explodes and they die all of a sudden, like nothing. And that made it more impactful to me, I guess, than, than spending time getting to know them when I, I didn't really feel like I needed that. At least from this one. I don't know if the connection is different on, on the other, on the other movie. And in, in wages of fear, the, the prize that they're, I believe they're, they're lugging oil with them instead of nitroglycerin. Mm-hmm. Um, is two thousand dollars each man will get two thousand dollars <laughs> if they complete their journey which even in 1953 two thousand dollars what does that really come out to oh, um, not dude. not that much not worth your life um, and, you know, you, and you know like the, the fact like I, I, can we spoil we're we're allowed to spoil yeah yeah this, yeah, right? yeah yeah All so right. like the scene in wages of fear where he uh mario runs over um his, his friend, oh, his, part, his life partner, Joe. Joe, yeah, he's yeah. a gay male lover. He runs him over with a truck while trying to get through this pit, the oil pit, and like he he does it. He goes for it because he's not going to get stuck in the middle of the fucking uh, Amazon or wherever, right? And not get his two thousand dollars. He'd rather run this guy's leg over, and he essentially <laughs> kills him. He does. He, yeah, he's entirely he gets, responsible for his death. You know, and and still, even though he did that, he ran him over. He still gets stuck. He still gets stuck in the pit. It's Which... they they imply uh, in the lead up like, oh, he's dying, but it, like really, he's just kind of sleepy. He's just kind of sluggish. He's he's an older dude. He's got to be about like sixty years old. Uh, he doesn't have the energy that everybody else has. Uh, well, sixty in the fifties also. That's like a hundred and twenty now. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, there's no. Fucking barely any medicine. Everyone's dying of polio still. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. that's really what winds up doing him in. Is he? Do- and they show the leg too, which uh, made me cringe, like in a good it's way. Gnarly. Like, it's yeah. gnarly. It's gnarly. Yeah, especially for like a 1950s movie. It is. It's fucking gnarly. Yeah, it's it's really now, gross. 
Let me ask you. Let me ask you guys something because I don't know if it's just me being an uneducated swine, but I have a very hard time connecting with any movie that's earlier than seventy, I guess. Even Hitchcock movies, um, and uh, I think it's something that me and Loris have talked about before, where if it's because all of those movies have been uh, copied to death by modern day directors, right. a lot of yeah. the things that were a lot of things that were impressive at the time, we have seen them so many times that when you see those movies, you just see the tricks that they do and the things that they do, and they're not as impressive because we've seen them so many times, and not being exposed to them in their early age, uh, personally at least. Um, it makes it very difficult for me to even care about the stories, even the way they speak, uh, be able to connect with that just because I've never heard anyone talking like that. Okay, okay, uh, right, right. look here, Hans. See, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm yeah. Exactly. I want you to watch um, James Cagney White Heat, it is okay. paced better than most modern movies. It is just as as exciting as most modern movies. Even go back, I, you've probably seen Battleship Potemkin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that's an exciting movie, and that's like it's before even you know people are speaking in movies. It's uh, you know I think that the issue with a lot of people when they go back, they they go and they watch like Casablanca. You know, they go and they watch like the obvious. They go right. through the Criterion Collection. Go find some obscure random ass movie from that time and you'll find some crazy shit especially before like the Hayes Code shit started happening you know you'll, yeah. you'll find a lot of raunchy random ass cool ass stories um you know but like if, if you're just only gonna look at if you just only look at the things that are in the pantheon of great movies then it's gonna be boring as fuck and that right. that is like you know get through that shit do it if you want to but there's a lot of other stuff from every single era that is is better than 90 percent of stuff that came out just this year right to, i mean to what you're saying also like i i have not been one who is especially well versed on hitchcock and that's somebody who i got into during uh lockdowns last year and yeah. a lot of the reason uh why these films are iconic uh are, are because they introduce something to film which, to what you're saying, has been copied ten times over, so you've seen the evolutions of that, and it just doesn't really make it seem impressive. Uh, if you want a good Alfred Hitchcock film, uh, check out The Lodger. That's actually a silent movie, but um, like the, especially the opening 40 minutes of it is really cool and visually well done and eerie. Um, I think it's from 1922. It's probably on YouTube or something, but you got to watch out because okay. uh, it's called The Lodger, and it's like a Jack the Ripper movie. You say um, opening forty minutes. How long is this movie? The opening is forty minutes. <laughs> it's it's uh, well, it, it kind of falls off in the middle. It gets a little boring. All right, but okay. uh, everything up till then is uh, is very good. It's very very cool. Um, it's like the setup. Yeah, the setup. Right yeah, in the opening. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, most setups are like yeah, thirty to forty minutes. But yeah, yeah. sorry. Go on. Uh, they, no, I don't. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm just saying that modern cinema is better than because. Because I'm not. I'm definitely not saying that. Yeah, I guess you're my frustrated, dude. Just, my what? You're frustrated. It sounds like you you want to get into it. Yeah. Every time I, I every, every every time I check like a noir movie that I'm supposed to enjoy, it's just like okay, cool. I've seen all of this already. Done. Maybe not better, but I, I guess it just 
And and the same thing happened with The Exorcist to me. I, I saw it when I was like 18, 19. Uh, I, I saw scenes before I saw the movie. So when I watched it, it was kind of like whatever. Like it, it didn't have an, an, an effect on me at all. Uh, but uh, I have that issue with whenever I go back and try to check, like you said, the classics that I'm supposed to, uh, quote unquote, know. And, and they're usually very just boring and not, not well, very give, good. Give an example of a classic you found very boring. Uh, fuck you! I, I love it when you put me on the spot, and I never. <laughs> well, you don't have a nine letter box. I never, I never deliver whenever you put me on the spot. Hold on, let me think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not gonna be able to. Well, you up with you anything, you but... brought up Hitchcock, right? So, yeah, that was that he talked about last time. Okay, which which Hitchcock movie? Psycho. Psycho isn't. No, Psycho, I like, but I've seen I've seen that one multiple times. Uh, so uh, I I mean I I wouldn't even count that one as that era that I'm talking about uh, because they I I do believe they talk a little bit different than that. Not that, that that's like my cutoff. Whenever they change uh, the way they speak, that's when I, I I'm able to get into the source a little bit more. But I guess something like Rope, I guess. Rope. Okay. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting, and I like what he what he did to shoot it, but I just couldn't get into the story. It's just that I, I and I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the, the performances or the way they act or the way everything is shot. Uh, at the same time, whenever I watch something that's from the seventies, I love the way it looks and I love the way it feels. So I don't I, know. Well, I was going to say that's what I find inaccessible about a lot of movies from the nineteen sixties is just how saturated. A lot of the color tones are. Everything is very like, and not even vibrant in a good way. It just seems like, oh, they they were so excited to use color for the first time. Yeah. Once it became so simple, they wanted everything the most colorful it could ever look. Uh, that's something that I struggle with. What is, what is that shit that they use for North by Northwest? Like Cine, what was it called? Um, I gotta look this shit up. Um, let me think about that. Cinemascope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like they, yeah, everything's extremely vibrant because of the way it's like we have, we now have four hundred and eighty-three colors. Yeah, ready for you here. You know, like it's like, dude, this looks like dog shit kind yeah, of. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, to what you were saying though, the nineteen seventies, it really feels like everybody calmed down. Like, all right, why don't we just kind of rest in the grittiness of, of this film texture. And there wasn't, uh, you know, that, that ideal to heighten everything to that maximum. seems like, uh, you know, if, if you did have to have like one singular color palette for the 1970s, it would be something that is uh, probably more desaturated than what came yeah. before and after for the 60s and 80s. Yeah, muddy and gray, gritty. Gray. Yeah. yeah. It, like, um, it, uh, yeah, in the seventies too. Like um, a lot of that is is a response, just like the Vietnam War and Nixon, and like you, you watch a movie like Sorcerer, the like at the end. Yes, of course, Rages of Fear ends with the main character dying, but also you lot, watch a lot of movies in the seventies. The main character dies. Uh, Warren Beatty at the end of Shampoo dies. You know, it's 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 that kind of like this very nihilistic. Uh, fucked up tone that is is really awesome about the seventies. But you know, Hans, I would say like, dude, like you you shouldn't feel pressured to like things that you don't like. You know? Oh, I don't. Oh no, no, yeah, I don't. If at you all. don't like I, it, 
it's not a bad thing. Try and find other things. You'll find anything from any era. Like there's like people that'll find <laughs> musicals from. Oh no! Uh, yeah, have from, you watched from from musicals, that... Hans? Maybe you should start <laughs> you watching watch musicals. That. Sound of Music. Maybe that should just run That's around. A good movie. Uh, That's a good movie. No, <laughs> no see, no, uh, um, <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm really, I, like, I really don't. I really don't care about. Like, I like what I like, but. I guess it's just something that I've always kind of wanted to get into, and I, I've just struggled every time I've tried. And as soon as, as you jump from 69 to 70, it changes completely. And I don't know if it's because sometimes those old movies feel very surreal by the way they're shot. It, it, they kind of feel like a like a, a TV movie sometimes, just because of the format and the way they're shot, at least to me, uh, that I can't connect with it. And as soon as it turns into the 70s, where everything is just dready just just shitty and just real like i can connect with that a lot more than those stories from the 60s and i don't know it's not it's not about me wanting people to think that i that i like good things because i i don't i think i like more bad movies than good movies uh Mm -hmm. but but yeah it's just something that i've I've always struggled with and and when i started with watching wages of fear today um i was like all right this is something that i Seems like I need to put my full on attention uh, on it, and um, and that's why I did I didn't watch it. But it's it's usually yeah those old sixties and below. Movies Are you sure it struggle. wasn't uh, Snyder cut resentment because it was four by three in black and white? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, which was dog shit, by the way. That was no, like, no, was come so on, dog no. Shit, dude. I'm sorry, I could I made it like an hour and a half into that. Unbelievable. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, why are people hyping this dog shit? How many movie? hours? How many hours the rest did you? Like, um, I have hours? watched. I have watched a total of twenty hours of the Snyder cut. I've watched it. I watched it. Twi- I watched a bootleg version, and then I watched oh, you- the real version, and then I watched it again before we did a show on it, and then I watched the Justice is Gray one. So you are very oh, Schneider wow. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Dude, Hans, I think you should watch um and I do agree with you, a lot of um older movies do kind of have this kind of televisual aesthetic. Um, but if you watch stuff like um Fritz Lang, always like uh, yeah. I love Fritz Lang movies. Like watch a uh Metropolis or you watch M. Um and he has a bunch of other really great movies. Um and they are just like the visuals in that are they can um rival stuff that you see now just just based off of the peer like the cinematography of it and just the shots he was able to get. Like people don't get shots like that um anymore, even like it it would be very difficult for a modern crew to do what he did and he was doing right. that in like the twenties. Did you um, see the uh the interview? That William Friedkin conducted with Fritz Lang. No, I gotta see that. Yeah, what? there's <laughs> one from. Uh, I, so William Friedkin, before he became like William Friedkin director that everybody knows of, was a documentarian, and uh, he wound up getting yeah. an interview with Fritz Lang where they sat down for maybe about, I want to say it's like a good forty to sixty minute interview in the 1950s, maybe or early 60s, and it is a, a very interesting. Um, you know, engagement between the two. And I think he was talking a lot about like World War Two and what led him to wind up uh, leaving and how his, I think he said his wife was making propaganda films for the Nazis or something. I think he did as well, but he, he obviously would not say that. Um, right. There's a, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot in Fritz Lang's backstory that uh, has been analyzed and does not add up. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think Freed can ask him a little bit about that, but they don't get into it too, too in-depth. But it's still a very interesting uh, interview that I'd recommend. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a Nazi scientist who's just been embraced by Americans, regardless <laughs> of his questionable past. Yeah. Nicholas uh, Winding Refn likes to claim that his wife is the, is the seed of Fritz Lang, that, fr- that her mother slept with Fritz Lang, who would have been about 80 years old at the time and produced I, his wife. I've heard like a lot of crazy shit that uh, Nicholas Winding Refn has said. And uh, pretty sure he's very autistic. Oh, he certainly yep. is. He has one pose in all of his... Like, literally, go look at his, his uh, press photos. He does his, like... He does the fight pose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's... You want to fight? Want to fight, yeah. Yeah, that, that's his one pose. He's just um, primo autismo. Yeah, he's waiting for that, that match with Lars von Trier, his arch nemesis. He hates Lars von Trier, because Lars von Trier, I guess... <laughs> Which I, I saw that, yeah. His dad worked as an editor for Lars for a while. Like, the families are intertwined, so there's some sort of history there that the public does not know about. But he, whenever Lars is brought up, he doesn't ever waste an opportunity to bash him or call him a Nazi or a misogynist or something or another. I don't know. But it's very, uh, very entertaining. Who's your, hey, who's your favorite modern filmmaker, Oki? Whoa, that's tough. Uh, I think the Coen brothers. It's very good. Coen Brothers are, um, that's like the whole vibe of what, because I was writing screenplays before I started doing YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, like the whole thing that I've always wanted to do is that, uh, you know, life is stranger than fiction. You mix reality uh, with um, just insanity, right? And um, Coen Brothers, they would take things from, from reality. Like, uh, you know, Fargo, it's, it's loosely based off of a real life story. And it's just like, it, it is grounded in reality where you have this pregnant cop going around and solving mystery, but at the same time, you have Steve Buscemi being put through a wood chipper. And yeah, I just love the way that they just, it's, um, they, they, they're able to accomplish that. And that's ch- kind of what I try and do with uh, my YouTube channel and with, with any fiction that I try and write. It's, uh, it's usually that uh, kind of where it's... Um, in between the with the bounds of reality and fiction. And uh, uh, alternatively, who is your least favorite modern filmmaker? Uh, Mick G. Really? What? That's oh, not wow. a name that gets tossed around much. That's a very, like, 2008 pick. 2006. Yeah. Well, now he does all these, like, he did recently that, um, uh, what's that, the Vice he oh, just uh, pretty much just like takes things from modern history now and he <laughs> makes them into movies like not even like not even like modern history as in like Nixon like he'll just take like oh yeah the the fucking 2008 economic uh, crash happened <laughs> let's make that into a movie it's like so fucking lazy and then he has all these things and he gets all these stupid uh 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 head of celebrities moloch worshiping celebrities who rape babies like uh, margot robbie yeah. <laughs> he puts her in a fucking <laughs> hot tub it's like let me have this celebrity explain uh, uh you know the the stock market to you in, in the most base and simplistic way possible and i just hate every fucking thing that he touches i just i think he is cancer um I'm not going to say I want him to die, but I want him to die in a video game for sure. Well, 
Uh, I I don't know if I'm really all that familiar with Mick G. Did he he did like Charlie's Angels or I I I I I, I was did was not see Brett my Ratner? I get him and Brett Ratner confused all the time. No, um, Brett Ratner's also another one. Who's just shit. So he did um, uh, Charlie's Angels, uh, Fast Lane, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, We Are Marshall, Terminator Salvation. He's dog shit. Uh, Shadow Hunters, that's a TV show. Uh, he directed a couple of episodes of Lethal Weapon, the TV show. Oh, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, he, I guess his most successful one recently is the Babysitter movies that are terrible. For I read the script of that. I read the script of that way back when, actually. That was a Blacklist script, uh, the Babysitter um, uh, Netflix thing. I haven't seen the movie yet, but it was just kind of like this passingly fun thing. Um, I don't know if there's, the movie... No, anyway. There's two of them, and the second one has a 22% meta score, so I'm assuming that it's not... It's yeah. also a Netflix movie, so yeah, I'm not so expecting it's not quality. Be no, no, yeah. Yeah. So The Babysitter, the first one, was like a, it's, it was a blacklist script that was floating around since, like I think, like 2016. That's when I read it, and it was good. It was like this fresh, original thing, but it was also kind of like... It was like an okay genre thing. And yeah, I'm not surprised that they tried to remake that or he tried to uh, relight that candle and it didn't work because Mick G is a fucking hack. <laughs> <laughs> I would box Mick G. Can we set that up? <laughs> Can we set that up? Please. I, I, I wish we had that kind of sway to like put that out there and make that a thing. Or if I could even just get Mick G on the phone for a moment, that would be nice. The, what's what, what's Mick G? He's <laughs> a ginger, like McGee. That's your name. And so he can sound slick. So he can be a <laughs> hotshot Hollywood director. McGee. We got to get McGee on the phone. Yeah, dude. Have you heard the Christian Bale freak out? I love that. Yeah, yeah. McGee is in the background of that. He's he's the one directing the movie. Oh, that's in Terminator. That wasn't Terminator. That, that's yeah. Terminator Salvation. Yeah, that was the one where they got Christian Bale because I guess he had a contract with Warner Brothers to do X amount of films, and. uh yeah, he lost his shit because, like, the lighting guy came too close to him while they were getting a shot. Which I, I understand the frustration there, but... Uh... Got in my fucking shot, mate! You fuck! You fucked it up! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that, man. Um, oh, on the wow. topic of... He produces... He produces a lot of... Of garbage. Garbage. Of course he yeah. does. Uh, yeah. um, I want to get your take on William Friedkin and his filmography. Um Okay. Yeah, I, I gotta bring up, I gotta bring up his IMDb. Hold on, uh, William Friedkin. Let me see. All right. So, what about it uh, in particular? Ah, just your thoughts in general. I think that Friedkin is like just a fantastic director. Um, actually, you know, for a guy who's how old is he now? The dude was born in the thirty seventies, maybe eighty. I don't know. 35 he was born. I don't I don't know if I can do the quick maths here. But um like for what he was doing like now I'm seeing here like most of his early movies are just like documentaries, TV documentaries. So then The French Connection uh, his first his first movie is The The Boys in the Band which just got remade by Netflix recently by I think Ryan Murphy. And of course, mm. it's like Zachary Quinto and all these of terrible. Of course, uh, uh, yeah. God damn, it was a uh, it was like a late oh. '60s or early '70s uh, like gay male party 
movie. One, the dirt. You said the dirt. The dirt. I don't know. I I didn't see it, but I saw that was like a rock band movie. Jeff Tremaine's The Dirt about Motley Crue. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, exa- it's exactly like that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah. That, I'll tell you what, though, for a Netflix movie, that movie is not that bad, and especially for a Netflix movie starring Machine Gun Kelly and Pete Davidson. Oh God! That's, yeah, no. That those are your two stars. Exactly it, I'll tell you what. That I'll is- tell you what, though, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> That's exactly why I don't know if it's good or bad, because those it's are your all, two. All of the people who pretend to like cruising, you know, it's, it's just all. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so he does he's... Boys in the Band. He then he, I think he want Exorcist might be his fourth film. I think yeah. it goes. Um, well, okay, so I, I I haven't seen most of these. I think so. I saw. Okay, let me say what I saw here. I saw The French Connection, Exorcist, Sorcerer, Cruising. Live and Die in L.A., uh, and then Bug and Killer Joe. That's what I got. That's not bad. That's essentially like greatest hits. Uh, there's a lot in there that can be skipped. I, I got to watch Rampage, man. You were saying to watch um, Rampage, I think. Or no, what was what was the movie where um, where it's uh, what's his what's it called? Where it's was he's trying to find his daughter who did porn. Oh, hardcore! A... Hardcore yeah. is Paul Schrader, George C. Oh, Scott. Oh, that's a Paul Schrader. Okay, yeah, never, yeah. My bad. yeah. Another guy from that era, who um, not not really like Fried. Well, I guess kind of like Friedkin has a period where he drops off, and then he comes back and does like a couple of good movies. But now, I mean, oh, William Friedkin put out a documentary in I think 2015 or 2016 called "The Devil and Father of More," and it is unwatchably bad it may it makes you feel bad for him like being an old man because it, it falls victim to all sorts of old man editing tricks that clearly impress him but are like <laughs> not impressive for for 2015 2016 um, it, it's you, uh it's bad have you seen that paul paul schrader movie with like willem dafoe and nicholas cage i think yes. it's like uh dog eat dog i kind of in a way kind yeah. of like it I really like that movie. That movie is a yeah. mess, but it is entertaining, is funny. Yeah. It, it feels like he took Tarantino's style and meshed it with uh, somebody else. Off the top of my head, it, it's McG. not. No, yes, yeah, Tarantino <laughs> McG. All the stars of the 90s. Um, no, it, actually, it kind of gets David Lynchian at the at the end of it mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage getting pulled over and he kidnaps is this a couple. The soldier is, is that the soldier movie where he where he goes nuts? No, Nicolas Cage. No, that's the other. No, okay. I don't that's know the other modern one. Oh, that was Dying of the Light. Dying of the Light is yeah. terrible. Oh, <laughs> you got to see that movie, Oki. Dying of the... no, don't watch Dying of the Light. Watch Dark. He released yes. his own version. So they took Dying of the Light away from him. That was the movie he was working on. Refn is a producer on it. And it stars Nicolas Cage and Anton Yelchin. And they turned it into like the, the most generic direct-to-DVD action film. So then he found some dailies and uh, recut it in his spare time and put it on Pirate Bay with a little note. And that version is called Dark. And it's kind of visually interesting, but it's still bad. And he's going to, like a terrible, what was it, an ear? Like a giant fucked-up ear he was wearing? Or a nose? What was it, Hans? I don't remember. I don't know. He's got some. He's got some prosthetics that are not, not good. Really bad. Uh, but he's supposed to be like a war veteran who 
who succumbed the, the, to injuries or something. I don't know. The the Paul Schrader movie, oh, Thief and Cock, recently, the Priest one was really good. Yeah, I First thought. Reformed. That I really liked that. That was that was very well done. Um, uh, the commentary for that movie is also uh, very enlightening to Paul Schrader's process because apparently a good portion of the the shots in that movie are just bought stock footage, which I would not have guessed. Really? Yeah, more than just like the the sequence where Amanda Seyfried's laying on top of him and then they just like hover out. Into that the was universe. that was pretty shit. Yeah, that was, was the worst part. That's that was bad. yeah, but, but by everything far, else was good. Yeah. I that also, I also felt very old man, you know, yes. very old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he he details how he got that movie made and a lot of the steps taken and how it was shot. Actually, pretty close to where I'm at, which does not look or feel like upstate New York at all, which I, I think is what they're trying to sell. Uh, so, yeah, he he's somebody who is also great on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen any of his Facebook statuses, but. Wow. They they are phenomenal. Very horny. <laughs> very very, very H word <laughs> all the time. Yeah. A lot of uh, why can't you say this to women anymore? Why did I, <laughs> they kick me out of this online poker group because I said, "Hey, you're 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 a very beautiful lady. Are you single?" And I things like him. that. He's. I love the guy. He's such a character. <laughs> I love that he like yeah. It's it's funny. Like you see like shit like um, especially older older thespians or older directors and they just they stop giving a fuck like you see william shatner yeah and it's just like he's like he goes on 4chan you know like, yeah yeah <laughs> what the fuck is he up to and he's like he's beefing with red letter media and like he, yeah. he just he does his own thing it's just like yeah i love it when these old ass dudes from a bygone era are just somehow um still putting their their whole thing out there yeah, and if you're Shatner, I mean, didn't he just celebrate a, a 90th birthday recently? Like he's, he's really old. He's really old. Yeah. So I mean, what what more? I, he doesn't have to like put any veneer up to impress people or make people feel okay with him. He's he's very accomplished. He'll always be Star Trek guy or whatever. T.J. Hooker. People love T.J. As much Hooker. as he uh, as much <laughs> as he hates Hooker. being a Star Trek guy, it's so funny how whenever he's interacting with Star Trek nerds. He's not interested at all, and they're freaking out all the time. He's just like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that." Yeah, that's yeah. I, I, I was I in that? Yeah, cool. I who cares? It's the only thing. He's been yeah. caring for fifty years about this shit that I don't even remember. <laughs> it's great. But, like you got to think that that was a thing he did, and it lasted three seasons, and then you know, it all him. of a sudden, like I guess it played on TV, you know, enough, and it got syndicated, and then all of a sudden it's like this big thing, and he's like. I am a classically trained thespian. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I am uh, not Captain fucking uh, Kirk, okay? He sings, right? He has that Rocket Man song that, well, he croons, oh, kind yes. of. yes. Yeah, him and Leonard Nimoy both yeah. put out albums of wow. like, just them doing like the worst singing. And it's like, yeah. it's beautiful. Leonard Nimoy also had a passion for, for photography. Yep. Did you know about this? He really <laughs> is it, appreciates is it, it. Well, I don't, I mean, it's bad not, is subjective when it comes no, to I mean, art, you know, it's, it's, it's more, uh, in a, it's uh, appreciating the female form. You know, he really loves uh, morbidly <laughs> obese women. If you Google Leonard Nimoy ph photography, you will find like two books worth of 300 to 400 pound women. 
Okay. He loved rolls. He, yeah. he, oh, he really wow. Did. I remember I first came across this when I was a youngster, uh, when I was on my way to school, and he was on the radio for the local station being interviewed, and I was in the car with my mom, and that's just what started playing on the radio, and it got really awkward, and uh, she had to turn the station. So, yeah, he <laughs> he so loves fatties. Fat women. Yes. Holy yeah. Shit. I remember uh, Googling him and finding his website very early. I don't know if his website looks the same. Uh, it was just a black, dark, really just everything was black. And it was a gallery of black and white photos of fat women. And I was like, is this fuck? Like, what the Did fuck? Did you think you got lemon partied? I don't know. I didn't know what it was. And then I think his picture was in it. So I was like, I guess, I guess he's got, you know, that taste. That's good for, good for him, I guess. I just wasn't expecting Mr. Spock to be so horny. You know? Wow. Yeah. God damn. Well, people are allowed to have their interests, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway, anyway, here's how we figure out though if it's actually like him, like that's something he likes, or he was just trying to be um, like artistic. What does his wife look like, or what did his wife look like? I right? feel like I might have looked this up before, and she might be skinny, actually. Yeah, so he's not. He's not. Yeah, he's, he's saying she's skinny. He hides, it. he hides it from his wife. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he was trying to like feed her, and it just didn't work. Yeah, maybe she just has a really good metabolism. Yeah, there you go. And to be fair, a fucking Star Trek nerd being a feeder would not fall out of everything you see in those shows whenever there's a gigantic woman on TLC or whatever. There's always like a little dweevy dork that feeds her. Yeah, they're always like really skinny dudes. Yeah. And they're with these like humongous women. It's like this weird kind of like uh, pathology there. That I, I've never cracked, you know. Maybe it's they feel insecure or subconsciously insecure about their lack of mass. Uh-huh. And, and so they want like a like a big mommy figure who will protect yeah. them. I don't know. I can see that, yeah. It's like the giantess kind of like. Yeah, that no, that, that one I really don't understand. They want to be stepped <laughs> on and st- like it's a Godzilla woman. That's yeah, they just want ridiculous. the woman to like become, yeah, literally like uh, extremely uh, tall. and Yeah. Yeah. Hans, if you had to take a twenty-foot woman or or six hundred pound woman, <laughs> oh Jesus, what would you rather? Oh God damn! Okay, is it twenty-four feet? Is it proportional? Like, is she just long, or is every? Does she have like a have a four feet long vagina? I don't know. I don't know. You just got to play the odds and hope it comes out right. I I rather that one. I think. I bet she have tons of spinal problems. She probably have to lay down all the time. I gotta yeah. say that twenty four feet. It's like okay, so that's seven, seven, seven uh, feet and, and three inches, right? So okay, that's, that's like, not. It's not. It's like you know, that's a bass. That's a WNBA all star, right there. So like, I mean, you could probably, you know, <laughs> if she's proportional <laughs> enough, she's not like you know, <laughs> she's not too it's tall, right? <laughs> She just needs a lot of money to adjust the world around her. Uh, At least you can fuck her. You can't fuck the 600-pound chick. No, you can. The, the, the problem is that you can fuck everything because there's so many holes <laughs> that you don't know what yeah. you're fucking. Well, there you go. Uh, okay. but, but I would definitely prefer a giant woman even if, yeah, yeah. A giant woman in, in length, not in mass. Um, yeah, 
It's a thing of smells too. I mean, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a uh, very scent person, like scent guided person. I don't know if I'm stinky fatty. Anyway. <laughs> any, anyway, yeah. So, uh, Sorcerer was crushed by Star Wars. I think Star Trek was probably dead around that time. There's a gap between Star Trek the movie and uh, Star Trek. Is that it? That's a Star Trek outfit on your wall, Oki. So you should you should have an idea of this, right? So what? Are yeah, you, yeah. George, what is? I was th- really into Star Trek when I was like fourteen to like sixteen. It was on television all the time. Something I watched every day after school. I watched like fucking TNG, uh, the original series, and Voyager play on the Space Channel. All three of those. Love that shit at the time um the star trek original movie was just like this weird pastiche of uh uh what's it called a uh, um a space odyssey why am i like blanking here on this like obvious stanley kubrick movie oh 2001 yeah yeah i don't know why i just completely blanked there anyway um it was just like a pastiche of that it was like they were trying to do that exact same kind of thing and it was just boring and weird the best Star Trek movie, uh, probably Wrath of Khan, and then the fourth one. Uh, the Whale. Yeah, The Whales. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. What, what, what's the deal with uh, part four? Isn't that, is, is that the one where they merge the cast of the 60s one with the 90s one yeah. or the Patrick Stewart one? Rather? No, 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 no. That's Generations. Oh, that's Generations. Like, that's like the ninth one or something. Yeah. That's the one where, like, yeah. Um, they're in different dimensions and they have their own form of heaven or something. Yeah. I used to watch those movies in the show all the time, but yeah, I stopped eventually. It just got kind of boring. I watched, uh, I think I watched like three episodes of, it might've been called enterprise, whatever the Scott Bakula one was. Cause I kind of like quantum oh. leap. I wanted more quantum leap. So oh, I checked wow. that out. Uh, but it was mullet, not for me. Mullet Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. No, he was older <laughs> at the time. He was like in his forties at least. Yeah. Oh, that was the '90s one, right? No, well, no, no, one no. Of the it was, it was early on. It had to be like 2000 2000. to 2003, yeah. sometime nice. around then. It was on Sci-Fi Channel, I believe, or UPN or whatever. I don't know, whatever network that I started, was. I started. I started getting into the classic one, old. Now that I'm old, like I had no interest in it at all when I was younger, and I would just get high and watch the the original series, and it's such a it's such a safe feeling that it gives you. Like it's so it's camp contained and so yeah, exactly. It feels like mm. like like the Batman, like my favorite Batman, which is the sixties Batman. Yeah, sacrilege to say, but that's my favorite Batman because it doesn't take itself serious at all. And when you watch the the original Star Trek, it's it's very much like that. And everything is so episodic, and in the episodes, not a lot happens. So it's a lot of them just running around. And, and, and but for whatever reason, it has that feeling of old tv where it's just like comfort you know you feel I, very- lo- I love that kind of shit where it's like kind of like it's 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 campy it's it's kind of all off kilter because it, it's it's just so um uh dated but at the same time it's so it's so by the numbers and you can just see the writing room and they're just like we gotta put this thing out we gotta put yeah. this thing out by this <laughs> by the end of the week we gotta put out 14 episodes Let's go, let's go. You know, and it's, it's like we don't we don't need a, a fighting expert or or anyone that's going to come that. up with anything that None looks realistic. That. Yeah, it's just you got Shatner, can you fight? Do you have any muscles in your body? Not really. I have a barrel. <laughs> I have a barrel chest and a chin. 
Good enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, who's the dude? Who's the dude in the first Planet of Apes? Uh, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Yeah. It's like you know, Kirk looks like Charlton Heston. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like this kind of flabby, fat dude, and he's just like he he throws punches, and it's awkward, and it looks terrible, yeah. but it's like you but, know, he but he's it. so it's, hot and so charismatic that he fucks aliens too. It's not just humans. So, I mean, he fucks, is that you know? something you were thinking while watching? Oh, he's so hot. I'm so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I really, I really do enjoy the scaled down nature of a lot of '60s, and this was also something with Wages of Fear, where you, you can see that they're just kind of like sitting in a car, and then there's a background playing behind them. They're not actually driving, unlike Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with like the Star Trek series, I like how it's very clearly just a set, and there's like cardboard yeah. props and ba- for the background and this and that. It's uh, the light. Every button is a light. They just pretend to touch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. For yeah. some reason, like I, I can, I can do hours of that in a film, uh, and it is seemingly more accessible to me than tons of CG, this and that, and what have you. Like so I, real, and, and like you can just like think about like the production behind it, and there's something about that that's so charming. Yeah, I think just the the natural physicality of it. The, the fact that you know that this is a real thing, that yeah. the image that you're seeing is not composited together by, like, Weta or, or, or whatever, uh, just makes it all the more uh, visually accessible. Yeah, They're all like, in, too. The, the actors, is very cheesy acting, but but they feel it. Like, you can see that they right. believe so they're in this That, that has space. to be part yeah. of it, right? And I know, yeah. I think it was Ian McKellen or, or one of these Lord of the Rings actors said this as well. Uh, when he was complaining about having to act with like a tennis ball on a green screen set, like it, it, it's of course it's going to change your performance, and this is why like all you see all the Marvel movies and everyone's just giving like a level five performance, yeah. you know, because uh, they're, they're not acting with any anything around them really. I mean, they're lucky if they have fellow performers in the shot to to it's bounce. Green warehouse, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It's um. You're talking about Weta. Is that is that where they kind of like composite everything and like a, a they do like the storyboards and like the CGI kind of thing beforehand? They're, a, they're a, I think they're in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, they're one of the more well uh, regarded special effects houses. I know that they, they they did the Lord of the Rings films. They did King Kong. They did the Snyder Cut. They did uh, all all the big CG spectacles of like the past twenty years. Okay, so I thought you were talking about how they so what they do with Marvel movies now is they they storyboard it um all like completely all the shots before the movie's even made. Um and mm-hmm. so you can you can pretty much watch the movie uh, and it's all done computer generated before the movie's even shot. Oh wow. And, and yeah, like it I... is so detached from any human hands when you when you do it like that yeah it feels very mechanical to to say the least and you're looking at spectacle we're talking about a movie sorcerer and i was talking about earlier how like how you know you can't make this movie anymore there's no one who's gonna put the money and time and effort into something like this anymore and it's so fucking intense and the tension is just based off of a fucking truck and then you, you look at these Marvel movies and all of it is weighted upon these incredible spectacles and CGI uh, extravaganzas. And it just feels meaningless and weightless and shallow. 
Yeah. And what the fuck is the point of this? If it's like, it's just, it, the whole point is just like to give you dopamine and that's it. And it's not to engage you in any other way other than just to like make your brain chemicals fucking fire for a little bit. Right. It's, it's, it's shit. It's dog shit. They've well, that... they've done a great job of uh, I think swapping or not even really swapping because TV's not impressive anymore, but turning film essentially into what television was before, where the only reason why you're showing up at the theater is because you're you're still hooked on the idea that there's going to be some payoff here that you watched all 20 films that led up to this one, uh, and and that there's going to be some kind of reward at the end of it. Uh, and that was supposed to be, I guess, like Endgame or Infinity War where everybody died and they were brought back for the next one. And then one or two major players died because their contracts were up and they knew better than to continue on down this path. The movies um, have turned into the WWE. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's like reoccurring characters and they come back and we're going to do the th- same thing again, same storylines. And, you know, this is what people like. And it's, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's trash. Um, you know, Sadly, I actually had I'm actually not supposed to talk about this, so I'm not going to talk about any specifics. I have a thing that I, I, one of my videos being adapted into a docu series actually. And at first when the producer who called me, what he said was like we can't turn this into like a like a um, like a feature because we can't have this amount of lions in, in this in this in this uh movie. We, we we just can't have this. In the seventies, they would have done that. Oh yeah, yeah. So r- roar, you know? roar, right? Yeah, roar. <laughs> have, you have you seen, seen roar, roar, Loki? I don't know what that is. Oh, you got it. You have to check out Roar. Trust me, this yeah. is this, Roar no, no, is a better version not, of Jaws. You're not getting what I'm saying here. I made a video about Roar. Oh. 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 <laughs> I'm lost, I think. So you're not getting what I'm saying here. No. So I'm not supposed to talk about it. Right. They are they are adapting my thing, but the oh, producer wow. he said it. He <laughs> said we can't have these many lions and tigers in 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 a, in a movie made about this thing. Oh. We cannot do that feasibly do that anymore. Well, I I I think a lot of that has to do with just the idea of what kind of role a director serves on a on a set nowadays right you don't have the william freaking types or um who did roar who's the director of roar uh no 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 marshall yeah you don't have guys like that anymore who decide to buy 80 lions and then sell their homes so they can take care of the lions and then endanger their <laughs> their children and their wife um yeah i i so somebody like william friedkin too like the stories that came out about him on the set of the exorcist where he's just firing a gun behind Ellen Burstyn's head or whatever to try and get the right reaction shot. And he, nobody knows he's even carrying a gun on him. Like that, that. that would never be tolerated. Now they don't like you even saying anything negative about somebody who might be under the same agency as you, uh, let alone pulling stunts on a set. So I think it's part partially that it's a lot of, well, we can just take care of this with, with CG. There's no reason to fly out a crew to Brazil or wherever it might be. Um, I, it's gotten so far away from what it was originally because there's some sorry i I was just gonna say just because and this is something i i said recently about um like that amazon store where you don't have to uh address like a clerk or anything you just walk out with the stuff after you scan it uh they mistake certain conveniences 
for uh, progress just because they are conveniences. When in actuality, I think you lose a lot of the character of an experience when you go down that route. It is that kind of weird thing where it's like, yeah, this this works, so don't don't try and fix it. It worked before. Keep doing that, you know. But as this technology progresses, people think that oh, that's the only way to do it now, which is this weird kind of thing where you don't have any historical historical perspective and it's so easy to see that historical historical perspective but it, it, it seems completely lost in the people who are making movies now mm-hmm. so well there's not really there's not really many like you said how many directors have any power anymore where the uh, studio is going to give them i don't know 40 million to make their vision like not 40 you million can, you can... oh sorry you know, yeah, you, you can count. You can count them with maybe what two hands directors that you that you that a studio would trust them. Maybe not blindly, but will give them a free hand to do whatever movie they want. James uh, Cameron. Uh, oh yeah, he's been Nolan. working on the Avatar sequels for forty years or so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Never coming out. <laughs> James yeah. Cameron. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you uh, have people like like Refn and and uh, oh, Trier, Refn. I guess, who do no. their own thing, but it's not a studio or not someone that's going to have a huge budget. I guess they do their own thing, but you know, every everyone that gets money now seems to be just like a studio shill that is going to play the game that the studio wants you to play, but they're, they're not going to step away very far from those lines that they draw for you. You got to understand though that it's never it hasn't changed since the beginning of filmmaking. It's always been like this. It's always been a cynical process of what makes money is, is what's king. So, yes, right now we're in a stage where and you know Spielberg predicted it's going the bubble is going to burst like the westerns. You know, COVID won't even kill this. We'll still have WandaVision. Yeah. You know, it's going to still continue. It's what people want to see. And what people don't want to see is a, is a nihilistic, sad, fucked up movie like Sorcerer. So you know that that kind of shit is always going to be like I, I I think I've I, I've got gotten to the point now where like you know I, I went through that whole stage where it's like yeah movies should be better man we should make should make better movies we should have movies that are funded that are great and it's 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 important for American cinema. And it's important for um, a lot of reasons. But now it's like, no, all of those movies were made at at the behest of people who actually gave a shit about it and went against all odds against them. Um, There has never been a time period where, maybe in the 70s at one point, where they kind of gave some money out. But it's always been a struggle. It's always been a struggle to actually make good art. Um, And commercially shit that people can like you know now what we have is we have algorithms we can do algorithms and we can look and see exactly what's going to work and we can we can focus group people like crazy and we can use the algorithms on the focus groups yeah and we can figure out exactly what is going to work for people and we can get joss whedon to to to, <laughs> to fix it to make everything <laughs> to better bump up the fucking script and make the, 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 the dialogue quippy. And you know what? Gosh. Good luck. Go ahead. Do that. But there's always going to be people out there making good film and uh, films and good art and, and 
they're always going to struggle doing that. And they're not going to make that much money doing that. That's just, that's reality of life. The, uh, the, the one instance I can think of where things did start to turn is you, you mentioned it, the 1970s, because of uh, the success of Easy Rider. And then Warren Beatty and his crew kind of co-opting that in the BBS movement uh, changed the priorities of the studios for 10 years, maybe 10 years. And then it all came crashing down. And that's where you get Indiana Jones and Star Wars and this and that throughout the 1980s. It all reverts right back. So, I, look, I actually think there's a pretty reasonable opportunity because everything is going to streaming now uh, for the independent film the interesting, good, well-made independent film to potentially make a comeback uh, because there is a need to up the numbers of just videos that are available on these platforms. And there's so many niche platforms now. I, I mean, you obviously have, like, the big three in Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. But now Paramount Plus has, like, a fairly good library of um, of TV shows, at least. And you have HBO Max that's trying to offer some competition and criterion channel. So if more of these start to prop themselves up, there could be an opportunity for that. You might have some of these boutique distributors like Arrow or, or whatever make their own films. I know somebody was doing that. One of these, uh, one of these companies uh, that we were looking at recently, like Vinegar Syndrome, I think it might have been, mm. uh, is now also producing films because of the success of their, their Blu-ray Blu line where they refurbish old weird movies it used to be porno movies and then they got yeah, into yeah. like uh schlocky films in the 70s yeah, yeah exploitation so i think there's uh, as great of an opportunity now than there has been uh probably in 20 years 30 years uh just given the accessibility of everything i yeah i think so i i mean i hope the best i think that what you know movies are going to go the way of like plays and theaters uh you know like the theatrical production plays you know where there's going to be people who are you know they're sophisticated and, and they're they're the ones who enjoy this certain thing and they are going to be you know the ones who put money into this and there's going to be yeah select boutiques um that put out certain um old films or you know but at the same time, I don't think that, like, you know, film will ever get back to the place it, it was in the 70s or even the 90s. Yeah. Even the fucking 90s. Where, <laughs> like, you know, and the 90s were shit. <laughs> the 90s I've, were I've come around to the 90s. I kind of view the 90s now as like the 70s part, too, because there were so many good indie filmmakers that came up in that time that but you like, don't who... get in any other decade. Okay, so you got like yeah, Noel Baumbach, and then you got like wow, that's Noel name. Baumbach is that's the first one you throw. One. Up? <laughs> right, okay, okay, my, my bad, my bad. All right, hold on, hold on. Hold, Kevin hold, Smith, hold Kevin, yeah, <laughs> Jim Jarmusch, <laughs> Jim Jarmusch, Kevin Smith is shit. Uh, Kevin Smith is dog shit, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kevin Smith is so bad. Kevin Smith got lucky with one fucking like uh, thing that he yeah he you don't think his tears are cute. Part. You don't think his sad puppy dog eyes are adorable? Oh, yeah, what he's crying about, the flash, <laughs> or what he's crying about. Yeah. I want to punch him. <laughs> I want to punch him. That's every old fan uh, feels that way now. Dude, I have, like, a fucking... Wait, hold on. 
Clerks X, the special yeah. edition. Yeah. Like, I mean, I have this shit here, but, like, it's like, fuck Kevin Smith. Man, uh, what what a disappointment he he became. There uh, was there was a whole um, uh, thing in the '90s where they were just like any du- new director, you know, they have like a you know Sun- Sundance came out and you know there was only like a hundred people who like submitted movies to Sundance when it started, right? That's why Kevin Smith is a thing, mm-hmm. and now there's there's a hundred thousand, so right. you can't. If there's no Kevin Smith that's going to happen randomly. Like, that guy, he just was a flash in the pan that worked randomly. If, you know, maybe his best film was probably, like, Dogma or something, and even that was, like, kind of a fluke. But, like, you're just not going to have another Kevin Smith or Robert Rodriguez or, you know, any of those people who... Or even a Quentin Tarantino. You know, Quentin Tarantino, he, he, good luck trying to fucking make a movie now if you're quentin tarantino you're gonna still be fucking working in a uh you know um a movie shop if 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 you're if you're him well a lot a lot of his story is not in his version of the story about how he met harvey weinstein and actually a lot of the networking that was involved there he likes to brush over that he likes to go with the more romantic yeah i was working in a video store and i just sent in my script and they said hey you're gonna be a big director kid why don't you do this film (laughs) It's like, oh, really? It's that simple? Gee, Mister, great. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think uh, a lot of the problem is we've become so self-referential as a culture that, uh, you know, you have these these people who came up in the '90s who then go on to become entertainers in a certain regard and tell their stories about how they did this and that. And Kevin Smith is probably like the the biggest culprit as far as that goes. He's made a living just talking about how he got his launch with clerks how he made a career out of twenty thousand dollars and a lot of people go to that playbook instead of observing their surroundings and trying to follow a path that actually works for the environment that we're in right now um and they just wind up failing they don't they, they don't know where to go it doesn't actually pan out how they would expect so i think that that probably plays a part and um i also feel like the like the the availability of equipment and everything else for whatever reason just the excess of it makes it so that it's more difficult to become it's oversaturated it it's it's certainly oversaturated but I, I what i was trying to communicate is though and i'm i'm not going to probably word it how i have it in my head anyway i feel like the the readily availableness of everything that you na- need to make a film like almost like cripples people or handicaps people from from doing certain things or or trying experimental things. I don't know. I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. Just no, I, I I can definitely see that. Like you, you you now have the ability just to do it yourself, and that is um that is a hill to climb. You're gonna constantly second guess yourself. I like, I mean, I just make YouTube videos and I constantly second guess myself. So, you know, if I was to make a fucking feature, <laughs> you know, I would definitely second guess myself constantly yeah. and be like, is this what I want to put out into the world? I, I, oh, you know, I know people five years, they have their feature and they, and they just oh. haven't finished editing it. Oh, and God. it's just, it's just there. <laughs> you know, I know so many people like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's that's something that happens. Uh, <laughs> I know I know plenty of people like that. <laughs> um, so, hey, you you interviewed John McAfee, didn't you? Yes. Can, you, you... can we just can we hold that thought real quick? Because I got to pee. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll talk about um, well, Hans, what do you want to talk about? Hans, have you seen any? Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, Which, because you you mentioned the 90s, which 90s director do you think is still putting out quality? I think Tarantino is putting out quality. I don't think, I mean, we can go down the list. Kevin Smith isn't. Obviously, we talked about that on our episode with Robbie. Um, Richard Linklater has kind of fallen off, but he's still delivering like a steady, um, like a steady product anyway that, is not even bad. if it's it's not outright even if it's bad. the same yeah the same right thing it's, it's just a certain again. level of sameness uh spike lee we know how you feel about spike lee it's because he's a black filmmaker um no yeah, i think spike lee don't fucking put that <laughs> out there as a fact shit. <laughs> no um no, no i so... i i mean i i liked i liked uh some of the movies he, he put out recently on the first go and then on subsequent viewings not so much uh, so I think he's probably closer in the Kevin Smith bin than, yeah, what about like a PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, I mean he's kind of a more acquired taste. Has he got a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. What is the the last thing he did was that? Uh, PTA. Last thing yeah. he did was it wasn't inherent. Oh, it was uh, what was it? The uh, the. Daniel Day Lewis movie that he came out of retirement. The dress, for. the dress movie. Did you really have to use the bathroom, or were you just sharpening your blade the entire time? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. What's up, guys? I got. Uh, I can do the rest of this with the holding the katana. You should. You absolutely yeah. should. We were just going down the list of uh, '90s filmmakers who are actually still good today, and we decided Kevin Smith is not, which you obviously agreed with before. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, probably not. Richard Linklater is kind of boring. Uh, Spike Lee's fallen off. I like Tarantino's newer stuff, but I know uh, you know people have their opinions about him. I, I can like you think of lot. He's more eighties though. He had a, he had like four or yeah. five films. Yeah, you're right. Uh, prior to the nineties, um, hmm. Vincent Gallo. We don't know. We we, we we've yet to see. <laughs> he doesn't he make like movies and like. When was the last movie he made? He did he did the Brown Bunny, but if, he's done at least two feature films in secret that are finished that have been done that he will never show to the public. He says, so really? we can't, we don't know. Uh, who else is a '90s guy? Like Jones. Yes. Yeah. Well, what did he do last? Her, I think. Yeah, that My was hunt? that was eight years ago. Her was 2013. Yeah, yeah it was. I enjoyed her. I remember seeing that like Christmas morning. I saw that because Wolf of Wall Street was sold out and I didn't check the theater before because I I thought I was living in 1995 and you couldn't buy tickets online. Dude, Um, I I, I watched Wolf of Wall Street and her the exact same and Inside Lewin Davis the exact same day. That's a good trio. 2013 was great for movies. Yeah. It is funny that sometimes there's randomly just like, uh, yeah, those those years that just like things pop off like that. Uh, 2013 also had Place Beyond the Pines, Spring Breakers. Um, I, I like t- both of those movies a yeah. lot. I, I, I what about was, the, what yeah. are the Oscars for this year? 
What's what's happening There's there? No Oscars this year. Huh? <laughs> we don't, we don't have to talk about that. I hope Alex Jones like shoots all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking baby fuckers. Oh my god! What? So we're, we're going to tune in for three hours so we can see Nomadland win. That sounds like a great time. Uh, so we can see Frances like... McDormand win another award and say something with her mean scowling face. Great. With her De- Willem Dafoe face. <laughs> yeah. She does look like Willem Dafoe. You're Jesus. right. Oh my god. Uh, Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne is somebody who kind of falls mm-hmm. off in the middle, but I liked the Beach Bum and I like Spring Breakers. I haven't seen uh, Beach Bum yet. It's pretty good. It's uh, it's not like any of his movies before. It's very like hammy comedy, but it's Matthew McConaughey, Harmony Corinne, same cinematographer as Spring Breakers, and Martin mm-hmm. Lawrence is very funny in it too. So I thought it was good. Uh, Martin Lawrence is a good comedic actor. Yeah, yeah. He's he's somebody who. Uh, I think gets brushed under the rug nowadays because of Big Mama's House one through three, and people kind of undervalue him. But he's fucking great. I like those movies. I like yeah. him in that, and I like him in uh, what's it called, Blue Streak. Blue Dave Streak yeah. in that movie as well. That's a sick. That's actually a good movie. I, I think that's like. Well, it's not good. It's like it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. The 90s are the perfect era for not good movies, but fun movies, I think. Yeah. A lot of comedies like watch, that. Do you guys watch Black Knight with Martin Lawrence? Yeah. That movie was my like my my childhood. It would just repeat. Like, they would just replay it over and over again on TV. That's yeah, so when he just... goes back into medieval times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always remember that, that scene where he, 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 he lights the, um, what's it called? The lighter. And then he's like, "Yeah, it's I got fire here." And they're like, "It's just fucking fire." Like, you know, like, do you remember that scene? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, no. no, I just remember him wearing like a jersey with like an armor or whatever. But what the VHS um, art, the poster art of the movie? That's what you remember. Very, he was very, very underrated in those times. And, and yeah, like you said, uh, unfortunately, Big Mama's House have made it into this. I guess Eddie Murphy in the '90s figure, uh, where it's just fat suits, but. He's usually very good in that in those Bad Boy movies. He's very good. Yeah, I, I haven't watched the Bad Boy movies in a long time. I gotta rewatch those. Um, oh, we were gonna talk about before. I said you interviewed John McAfee, which you confirmed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't believe you would dare ask a man about his murders in an interview. <laughs> How? What? What? What compelled you to do such a thing, Oki? First of all, I'm kind of retarded, so, you know, <laughs> I went there, um, but no, but honestly, um, his thing was, his, we had a Zoom call, right before it started, he was like, you, you have 18 minutes, which was the most arbitrary amount of time ever. To it's also very welcoming, in. very, it makes you feel yeah. good about the interview, yeah, you have 18 minutes of my time. It was like, okay, and so, and he was lagging like crazy. And I had it planned that I'm going to ask him about the murders, right? Because I talked to his hitman. His hitman, like if you watch my John McAfee series, his hitman contacted me and he was like, well, he's a legend hitman. Right. right. Yes. Okay. So we, we should 10, probably say that. Yeah. Mac 10. Yes. Contacted me and talked to me. He's like, yeah, I did not kill the guy and whatever. And, but it, it's it's probably, I think it's like 99%. I'm 99% sure he, uh, McAfee hired someone to kill this guy, right? So I was like, I'm going to ask him about that. 
um, he was lagging like crazy. If you watch the video, it's right after a huge leg spike where I'm like, okay, so what about, um, so I talked to Mac 10 and, uh, he told me that, um, uh, you know, you didn't hire him and whatever. And what about Greg fall? And then, you know, he kind of freaks out a little bit, but he's still on board. And then his wife in the background, Janice McAfee kind of starts talking in his ear. And then that's like, I think because it was her in the background, but he, I think he would have been on board if she wasn't, she wasn't there to like, um, tell him to not, um, to like hang up on me or to just not like, incriminate himself. On yeah. Your but yeah. he would have, I, I don't think he would have, I think he would have lied. He would still lied, but he would still, he was, would have still been okay with talking about it. But I don't think he knew who he, who I was because he was asking people, like he was asking anybody who has a podcast to invite him on. So I don't know if he knew I did a series on him. Um, but whatever. Has he been caught? He got caught, didn't he? Yeah, no, he's been in, he's been in prison for the past five months. What? Six months now. Yeah. yeah. But he was caught by the IRS. He's, Where he was, was he? Spain. Oh. Yeah, he went on a freedom boat, which he called it. Um, and he was like, IRS, I haven't paid my taxes in eight years. Come and find me. Uh, and they, they, they found him. <laughs> you know, so. Catch me if you can. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's like stupid catch shit. me if you can. Like the stupid version of the movie, catch me if you can. Which is a great Spielberg movie, by the way. Spielberg. Even though he ruined cinema, Spielberg, good director. Uh, are you excited for the John McAfee film, King of the Jungle, that's coming out? I don't know if it's ever going to come out. It's been in pre-production for like the past like forever. Yeah. Zach Efron was supposed to play him, and then last I saw, what's that guy from Birdman? Michael Keaton um, is playing Mike, him now. Yeah, it was supposed to play him. I don't know if it's going to come out. They replaced Zach Efron with Michael Keaton. Better choice. Better choice. Maybe. It's a much better choice. I love Michael Keaton. He's one of my exactly. favorite actors. I was thrilled to hear that. Um, such a weird way to go. Much better way to go. They should just get Peter Berg to play him at this point. Uh, you know, like, yeah. who gives a fuck? That, oh, no, you could give it to Peter Berg, and then it could be Mark Wahlberg as John McAvee. Yeah. And he can complete the, the what was it, like the Natural Disaster Trilogy or the Crimes Against Humanity This film? time he can, he can actually stop 9-11. Yes, yeah, yeah. He yeah. can stop the oil spill, BP oil spill, and stop 9-11 and can save all the firemen. Yeah. <laughs> Boston bombing film. That was that was so dull. I, I worked on that film as an extra. And oh, really? Yes. It was... Uh, it was it was very boring, and I didn't get paid at all. I got tricked into it because my friend was like, well, you never know what can happen. And we showed up, and it was like 10 hours standing around. On a what do you think was going to happen? I thought I was going to be a star, Hans. I thought they were going to go, you, hey, why don't you deliver this line? Hey, we got Mark Wahlberg right here. You want to talk? To, you want to have lunch with Mark Wahlberg? They gave me a fucking ham sandwich and said, see you later, kid. Terrible time. Hey, kid, here's your chance. <laughs> Give a hand job to Mark Wahlberg in the trailer. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna get a credit. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, he did that one. He did the uh, the what was it? BP oil spill, and he did uh, Last Survivor, or American Survivor, Soul Survivor. You know, you, you know uh, Lone Survivor. I Lone Survivor. Like, but you know, like Peter Berg was used to be like a character actor. 
Yeah, in the nineties he was. Yeah, uh, he was in this last seduction movie. He was like the main character in this really good femme fatale noir movie that was actually a TV movie, but it was actually really good. It's like my favorite femme fatale, femme fatale neo noir movie. Yeah, he's 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 always great for playing like a very rough around the edges kind of uh, shady, sketchy kind of character. Especially because he his, looks like a crackhead. Yeah, his teeth are all yeah. fucking jagged and, and a mess. So you and he like talks with like a bit of a like a slur a little bit, like he's been drinking or something. And it's just like him talking over his own tongue. Uh, yeah, he's great. Kind of looks like uh, Hunter Biden's retarded. Cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> could he could play Hunter Biden. That would be wonderful. That would be a good movie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, what else can be said? On, on this episode of movies, we've covered so much. Uh, any final thoughts on Sorcerer before we close out for the evening? Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'll do it quickly, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that whole thing about having that device of the narrative device of the, of the truck and it can blow up at, at any second. It was later adopted by Speed. Speed is pretty much like the the commercial reach retread pretty much what Wages of Fear and Sorcerer does. And it and it's I'm not surprised that it ended up being like I don't know how much money it made, but it probably made a fuck ton of money. You know, um I'm not surprised that someone eventually like used that in another script. And I definitely believe that Speed is inspired by um Wages of Fear and Sorcerer. But it is just like it's so fucking good. Like the idea of just like it can blow up at any second. You got a little bump, boom. Beautiful, beautiful. That's movie. also the crank movies with Jason Statham. Yeah. That, that, yes. Yeah. Yes, you're right. I didn't think about that. Which uh those films are a lot of fun. I don't typically like like dumb action movies that uh, you know, are kind of mass produced with the same set of guys every single time, but those movies are are wild. Those that, that that's a great deal of fun. Uh, I haven't seen Speed in a minute, uh, but Dennis Hopper's the the villain in that film, isn't he? Yeah, he's good in it. Yeah, he's he for some reason he was like the go to bad guy for every '90s movie. Like he got cast as Koopa for Super Mario Brothers yeah, as well. Right. Oh, okay. And he just he's a reliable guy to ham it up and and go to a level ten each time. He's the antagonist. That's a movie I really want to revisit too. Someone's like working on a 4K remaster or 35 millimeter remaster. Like people do this in their spare time. They did it with Michael Mann's The Keep, which is like a weird um, Nazi Germany vampire monster film from the 80s. They refer like refurbished this this movie all on their own. Someone's doing that with the Mario Brothers movie from the early 90s. So Damn. I mean, I guess I guess it, it's colorful enough. I guess that world they created is kind of interesting in a nice way you, but I, but i don't understand the point it's a really bad movie the mario movie <laughs> that, that has point? to be pretty expensive that's probably at least like a ten thousand dollar project to to do all that and put that together so just do it just do it with the, do it with manhunter yeah do it with like a good it, michael mad movie it's very we should do an episode of that it's very i, I saw it recently the super mario you, you it's very it? Yeah, it's very nighty. Of like, course, you can't it is. Miss it. It's it has just John Leguizamo. Everything about it. Oh yeah, everything. man, Bob Hoskins. 
Yeah, it's 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 uh it's enjoyable in uh if you like shitty movies, really. Have you it's, have it, you seen John Logan's Emma in, in the past? Uh, you that's what it's called. Yeah, the pest is a '90s movie. I haven't seen that in ages, though. Uh, it's 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 awful. It's not even good. Bad. It's just like it's the most obnoxious, like ear grating eye fucking burning movie of all time. That's it's his like, career. Hate every... <laughs> yeah, that's 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 him. That's that's not the movie. That's John Leguizamo. <laughs> Yeah, Charlie Seaver is pretty fucking. We were on uh, one of our live streams. We were just playing clips of him in drag doing his one man show for HBO, and it's just like oh. the most insufferable shit. It's not charming in the slightest. Just it's... racist. <laughs> yes, it's... horribly racist towards Latino people. Yeah. This is why bullying me. Like he should have got bullied, John Leguizamo. Yeah. If he got bullied, he wouldn't be John Leguizamo. Exactly. You know? I think the the only thing he's really done recently was The Happening. Speaking of Mark Wahlberg, he was in The Happening as like a teacher. And that was... No, he he was in The Mandalorian. That was huge. Was he? Yeah, he was in an episode of that. Um, I haven't haven't watched it. uh, A series called Critical Thinking. uh, A a, a true story about the Miami-Jackson High School chess team. Oh, wow. That's that's Um, great. He was in one episode of Warjack Horseman. <laughs> yeah, John Wick too. Oh yeah, he, he's like a like a big role in John Wick, right? I think that's like his biggest thing recently. Is he the dog? <laughs> <I think. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he plays John Torturo in John Wick. I don't oh. know if you've seen him. He looks exactly the same as as John Torturo. That's that, that's the only theatrical release he's done. I I bought a one dollar DVD from Walgreens. Also called King of the Jungle, no relation to the John McAfee film, because I was just in like a gritty '90s New York movie mood, and that's what yeah. it was advertised as on the DVD case. And I brought it home, and it was him uh, playing a retarded guy raised by two lesbians, <laughs> and the mother's stabbed, and he's like really trying to get like an Emmy. It was a made-for-TV HBO movie. He was trying so hard to get an Emmy. He executive produced it. It was the most embarrassing piece of shit I've ever had on my television. I gotta say, there hasn't been like a, an actor going for like an award by playing a retarded person in a very long time. I, I can't remember the last actor doing. I am that. Sam. That was the, that, yeah, that was twenty like, years ago. Now that was literally like yeah. Fuck. I yeah. was like seven. That was the last time. genuine push, I think. Um, now, you can't really do that at the moment because Hollywood is too nervous. They start sweating when you even suggest that. Well, they yeah, have. They, yeah, actual down syndrome person now to play the and that's yeah. 50 times more uncomfortable to watch that makes me even more uneasy because i'm like have oh, you seen Ro- rosie o'donnell and riding my uh, riding oh, the yes. oh yeah oh, <laughs> oh, we yeah. should do an episode on that oh, that's a funny one yeah. she's like constantly even... talking about pooping yeah. like that's the whole thing poop in the toilet like that's her whole thing like, oh my god the they even stopped casting Channing Tatum because he kind of looks retarded. Yeah, he, I mean, yeah. I thought you were just dropping in. Uh... Him and Foxcatcher, he literally plays a retarded guy. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Hey, what, what did you think of Fox? Foxcatcher the story uh, is something that I thought really could have been, because I, I read the book prior to seeing the, the movie. The, the movie is shit. The movie it's, sucks. The movie is sucks. terrible. Um, the, the actual story is way, way better. Yes. And the book is unintentionally hilarious because it's just a guy not understanding that his coach was, like, making a bunch of gay advances on him 
Or like he, <laughs> he he was just assembled a team on his own to hang out with the boys. He couldn't wrestle yeah. at all. He couldn't coach at all. But he wanted to see like men wrestling and like join in. And they yeah. had to like fake being pinned by him and stuff. All of them um, had to like, yeah, they had to like, yeah, play into his whole delusions. Yeah, and he and they were I like, think he you did. Know, he did an gone. award show or something that he like financed just to give himself an award for best coach. Like the whole story is fucking insane and hilarious, and it could have been. And even with that cast of Mark Ruffalo and Steve Carell and Channing Tatum, they could have nailed it. And they went with a super serious, like, yeah, people died sad yeah. movie like and the director isn't he's, he's not like a bad director no I, I forget his name but like he's only made like three movies i think he made modern call he made something else as well but he was like he's good ish like i don't know like but they made that movie and it's just like a bunch of hollywood actors playing dress up it was just weird and stupid and yeah. useless. Steve Carell's prosthetics they were, they were utterly pointless. It was entirely to get an Oscar. Like, wow, can you believe he's he's doing this? He, he, changed he made his, his nose two inches bigger. <laughs> yeah. Like, and the guy, the guy doesn't even look like that. He looks closer to like the real Steve Carell than whatever penguin monster and, he decided to play. And his, his accent, the, the voice that he put himself to. And coach, then after that, he had this... Coach, here's a father... <laughs> what the fuck does he say? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he does this whole thing. Like it's like you know, it, it's like the, the movie's made for a trailer. Yeah. Yeah. They they just wanted to get Oscars with it. There was no heart yeah. or soul in that movie. Um yeah. Yeah. the director the director Bennett what's his name? Bennett, Bennett Miller, Miller Bennett Wentworth. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Bennett Miller, he did Capote and he did Moneyball and he hasn't done anything since Fox Moneyball is a good movie and like Capote yeah. is like all right, you know. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time it does like I think I hate certain directors. This is something that's why I like mentioned Mick G earlier. Um I hate these directors that they just take these real life stories and then they just like they do this and then they get great actors to play dress up and it's just like it's all by the numbers and it just the story tells itself and it also feels kind of weird so, in my opinion when they do um when they do like a true crime uh like source material uh, story for a movie that's somewhat recent which was i mean i think that's always been the case and we maybe didn't realize it before like i was thinking back to um there's this movie star 80 that was released yeah. in 1980 oh yes I like Star 80, though. Yeah. Star, no, yeah. Star 80 is fantastic. Yeah. Star 80 is a great movie. Uh, yeah. And that happened, like, that must have, I guess I was doing the math in my head, like, all right, this, this girl in real life died in 1980, which means this movie had to be put into production probably within a year and a half of her death, which seems so, almost, like, it seems kind of disrespectful. Like, the, the corpse yeah, isn't even cold it. yet, and they're going to make some money off of this. Um so the movie does come out well, that in 1983. Was, that was her life, right? Like it's a it's a uh, a nice ending to close her story, I guess. That even in her death, she was being exploited. Yeah, I guess she's yeah. twenty. Years, she only made it. <laughs> that to That is 20. a really good point. You know, at the same time, I, I do want to like, you know, Bob Fosse is like just such a great. He's such a great director. Yeah, he's done so much. Like all that jazz is like it, it's a fantastic movie. Cabaret is shit, by the way. But all that jazz, fantastic movie, um, really, really great. Eric Roberts, man. Eric Roberts in in Star Eighty, 
that's his best performance. Like he's he does a performance like every fucking week, but that's his best performance of all time. He's so good at playing a sleazeball. He's yeah, he's it's, terrific in the 1980s. Uh, especially he does that, and I think his second best performance is probably Pope of Greenwich Village. That movie's uh, very very good as well. Uh, not to star 80 levels, but he, he's terrific in it. He's a, a better Patrick Bateman than Christian Bale in Star 80. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his talking into the mirror and yeah, he's so weird and creepy. He's got like my mustache and he's wearing a fur coat. <laughs> he yeah. looks like he looks like legit. Like he looks like you know the name Ratso Rizzo from uh, what the fuck is that movie? Uh, uh, Midnight, Midnight Cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the name is Ratso Rizzo. Like it fits Dustin Hoffman's character in that, but it could also fit uh, Eric Roberts in Star Eighty. But yeah. this is like that name, just like that slimy, fucking stinky name. And Rizzo. I feel like everybody knows a, a guy who's kind of like him, where he's like, oh, yeah, I got connections. And he like vaguely knows someone who's deeply annoyed by him, who's not like an yeah. actual friend, <laughs> but yeah. still tries to force the interactions. Like, he's he's so great in that movie. He's good. Yeah. It's surprising. He's Which... also good in that Killers uh, music video. I'm I'm sure, you know, maybe one of his 100 projects in development right now on IMDb will be, will recapture that energy. I don't know. I might be talking to Eric Roberts at this moment for something. I don't, uh, who, you who's should. to say? That would be amazing if that would happen. That would uh, be great. I'll give you a tidbit or something after we're, we're done on the show. But all right, that, that, I, think, I think that's a pretty good note to go out on for this episode. So, Oki, why don't you uh, give your plugs? Okie's Weird Stories. I make documentaries. They take forever to make. Uh, make like two videos a year. They're all fucking good. Watch them. Yeah. There, there we go. All right. And uh, Hans, your Hans Memorial. Hans Memorial on Twitter and uh, what? Patreon? What is it? Patreon.com slash Lorez. Yeah. That's where this episode will drop probably tonight. And then uh, the audio of it will be out in a couple of weeks on iTunes and Spotify, and I'll shoot you the links to that, Oki. All right, sick. Yeah. All right. That has been Movies for this episode. Thank you for listening. I didn't see any of the Exorcist sequels. The the second or the George C. Scott isn't even the third one. I, yeah. I, I just have, like, avoided it my whole life. I kind of like being terrified. It's, like, one thing I'm still just, like, don't even like looking at image of the, images of the Exorcist that freak me out. The um yeah, the sequels it's definitely are... gonna it's definitely gonna ruin that if you rewatch it because I the first time I saw it I was eighteen and I never I've never understood the oh the, yeah the yeah because what... by that point it was silly uh but if you yeah the effects and how everything's done I guess it's still kind of scary if you if you suspend disbelief but it, it has that you know silliness of films from that time where. Mm. You know, it's difficult to take seriously now, I guess. I'm also not like an ultra Christian kid like I was when I was nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. not really... afraid of going to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the The second Exorcist film plays just like a like a fantasy movie. It's a very never-ending story. And oh, uh, it's whoa. got big, uh, you know, sound sets, sound stages. And it's just a giant production from, from John Borman. And then the third one is a pretty good film. Um it's definitely played much more, I think, serious, less campy than that second one where they're trying to also make Linda Blair sexy, even though she's only like oh, 17 nice. years old at the time. <laughs> and Richard Burton you... is like lusting after her. <laughs> Would you say that's more of like a sci-fi movie than horror, though? The third one. Um, I think it's very horrific. 
I don't know but if I would say it's science fiction, yeah. though. That sounds a little wacky to me. That sounds kind of nuts. Science fiction? <laughs> yeah. It deals with, because I guess it deals with, uh, you know, with the whole experimentation and everything on the girl, but, oh, wait, is that the second one? No, that's the no, second that's the third one. third one, right? No, that's the second one. Oh, never mind. I don't think yeah, I there's the a machine one, that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. transfers her into, like, <laughs> alternate planes of reality or something. And then Paul Schrader is yeah, Africa or something, hanging out in Africa, back from Africa. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> The Exorcist um, is back from Africa. Yeah. What? What is uh, <laughs> Kyle? What's the earliest film in Friedkin's filmography that you checked out? Is it The Exorcist or is there another? Yeah, one? that was the first, I, yeah. The Exorcist is definitely the earliest I saw. I'm, I can't think of what like got me. Oh, I think Bug. My because I saw Bug in theaters in like 2006, and that's kind of what got me on a kick. And like I'll go back to his films every few years. Um, I feel like before then I didn't really know much about him. I, I didn't know about, like his name specifically. I hadn't seen French Connection or any of that stuff. Uh, I have not seen some of his earliest films. I just realized his mm. first movie was Good Times with Sonny and Cher. Oh yeah, so, I read about that. Was when I was doing some research. There's, there's two others. For whatever reason, I thought uh, the Boys in the Band was the uh, the 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 first one, but it was not. I watched that yeah. uh, somewhat recently. And it's rough, but it's not a mm. bad movie by by any means. He has such like a weird checker patterned filmography, I want to say, in the 1970s, because the same or rather uh, one year after he does, I believe, Sorcerer, he does uh, The Brinks Job, which is like a family comedy with Peter Falk and Peter Boyle. Oh, really? Yeah about a bank robbery in Boston. It doesn't have his style at all. It's just like, a, it feels like a director for hire gig. Oh, okay. That's just going to ask. He's kind of on autopilot or something there. Right. It's, it's, it's exactly that, but you don't really see that too much with, um, you know, his, his body of work. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I checked it out. I was, I was definitely expecting it to be more Friedkin E, but it wasn't <laughs> like a bad movie by any means. Obviously like this dude is, I think he's, I mean, technically, because he's still working, because um, of Devil and Father of Morth, which I don't know if you oh, saw yeah. that. We'll, we'll talk no, about no. that, maybe. Um, it, <laughs> probably the best working filmmaker who's alive, American filmmaker, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just his overall quality is uncomparable, incomparable mm-hmm. to, to, to many. Um, so he does the Brinks job, and then he does Cruising in 1980. What do you think mm. about Cruising? Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, I love cruising. It's been probably since 2015-ish or so. But, I mean, I still think about it a lot. It was, uh, I, I love that. I love the style. Um, I love sort of, like, the history behind it, how uh, there was an outrage by the gay community and just reading about it. And that and it being kind of about the AIDS epidemic before people really knew. I, I, that's what people kind of, I remember talking about, before people really knew what was going on with AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love the whole history of that movie. It's very cool. Do you know the uh, the backstory on at least one of the killers and and the exorcist? No. So uh, I guess one of the uh, male nurses in the exorcist. Um, well, I, I think he actually might have been a male nurse for real as well. Uh, was one of the killers that uh, inspired the whole cruising movie, and the police made him cop to a bunch of murders, and he didn't remember the vast majority of them, but he said, I at least did one that they pointed out, but they said, oh. I, they, I'd get a reduced sentence if I just 
pled guilty to all of them. And he's out and about right now. So, <laughs> is that Paul Bateson? I wouldn't know. I don't. I don't. Keep so the 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 real life story they based on him was he like a like a depraved killer or something like that or his story was when free because freaking went to go interview him in prison. Um, oh, wow. He said that he was very drugged up and didn't remember a good portion of anything. And uh, it was kind of just like a heat of the moment murder that he committed with a dude he was sleeping with at the time. And uh, they got his DNA or whatever, found him. And then that's how all that went. Weird. Yeah. I did not know about that at all. That's really cool. I mean, not cool, but it's <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Um, also, I, I would say that, do you have like a preferred decade of William Friedkin's filmmaking? Um, I kind of like his, like, I do like his nineties movies. Like I like blue chips and rules of engagement. I don't know. It's hard to say my favorite. Um, I feel like probably just like his bangers, probably his seventies. Yeah. Up till cruising that like sorcerer and cruising and French connection are just like so good. Um, so probably that decade. Yeah. That's a, that's an easy pick. I think. Just yeah. Yeah. I know. It's almost too easy. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, 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 there is something I think about his eighties filmography as well, even though that is definitely spottier. He's mm-hmm. uh, somebody who kind of defined that, uh, 80s crime texture along with Michael Mann mm-hmm. and uh, Abel Ferreira. Yeah, for sure. Where uh, you take a look at a movie like Cruising, but also To Live and Die in L.A., and mm-hmm. it has such a defined look to it that everything else just winds up taking afterward and then comes back like 10 years ago, and people are trying to mm-hmm. emulate that now, and they can't, they yeah, can't yeah. nail it uh, just right. Uh, I mean, Hans, you haven't seen To Live and Die in L.A. before? That's a big one. No. I thought I, I did, but now that I, now that I'm looking at it, it's with Willem Dafoe, definitely not. Yeah, I he haven't watched a, it all. He, he plays it's a character in that one. Uh, it's I, I, it's it's uh, it's a very good one. Uh, I'm not mm. going to spoil the ending. It has a very surprising end to it. Unfortunately, so I've, I've heard the ending. Oh, you know what it uh, is? Yeah, yeah. I have the Blu-ray. I've had it for years, and I've kind of been just like saving it for a rainy day um i've been kind of slowly watching his movies i'm gonna be very sad when i watch his last film that i haven't seen so i've been kind of savoring it definitely uh, don't save the devil and father of more for last oh, yeah. which is his, his last it probably will be his last movie at this point would you say uh, it's garbage sad. it's uh oh God, unnecessary it's very unnecessary garbage yeah it's it well it's... here's the thing do you consider documentaries to be part of a filmmaker's filmography if the majority of their films or if it's not like a Scorsese situation where he's doing uh, mm-hmm. fiction and then doc one per year. I feel like I'm thinking of like Herzog or something like that. I do, but maybe mm-hmm. not for all of, maybe not for freaking specifically, even yeah. though I guess he started off as a documentary, whatever, making documentaries. Oh, right. Yeah. He, he started out by getting a guy off death row. Like he proved. Oh yeah. Yeah. He might have been innocent or something and uh, saved the guy's life. Yeah, I've heard a little bit. I forgot what the name of it was. Paul uh, Crump? Paul Crump, yeah. Is that it? I, People I think so. Paul Crump? Mm. Yeah, it might be. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% confident, but that definitely sounds familiar to me. So I, he started out, I guess, as like a, an investigative journalist. And 
wound up leaning more into the filmmaking path uh, that way because this was huge. It won, uh, I, I think, some awards or got him a grant and uh, just pushed him in the right direction to where he was then doing uh, like Alfred Hitchcock Hour and Twilight Zone, whatever the directors of that era were doing. And um, then we eventually do get to uh, Good Times and, and all these other films. Uh, have you guys seen his TV movies at all? No, I really want to watch his Tales from the Crypt episode, though, because I was very into Tales from the Crypt recently. And I don't think I got around to it. That's one I've been meaning to revisit because um, I was on a Twilight Zone <laughs> kick for so a while. Funny. and uh, What was it? Night Gallery I was checking out because mm-hmm. I have... Yeah peacock and that's been pretty good but tales from the crypt i remember loving as a kid and so i haven't awesome. watched it since yeah i was watched the horn? first it was hornier wasn't it tales from the crypt hornier <laughs> oh hell yeah, yeah. When it comes... well, it's hbo you gotta get your money uh, yeah 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 Extremely. when it comes to those ontology ones is the one that will always show with titties i think <laughs> from what i can remember <laughs> I, the yeah, bordello I... of blood i remember had tons of tits i love that <laughs> was that the one kid. with uh dennis miller and Corey? Feldman? yeah yeah Wow, oh, I forgot guess. Corey Feldman was in it. It's the two yeah, of them. Yeah, my friend and I. Angie Everhart. Uh, and then the there was the other one, too. And I think most people consider that one the superior Tales from the Crypt movie. Uh, Demon Knight. <sighs> Demon Knight, yeah, yeah. Where they put the like blood on the window or something to stop the demons from getting in. Yes. It's been so long since I saw it. That movie stars Jada Pinkett mm-hmm. Smith, which is... Oh, really? So strange to think about now. And yeah. Billy Zane. And we got William Sadler... It's uh, wow. it's a Zane the villain. Yes, he plays like a yeah. Satan kind of character. Vaguely but... Of course, he's bold. You couldn't be a hero of in course. the eighties or nineties. a bold man. You're Damn. immediately evil. <laughs> and they put hair on him for Titanic and made him evil. That's yeah, funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's still bald. I forgot they gave him. <laughs> yeah, they gave him a middle we part. Knew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has nothing going on right now. I don't know what happened to him. Or think he's He's just got an, like a vibe about him that, you know, he's like a prick in real life. Oh, yeah, totally. It's those uh, hunter eyes or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think something along those lines. So <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's why he's yeah. been weeded out. I think he only Devilish. does like Hallmark movies. He was on Cameo. Oh, damn. He was on Cameo, and I think his Cameo was like $800 or something. Damn. It was like Billy Zane, $800. Mm. I don't know about all on, that. On what? <laughs> 800 bucks for a cameo? I don't trust man with gay lips, and he's got gay lips. <laughs> <laughs> so he's probably That's a dick. So yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen The Hunted? Yes, I love The Hunted. It's you love The Hunted? It's probably been 2015, six, like when I, I think around when I watched Cruising. I did like hunting a lot, uh, The Hunted. Uh, from what I remember, I liked it a lot. You might change my mind. Well, but, uh, yeah, was, we were we were just it. talking about it before you hopped on the call because I, I I was on a Friedkin kick last year. I was like, what's on streaming for free that I can just watch and that I haven't seen of his? And I watched that. I was like, all right, Benicio del Toro, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, small <laughs> town where in like Alaska or so, somewhere like that. Looks good, sounds good. I'm in, and. Uh, Boy, howdy, did that not live up to my expectations. That felt, uh, the fight scenes in that felt a lot like The Irishman, where uh, Robert De Niro's kicking the guy on the ground. Oh, really? very stilted. Yeah, like elder abuse. Yeah. When I think <laughs> about it, the scenes, I remember liking them. I thought they were, like, kind of cool. They were, like, a weird tactical. Like, they held yeah. the knife, like, back. I thought it was, like, Metal Gear or something like that at the time. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> 
There's a very mean scene where you have 70 something year old uh, Tommy Lee Jones run, running and he <laughs> yeah. looks like a 70 something year old running, <laughs> but we're supposed to be like, yeah, he's yeah. going for him. And it's just, uh, why would you do that to him? <laughs> you know? uh, I feel like Benicio del Toro is so cool in that movie. I, from what I remember from his character. Yeah, he's yeah. like a killer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a trained killer. And I think what Tommy Lee Jones is the dude who trained him. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I was thinking Metal Gear. It's like Metal Gear 3 or something. I think I remember thinking that at the time. It was like big, he was like Big Boss or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. I, I, well, but there's, there, there, there's a reason why they don't show Big boss. boss running, though, or doing anything, <laughs> anything physical. That's not enough close-up. Yeah. Uh, Bug is still one that I have not seen, but I've a lot of people have warmed up to that in the years since. Mm-hmm. It was always kind of an under-the-radar, but underrated uh, movie and I think they might have added it to Shutter or something because all of a sudden you'd see pockets of the the horror community on social media on like Twitter or, or like Facebook groups or or whatever where people are talking about Bug like it's uh, one of his great films. I I still haven't watched it and Hans I don't think you watched it right or you caught it a long time ago. I watched it when it came out like two thousand six two thousand seven but. The only thing I remember was that when it was done, I was like, oh, cool. I saw Ashley Judd's titties. Uh, oh, yeah. That's the only, that's the only thing I remember uh, from it. I wasn't, like, I didn't really know much about movies at the time. So I would just watch whatever my, like, I, I had a collection of, like, Rob Schneider movies. Uh, so, so You still so have a collection one, of Rob Schneider I, movies. Well, I, yeah, I, I still have it. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh yeah, it was at that time where very slow movies would just bore me, and and this one has like a well, it's it's everything happens inside a room, right? Uh, so it, it it tests your patience if you're not down for that type of movie. So I just remember at the time I was kind of like, oh, is this not for me? But she was naked throughout it, so I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> that's good enough. That's good. <laughs> that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so what was it you liked about Bug? Um, I'm trying to think of like what I liked about it. I remember seeing it with a friend at the time, like maybe opening weekend, because I the trailer for some reason just like uh like the TV spot, I'll never forget. I thought it looked so cool. But I don't know what it was about. I think about the film a lot. I feel like I think about like uh there's the tagline that's like paranoia is contagious or something like that. I don't know, I don't want to spoil anything about the film since you haven't seen it. But uh, no, go ahead. Fuck it. Who cares? Just I'm I'm gonna watch it no matter what. It ain't really gonna ruin the experience for mm-hmm. me. I think it I turns like, out to be all in their head or so, something like that, right? Kind kind of yeah yeah. It's it's he's just like completely like uh, Michael Shannon's character is. Uh, I think he broke out of some mental institution. He's like completely insane. But uh, I feel like right now thinking about it with like uh, like it's uh, there's a lot of like conspiracy stuff in it or whatever. He's completely. Uh, uh he, he he's obsessed with whatever like uh groom lake and uh like all these uh governments i don't know killing he thinks he's like a, a tim mcveigh like type government uh what's mm. it mk ultra agent or something like that mm. and so i don't know i've probably seen the movie five or ten times since it came out and it always feels like it's like uh creeping up on this this world where everybody's like more and more obsessed with conspiracy theories. And I don't know, it, it kind of, uh, it freaks me out in that way. Cause I kind of see it. IRL yeah, it sounds very uh-huh. relevant right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's it like uh, destroys like everything or like everyone around him, at least like the main character, uh, Ashley Judd. 
his uh, his paranoia. It's very uh, like malignant, and I've seen it in real life too. So it's it's like very been like kind of a cautionary tale in my life, I guess. Well, what have you seen in real life as far as conspiracy running amok? Just all the like big stuff. I feel like it was like maybe a year or two ago. Like actually, it was beginning of COVID. I got like kind of stressed out about like conspiracy. Like I would go down like a bit shoot rabbit hole just out of curiosity, and I feel like I kind of peeked over the edge. And it was like kind of bug where bug made me realize like don't go too far, man. This shit's like <laughs> really not good for you, and it gets worse. So oh yeah, now I don't do it. And I tell like my mom and stuff because she's really into Q and I'm like don't fuck with that shit. Like even if it's real, like what are you gonna? It's not gonna make your life any better. Yeah. <clears throat> So, uh, yeah, it's been a good film for me, I think, in that way. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it definitely seems like all all these conspiracy freaks, I, I mean, they they find some bit of truth. There's mm-hmm. always truth in the – this is what people dismiss, is that a lot of conspiracies are actually probably true. Mm-hmm. There's, it's, that's what makes it persuasive and why they keep going, because there's something that's verifiable through some sort of evidence. Either, maybe it's just – you know, pattern recognition or, or whatever it might be. And it's addictive to get into that. Like I've definitely gone through cycles where it's just like, this is what I'm reading about for this, this week at <laughs> four in the morning. And this is how every night's going to go. It and sucks. It, it's, it, it can be so hard to, uh-huh. oh yeah. You, uh-huh. you feel like you're really digging into something and you know, you're part of what, like some knowledge that could come into play oh, down yeah, the road. Yeah, you're going to inform yeah, You're yeah. going to have a leg up on everyone else, but it's also hard to wean away from that, but I'm at a point where I'm just so exhausted by like everything real and I can't even be bothered to have totally. an opinion about so much of that. Same I think way. the best, the best way to know if you're going too far into something is just to mention it to someone that's not, because whenever that happens, all I have to do is just like, I just talked to my girlfriend and I'm like, Hey, do you know this? And this is just like, who cares? And I'm like, all right, this doesn't actually, it doesn't actually affect anything in my life. You're Uh right. So it's like, she like pulls me out of that thing. But I, I I can imagine that if you don't have anyone like that, or if you prefer to only talk to people in that same sphere, that are just going to continue feeding you the same shit, you can go pretty nuts. And I think we've seen that with, uh, with COVID, like uh, people that just, uh, stand in front of their t- or sit in front of their TV and just watch the news and believe everything they've been telling us. I say it with my fucking dad, who's terrified of like he's he had a stroke a, co- uh, a couple of years ago, so he can walk but not fast or anything. So his exercise is just going out or on the garage, just walking around. The other day he decided to go on the sidewalk but he was wearing a mask and he was wearing a visor and shit and i'm just like what are you there's it's eight in the morning there's no one around and even if they are like what are they gonna are you sure that was because of covid and not the fact you live in costa rica yeah it's yeah it's not that bad here piece of shit (laughs) but yeah uh, it's just because he's because of his stroke he can barely move well no he can't go out i guess so he watches every news broadcast and the news that we get down here is just regurgitated cnn news Mm. so it's the same just fear 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 all the time and every day i have to just be like think about what you're believing and as soon as you think about it you see that it makes no fucking sense uh but (laughs) if all you do is just feed yourself with that thing and you have no one to like pull you out of it i can completely see how you convince yourself of you know something that might not even be happening we're not going to affect you in any way in your life and Mm -hmm. just go crazy yeah yeah bug they're isolated and he's like sucking her in and she's like uh mentally 
well like she's like extremely stable in the film uh i don't know she's very in touch with reality it seems like and then michael shannon sort of slowly sucks her into his delusions and she's so wounded that she sort of just like uh yields to it takes it yeah don't they cover the whole room with uh tinfoil or something tinfoil and like those little bug uh zappers and stuff like that everywhere and they're mutilating themselves uh it's such a cool movie to me. Yeah, I like the uh I like how small it is. I like how you can like uh imagine it as a play as well. Well, the um, uh the screenwriter is Tracy Letts, who's like a famous mm-hmm. playwright, and he also worked on uh Killer Joe as yeah, well. Yeah. And I know Killer Joe certainly has that vibe about it where it feels like a stage totally. play. Is that the same case with with Bug? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think uh Bug's a little more um it seems like he cared a little bit more he was a little more invested killer joe i feel like it was like an early digital movie of his and he seemed like he was kind of like oh this looks cool let's just shoot it. i don't know there seemed a little bit a little less love in killer joe even though i like killer joe a lot he just seemed like he's a little uh just not as in love with filmmaking or something like that sad as that is to say that i think that happens to all of them where uh you know they they have that but they also get uh you know, infatuated with the technology and the ability to to change certain things. Like, uh, have you ever looked up the French Connection recoloring? No, that sounds terrible, though. I hate oh, no. color correction in movies now. So what happened <laughs> was uh, there's a video on YouTube or something uh, where he's sitting down with an editor and explaining, like, how he regraded the color on the French Connection to fit what he meant back in 1970, mm. whatever. So it had, like, more of a drab tone to it. It was, like, dirty, brownish New York and uh then he was like but if we just turn up the saturation here and oh, we lean no. into the blues a little bit then oh, we have this new and it's like a 1950s movie it looks like the wizard of oz when they go to color what <laughs> so strange wizard of oz with uh speed racer colors yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's really uh distracting now I haven't I haven't watched that Blu-ray, but I don't know if that's what's in circulation on TV or on stream or which one is going around. So, do you know when that's that so came st- out? That was about 2012 or 2011. I, I wonder if that's the one I watched because I didn't watch it until 2015 or something like that. That's so terrible, especially because we like we talk about all the time that aesthetic of the 70s. It's you can't replicate it now, and it's so specific for that time that i i can't imagine ruining it by making it into a fucking mm-hmm. modern graphic colorful shit that sounds Seems terrible like but he really yeah. he wanted to lean into that 1950s hollywood style look which was we're still kind of figuring out how to even use oh. color that early mm-hmm. 60s oversaturated yeah yeah uh, that's always been off-putting to me when it comes to movies from the 1960s it's hard for me to sit down and watch and take it seriously because of that when the when the three stooges are in color yeah. but it's like, oh that's that's that looks weird yeah, yeah, <laughs> i don't like it it makes me uncomfortable they're, they're yeah. 50, is it like recolorized uh three so, stooges or something there's <laughs> definitely they've definitely done that i think i have a dvd <laughs> on the shelf over there i was like oh Ew. cool this is three bucks this is walmart yeah, recolored is three in, stooges in color no they made a movie in like the the 80s i think or 70s where it which is in color and it's just not the same. It just it's it's. What do you weird. mean a movie? They like they recolored and repackaged a bunch of shorts. No, no, no. I, a movie where they're when they're old. If I'm oh. not mistaken, that's what I remember them. No, they were dead. 
They all Dead those students died in the seventies. <laughs> Mo, Are Mo, I sure? think was was the last one to hang on, and that was mid late seventies, maybe. <laughs> Actually, there was Curly Joe Besser. He, oh man, I had a Three Stooges videotape that was like the true story. The Three Stooges. We're gonna go into the backstory, see home movies, and there was a video of Curly Joe's like 80th birthday, and he had the fucking tubes up his nose like someone's dying grandma, and he was very Fuck. overweight. It was horrible. He just like looked at the camera. <laughs> not laughing anymore <laughs> they all had like horrible lives and, and oh yeah i've heard yeah, that yeah they, they were plagued with all sorts of mental illness and died like curly was only 40 and had to go to the psych ward because he had a stroke and couldn't his body anymore sucks yeah terrible. they made no money at all because you couldn't make money in those years i guess with whatever they were doing so they were just yeah sick and they died horribly I must have been a recolor now that you say that because yeah, I, I, I wow that I guess that's why they look so off-putting uh, <laughs> when I saw it. Did you guys see the Will Sasso? <laughs> the the from, like, Farley the, Brothers uh, three studios. Oh, was it Farley Brothers? That's yeah, yeah. The Oscar-winning Farley Brothers who, for Green Book. One of those guys won. Wait, no shit, really? Yeah, he directed Green Book. That's so weird. I had no idea. That was right what? after, I'm Is pretty sure the filmography goes, Dumb and Dumber 2, Green Book. <laughs> so. Damn, uh, I love me, myself, and Irene. Sorry to get off a freaking topic, but that's That's funny. actually, you know what? That's a very underrated comedy, me, myself, and Irene. That <laughs> so was fucking funny. hilarious. At least when I saw it when I was a kid, I was like, oh, man, yeah. Jim oh, Carrey yeah. saying the F word. Jim Carrey <laughs> sucking on a tit. He's got he's <laughs> yeah, been cucked right. with three black sons. This is great. <laughs> it's so funny. From a black midget, too. Not yeah, just that's three black right. sons. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have not seen the, the Three Stooges movie they made. Uh, no, I skipped it six years ago i think larry david pops yeah. up in that <laughs> I, I heard it's not terrible i don't know how but i would watch because it it's just because sure. it's just silly it's just like really stupid and, and just you know why so get outraged about why get mm-hmm. outraged about a movie with three stooges when it was yeah, all yeah. just silly violence right but i refuse to watch it <laughs> for whatever reason i have a, a little bit of like uh, i don't know if i want to see the guy from dharma and greg like larry <laughs> oh my god that's so fun i didn't know he was dharma and Gre- no it's will and grace that's jack what? from will and grace oh yeah no. oh, oh wow yeah that's, i watched that's will and grace recently was it the new yeah. one or was it the old it will was the grace? old one my ex-girlfriend was watching like a year ago or something and i was like I kind of, I guess I forgave it because it was so old, but man, that shows, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty there's a, goofy. There's a new one? They, they rebooted it oh, around yeah, the time. Right. It's like an answer to Roseanne. Of course they did. The answer to Roseanne. So is Ro- it, is, yeah, is Roseanne anyone was... watching all of these revi- TV show revivals that they're doing now? Like the All in the Family one? No, it's not All in the Family. What is it? Uh, Wonder, Wonder Years. years. Is the Black Wonder Years now, and and uh, I'm it's called it. Black Wonder Years. <laughs> black Wonder well, it's <laughs> it's about a black family in the what fifties or whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's no. The first episode is literally the day Martin Luther King is shot. That's how oh, black damn. the Black Wonder. It's years like is. Uh, the first episode of Twin Peaks. <laughs> They're all just crying. <laughs> they yeah, all get the start news. Here. That's how you start your, your comedy set in the fifties. I, I I've been watching it. Uh, just because I'm in a TV mood these days more than movies, uh, clearly, and it doesn't really matter like the level of quality of it. So I I got yeah, to the yeah, third man. episode, and it's really bad. Don't get me wrong; it's really bad. 
But the third episode comes around, and uh, the black Kevin Arnold finds a porno magazine in his father's toolbox and brings it to school. And the first thing I was like, this ain't realistic, is the white kids were also looking at the black porno magazine. (laughs) Excited about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. But then it goes off the rails. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, the principal catches him, confiscates the magazine, holds on to one of the magazines, of course. The dad gets called to the school. He's like, listen, son, why don't we just keep this between you and me? Just a couple of men. And then later on, you know, the kid is all boned up and he wants to go back to the porno magazines and he gets caught that time. So the mom catches him now. And the mom goes... Kevin Arnold, what are you doing? And then he, she confiscates it. And then later they have a chat. And it's a, one of the talks, you know, because he's only a little boy. He's like 10 years old. And I bet uh, it's funny. I bet that talk is really funny. Oh, well, the laugh track and everything. I shut it off after this. She said, listen, these aren't your father's magazines. These are my magazines. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. So she was oh. a very progressive <laughs> woman the- back then. <laughs> A black, hold on, a black woman in the 60s in the South is reading pornos and about to have a sex-positive conversation with a little boy and why he shouldn't be ashamed to jerk off to her magazines. I said, fuck this. I turned it off, started watching George Clo- handsome George Clooney saving a boy in a well. Oh, yeah, you are. It's like they're, ah, oh, fuck. That's why all TV is shit now, because they just try to cover everything. So then it's... Who's this for? Like, who's enjoying this that you have to include every victim out there? And then it's just like, who, who's your audience? The, the ev- victims of everything, I guess, <laughs> which is what you're trying to get. That's why they fucking fail. I can't. I hate when they now that they're just reviving old properties that are a product of it, its time and they don't work at all when you try to modernize them. I, I recently saw that they, they did. A, I know I did last summer. And yeah. they they redid oh, yeah. uh, slumber slumber party massacre, which is a really? very obscure one that I don't even shudder. I think did it. Who just continues putting out absolute shit? Uh, they, it's like they don't even try. That that's a perfect example of like let's hope that the name carries this piece mm-hmm. of shit because they don't 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 even put any effort into making it good. It's just like hey, remember this title? That's kind of like what you <laughs> yeah. enjoyed thirty years ago, and then you watch it. It's just cheap. It's like an asylum movie, uh, but. <laughs> yes it's we're out of fucking uh creativity at all just regurgitate things from the past but don't actually make them like they used to be because you can't now uh so we're just going to change the tone completely so that we're not canceled and who's watching this? i think it's fine i like it all i think it's good stuff (laughs) i enjoy spending time with my family and watching the black kevin arnold's that's what i like (laughs) What's um, his, you didn't even know his name. <laughs> the black Kevin Arnold. That's that's gonna get uh, taken off. I don't know how they make money. They figured out something. There's some undercover strategy to all of this that's working out for them or working out enough, and that's all they really care about. Because you check you check out the ratings, and it's all not very good. So are they like money laundering or something with it? I think that's the case with a with a, probably a good portion of movies anyway. Um, TV. That's I mm-hmm. I. I can't even begin to understand how they measure the metrics of like, well, what about somebody who recorded it on on demand or something it, and figuring it out that way? Or who's watching on Hulu compared mm-hmm. to buying an Amazon Prime video for a buck ninety nine? So, <laughs> yeah, 
they need to be hanged <laughs> i don't I, I saw that uh that uh jacob's ladder i watched like the first 30 minutes because uh, jacob's ladder was like my favorite movie ever remake 1819 uh, yeah yeah oh Oof. boy that's a treat it's bad news <laughs> i was watching and i was like how is this any different than like going into a fucking museum with like a sledgehammer and just <laughs> taking it into every statue it was oh man it was really bad it was mean Adrian uh, Lyon is a, a, yeah. a great director. I, I've been watching a lot of his like affair movies lately. I've been watching a lot of affair movies with Michael oh, Douglas. Really? That's right. He did. What's the Bunny Boiler movie? Fatal Attraction. Fatal, yeah, yeah. I never saw it, but I remember my mom seeing it as a kid and <laughs> thought it was awesome. Oh, that movie's terrific. And uh, great. I mean, they, Glenn Close really nails it as, yeah, I'm stable. I'm a normal girl. And then I'm gradually, an ugly woman. Unspooling. I'm, yeah. I'm an ugly woman. This man is going to ruin his. He's going to ruin his entire loves. life to fuck my ugly. F- no, that movie. She is loves cool. showing so her tits in those adult dramas too, and they're flapjacks. They are disgusting. They that the big chill. She can't get topless enough. This woman. It's like Michael Douglas is going to fucking ruin his life for this horse. This ugly no, ass I, I, yeah, I don't believe that. No. That's so it's funny. Like, it, it, was that before or after the, the pussy movie? You know, the, the Sharon what? Stone? Oh, yeah. Sharon oh, Stone that was basically These are peas in a pod. But ba- uh, that's Basic Instinct. That's the early 90s. And that movie's so over the top. That's Paul Verhoeven yeah. who did Robocop oh, okay. and Showgirls. So the tone of that, made that is so wacky compared to Fatal Attraction, which is like a straight up movie. <laughs> Yeah, I need to see Fatal Attraction. I forgot how fucking ugly Glenn Close is. So <laughs> like, why would he let this ugly ass woman? It's so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> Ruin his life. He's a handsome, su- successful man. He's yeah, little, yeah. but he's, you know, he's successful. He's just this fucking <laughs> he's ramen, fucking ramen haired woman. <laughs> just, no. Um, hey, that's a pretty H-word movie, wouldn't you say? Weren't you looking at a list of horned, horned, horny movies, Hans? And oh, I, I lost uh, they said it, yeah. Killer Joe was number oh, one, yeah, followed very by... Horny. Oh, my God, Killer Joe is so horny. Followed by Big, the Tom Hanks, yeah. <laughs> Penny Marshall film. Oh, who's the girl in Big? Um, oh, is, it, is it Blade Runner girl? What's her name? What do I think? What do I see uh, her Sean in? Sean Young? Sean Young. I don't know why I see her. What I know her from uh, is that that uh, abrupt appearance on a talk show where she's dressed as Catwoman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's trying to just garner Tim Burton's attention. I thought she just destroyed his office. She went on a talk show in, in the uh, Catwoman. Italian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's completely batty. No pun intended. I meant that just genuinely when Oof. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I did. So. I really did. <laughs> Look, I have brain lapses Same. sometimes. <laughs> Oh, Susan Perkins, who play. Okay, I recognize this girl. I was trying to think of the love interest in Big. Speaking of ugly, <laughs> speaking of ugly woman, have you guys seen what Penny Marshall looked like before she died? Anyway, guys, what? She's dead. She died. I didn't Apparently, know she died. 2018. Oh. Oh wow. They swept that right under the rug. No one gave a shit about that at all. <laughs> Where's all yeah, the love for, for Laverne yeah. and Shirley? Nobody talks about that. <laughs> Great Happy Days spinoff. 
What's are you on a Happy Days kick too? No, nah, I like... don't. I wouldn't dare watch. Not Happy yet, Days, please. <laughs> not yet. Not, no, you're not. You're not down that bad. <laughs> I'm getting to Mork and Mindy soon. Man, I really don't like that clip of that actor Jamie Costa that he just arranged to have a scene shot so he can perform Robin Williams grieving and capture the internet's attention so he can get cast. Uh, have you seen? I think that? I saw. I saw like. I feel like I saw him like a few like a year ago or something like that he had done some video and everybody was like this guy needs to be cast with a robin williams movie or something and then i saw it pop up again recently and i didn't even watch it i thought it was too disgusting oh it's the same it's not even a new video let me see let me see if i'm insane right now what's the guy's name jamie costa I think this dude originally was trying to get the role of solo in han the, the han solo movie and he did like a Harrison Ford impression. Pretty pretty close. It's not the first time this, this act has been trotted out. Mm-hmm. It's, like, <laughs> blow. it's never worked though. What is this? Is he a, is he a comic? He's got a YouTube account. Uh, I guess he's just an impressionist and wannabe actor. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, he has a, a Kenobi fan film where I guess he plays Ben. Kenobi. That's People great. Maybe we should talk about that instead. Did Friedkin direct that <laughs> one? Friedkin, poor Friedkin. <laughs> got left behind. <laughs> this guy is. I feel like this guy is like a TikToker or something like that. I just. Th- that. I love the physio know me for sure. <laughs> I love that the first result says Robin Williams's daughter Zelda asks fans to send her the video. <laughs> That's right. I saw that tweet. She said, "Look, I know you guys all mean well. I saw the screen test." Please stop sending it to me. <laughs> that that seems pretty haunting. If you if somebody just like Hans, you just pretending oh, to be God. my dead dad to to yeah. perfection on the no. on, on the stream. Kept yeah, that. that's great. Hey, you want to see an impression of your dead dad that <laughs> killed himself? Who or cut we his still wrist don't know with how. a bag over his head and drowned in a tub? Yeah, just, is that how it happened? He wanted to die so bad. Yes, he's oh, um, yeah. Hans man. frequently gets him confused with the David Carradine death where he hung it's himself in Thailand oh, yeah. stockings and it was it's a little lady boy it's running from the hotel room. <laughs> um, no, I know this actually from Mark Marin from WTF with Mark Marin because Bobcat Goldwave popped oh, on yeah. there and uh, he had an interview and it was right after Robin Williams killed himself. And I remember they were kind of hiding the fact it was a suicide. They were definitely downplaying it. Um, because he had Parkinson's or dementia, or something, mm-hmm. something was going bad. Fucked up, yeah. And Bobcat was saying that he was so frustrated with himself that he was forgetting serious things. That uh, he thinks that is what led to him hopping in a tub. I guess taking a bunch of painkillers, cutting his wrist like completely open, and suffocating himself in the tub. How do you not forget? Sure. I did not forget to do that. Imagine he just gets the razors and gets the, the, the uh, painkillers that he forgets. He's just sitting there. He's just sitting in the what tub. Am I, <laughs> what am I doing? Do I have a headache? I, I, I don't know. Am I shaving? I can't feel, can't feel anything. <laughs> just boop, 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 boop. Damn. That's really funny. That sucks. <laughs> Uh, hmm. I did hear that too from Bobcat that he was like uh, very frustrated all the time because his memory was just going. Yeah, dementia is pretty evil. Oh, uh, yeah. Poor bastard. That sucks. 
Well, uh, was you he, know, he, how old was he when he died? Like, he was, was he even 70? No, definitely not. I think he was maybe in his 60s. Oh, he was doing sucks. a... You know, we, I mean, I've been bringing up a lot of procedurals, but he was doing a CBS show with Sarah Michelle Geller at that time, and uh, that ruined that show. They <laughs> they had to, they had to dump that show mid season. <laughs> Fuck that! It was a real John Ritter eight simple rules situation, but they couldn't get David Spade to come and show up instead. Oh, is that what they did with that show? What a... think, yeah, they brought in David Switch. Spade to fill <laughs> fill the gap of John Ritter dying of a heart attack on the set. Yeah. Instead of playing the dad, he was playing the older guy trying to fuck the daughter. He was the <laughs> uncle. He came and stayed with them to help them grieve. That's how. Yeah, that I guess you. Out. I guess you couldn't throw the Robin Williams character into the subway like they did with Charlie Sheen, right? That Is show. that what they did on? I, I on, thought. So. I thought that's Hatman? what they did on. Yeah, I thought that's what they did with it. They just killed him. He like fell into a train tracks or something, and that's how he died. I think. It's been a while. They get particularly vicious with it when it's somebody who's fired from the show. Because that was Charlie Sheen after he went on that rant against Chuck Lorre and, and CBS. And right. then with Roseanne, they made her overdose on pills when she had a <laughs> pill problem. When she was on Ambien saying, you look like an ape to whatever politician woman that kind of did look like Helena Bonham Carter in that Tim Burton <laughs> ape movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I guess hey. when you're when you're canceled, you can just be a dick and kill him that way, and who cares? <laughs> sure, yeah, no one's gonna give a shit. You're ABC; you can do whatever you want. Yeah, very powerful. What do you think Friedkin's Planet of the Apes would look like? I don't know. He would really. I guess he'd really get into it. He'd have to like live uh, amongst a colony of apes or something for like a, <laughs> a year or something like that before he shot it. He's got to get in there. I, I do like be- his style. Benicio in the forest, just hunting down apes, going knife to knife with them. <laughs> yeah. A bone do you think, or something. Maybe. Do, you, do you think he would get him to fuck the ape woman? <laughs> I hope so. Some with hot a banana just makes the woman <laughs> suck up. <laughs> get her on her knees. <laughs> Benicio kind of looks. I mean, I, I can say it because he's also Latin American, so he kind of he kind of looks like a monkey already ish. <laughs> He's got like a very peculiar face, so I can I can That's see that funny. just a little bit of prosthetics. Uh, monkey King, I see, yeah. I see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this Killer Joe movie, I remember being really impressed with it when it came out in 2012 because it had such a different vibe than so many of the movies that were being released during that time. And you had uh, this is this is kind of like McConaughey trying to play it serious for the first time in a while because he had all those awful rom com movies. I know we were just mm-hmm. I, we were just talking about Ghosts of Girlfriends Past and. What was it? Failure Fool's to launch. And... Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> All these great <laughs> movies guy. from from the late aughts. Um, and this was yeah, the... Well, he, just, he just plays shirtless, retarded man with a tan in all of them. Mm-hmm. Shirtless, yeah. retarded man. <laughs> so this, this was like the first stab at that, and he nailed it. I think he's great in this movie. Uh, but also, uh, Thomas Hayden Church is very good. Is like oh, yeah, he's like an guy. idiot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, who is what is her name? Uh, Gina Gershon is is pretty mm-hmm. good. This is during like the time Juno Temple was a thing, and now she's on Ted Lasso because her movie career petered out. She got oh, too old. God. I just saw yeah Ted Lasso that looks awful, but yeah yeah she's uh, <laughs> she's she's pretty good in it. She's like a simple simpleton too, but in like a she like hit her head or something. Yeah. Is there a reason for her being like a perpetual child or something in the movie? I can't remember if they explain it or not. I don't she's think got so. A, 
It's like premature or something. I can't remember. It's been a while since I saw it. Yeah, she's 25 or so, but she acts like she's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And McConaughey's Killer Joe character becomes infatuated with her. And what mm-hmm. is it? I, I think it's Emile Hirsch and um, maybe the Thomas Hayden Church character hire him to kill somebody. Who do they hire him to kill? It's been a while since I've watched this. Um, it's they're trying to kill their mom. Or yeah, Emile Hirsch's mom. They're just like the worst people yeah. in that movie. <laughs> and then they, or she kills like a lot of them. I remember at the end, or she kills all of them, Juno Temple. Right. Uh, She's the retainer that Killer Joe wants to hold oh, on to. Yeah, yeah. And there's scenes of him just like hanging out naked in their family home. He's just <laughs> there. Uh, it's, it's very dark. And uh, I, I think yeah, all the performances are very good. Uh, when I rewatched it somewhat recently, uh, it seemed campier than it maybe did when I initially watched it in 2012 or 2013. But I, I, I still think it holds up. And as far as like a narrative film goes, uh, it's not a bad note for Friedkin to end his career on, I would say anyway. Yeah, I don't so think so. Is that the last one before The Father? The Devil and Father Morth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so was it just the, uh, the issue of feeling like new technology in an old guy's hands that, that bugged you about this movie or, um, was there anything else maybe you, you cited that made it pale in comparison to bug? Um, I think I just like the story, maybe a bug, but or the characters and stuff better in bug too. They're a little bit more, I, I say sympathetic. I don't really care if a character sympathetic or not, but I just maybe just liked watching them more like Michael Shannon's just so good uh killer joe is uh, yeah i don't i don't want to like say it's a uh i, I didn't like it I, I liked it a lot but uh yeah the the characters are so fucking like like they're trying to kill their mom <laughs> like they're they're just like so despicable which i don't mind like i'm not saying it's a totally bad thing but maybe that's why i like bug more it's just you kind of feel feel for the characters a bit more it's more of an internal conflict too, right? That they're having. And, and he gets very creative with some of the shots uh, that I can remember, at least with, with Bug. I definitely need to rewatch it, but uh, Killer Joe, it's more of a, you know, external conflict that they're all doing. Yeah, uh, totally. And it's more of a, more of a, I guess, paint by, maybe not paid by numbers, but more than Bug, definitely. Uh, so maybe that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, everything is very out there and the internal conflict uh, only uh, it's only on, on Joe because we don't really know mm-hmm. who he is. He's kind of like the, you know, the dark character that comes in with his black suit and black shirt and black pants yeah, yeah. and we don't really know much about him. But Bug is more of a, yeah, like an, an internal uh, issue that they're having where they're just making each other. Cra- well, he's making her crazy, I guess. Uh, so it's a more interesting way of just seeing them start here and then just descend into, mm-hmm. you know, craziness. That's interesting that you would say that Killer Joe is uh, more paint by the numbers uh, than than Bug. So I definitely have to give Bug a watch. I, I wish I had gotten it in right before this, but it's been such a hectic week. Uh, I'm probably going to wind up checking it out right after the show, after it no longer matters in any sort of creative sense. <laughs> but, uh, Devil and Father of Morth, that's the final film from William Friedkin. It's a documentary. It was released in 2017 and it's hardly even like a feature. I believe it clocks in just at a little over an hour. Yeah. It's an hour and eight minutes. 
this thing is it's not good. The bo- I mean the box office, what was the there's no audience going to show up for this anyway, but it made $20,000, which is damn abysmal. Yeah, I mean I guess it did it even go to theaters or maybe just like select very small. It's possible. Yeah, I know I know it was playing at a couple of art house uh theaters I think in New York anyway. Uh, when it was originally released. And I was thinking about checking it out because I was very big on Friedkin at that point. Like I was able to recognize him as one of my favorite directors, but uh, I did not get around to it. And thank God I didn't. I checked it out when it came to Amazon Prime and it was his whole thing. Like I'm revisiting where I started. I'm going to the Vatican. I'm going to document a real mm-hmm. exorcism. I'm a Catholic now. He's like, he completely changed his religion and, and life view. And there's a great, uh, clip of him haranguing uh darren aronofsky for being indirect or uh evading questions about his religious loyalty uh because darren aronofsky is just like well i don't because he had noah coming out around that time or something and he was like well i have my own personal beliefs or whatever and william friedkin is just repeating are you a christian (laughs) do you believe in god just over and over he's like well i believe in uh, science and scientific things and global warming and climate change and just like shut the fuck up just didn't freaking grow up jewish or yeah I, I, i watched his documentary um about him but i didn't know i didn't i didn't know if he'd like found or christ or something like that uh, recently it was it was hard to tell what what his religious standing was in from the documentary at least yeah uh, yeah there's there's actually there's two great documentaries that were released on friedkin and the exorcist that came out only a year ago i think i think they were finished years before but they didn't get a proper uh american release until last year one of them is called friedkin uncut and that covers him and uh that's some of his saw, body yeah. work yeah that's a great one and then there is a um i think it might be called fear of god that's about the production of the exorcist i i might have the title wrong but that's also a great watch so devil and father of morth he's documenting an exorcism and it's kind of boring but you're going along with it and then when it comes to the exorcism <laughs> he decided to add like a voice effect to the girl and it's very clearly a voice effect that's like built into Final Cut Pro or something like that. Where it's, just, it's very it's very unsolved mystery sitting in front of a, a curtain and it's a silhouette of a person type voice. But he says it's the real thing. And um, the ending, there's no ending. He says, this is what happened next. The doors all closed. The windows were flapping left and right wide open. She said my mother's, my dead mother's name and oh, everything fuck. else. It's, it's like, what are you doing, man? Just where happened to the footage, or something? did she uh, cut the camera off? Or I, I, I guess Kill, I don't know. The feed. Um, he said something along the lines of like, "Oh, they wouldn't let us film in there during this," and he oh, just okay. explains it away. In I know he said he was a believer, like in ex in like uh, possessions after he did that documentary from the from the freaking documentary that I remember. He mm-hmm. said that the Father of Morth documentary made him a a believer. So I believe him, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I, I'm not totally closed off to the idea of uh, very weird, unexplainable things. And it not just being simply ruled away as like, oh, well, this was just an uh, undiagnosed mental illness at this time. Who knows? I have no mm-hmm. idea. I've never experienced anyone who seems to be possessed. So my mind might change if that happens. You know, I don't know. But he's old. 
He probably wants to believe that. He knows. Oh, yeah, he knows coming it's coming soon. <laughs> but you're also not going to convince anyone by giving him a spooky voice, you know? That's the thing that's kind of like, oh, what's the message here? So it's like a it's like an obvious fake voice that he yes. pretends is like oh this is the this is like a ghost hunters or something style thing. It's it's literally that. It's played as a straight documentary, and then you get to that point where they're sitting down with the girl, and her voice is all fucked up digitally, and it's just mechanical sounding. It's it's a bad way to go out for, for William Friedkin. <laughs> hmm. I wonder. He's kind of a troll, though. I wonder. It makes me gets my uh, gets me thinking. I wonder what uh, what his intent was. I think that with a lot of his movies, like uh, even his like not so good movies, he he does kind of have a sense of humor. I saw Rampage. I don't know if you saw that. The I TV haven't movie or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one that slipped by me. What, what what is the gist of that one? Isn't that with Michael Bien or? I don't think Michael. I don't. I don't remember him in it unless he's the killer. Um, it's been a while since I saw that. I saw like a VHS rip of it. <laughs> Maybe yeah, my, 2015 or 16. He is in it. Is he the cop? Yeah. I guess. Okay. Um, it was cool though. It was it was a little eerie, but it was kind of funny to me in like a weird way. And like, is 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 Billy being funny here or not? Um, I thought about that about with uh, rules of engagement too. It's like. He's like very obsessed with morality in the whole film. And then the end of he's like, just kidding. The Muslims did it or something like that. There's like something kind of funny about his films. And I wonder about that. Maybe with his documentary, I I wonder what his intent was. Uh, That's another one I haven't seen. And I remember promotions for it when I was very young. And it just seemed like a very basic kind of like Tom Clancy style Mm -hmm. military drama, adult drama. So I never got around to it. It's still one I have to check out. But that has, I think... Samuel Jackson did that one have Tommy Lee Jones as well? Yeah, it's yeah him and Tommy Lee Jones are like the main guys, and uh, I don't know, it's pretty awesome. It's such a good like propaganda movie because it's right before nine eleven, and uh, I don't know, it just makes me it made you want to go to war with the Middle East. <laughs> it's it's like perfect perfect timing, like a little too good timing actually. Uh, Those, 12... That interview that interview that he has with Refn. Very very popular clip of oh, yeah. la- laughing at him. Is that a, <laughs> a sincere interview? Like, are they both being sincere, or are they fucking? Is I th- well, here's that the much thing. Of a- I I think they're both uh, uh, trolling each other and both mm-hmm. being sincere at the same time. I think yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it's they know what they're saying is going to rile up the other, <laughs> the other, but they yeah. also mean what they're saying to themselves. Like, okay. so I think it's that. And the entire, I, says, I, I put up, he, he says it's a masterpiece or something. And then he, just uh, like, he said, <laughs> only God forgives is a masterpiece. I'm probably then, more in that camp than not. A lot of people hate only yeah, God forgives. I love that fucking movie. That that's a beautiful film. That's a strange mm-hmm. film. I uh-huh, really enjoy so cool. it. I, uh, I made a VR film in like 2017. That's like, I pretty much tried to rip that movie off. I was so <laughs> obsessed with that movie at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. I love only God forgives. I don't what know does, what it is what about does that movie. making a VR movie into? I had I know absolutely nothing about VR for the record. I'm very old manish in that regard. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a, it was like I used like a video game engine to make it. Uh, it's only like 25 minutes long, um, but yeah, we uh, we had some actors come out and wear these like motion capture suits. And we did it all in 3D and uh, it took about, it took like two and a half years because I had to learn how to 
make a whatever a VR movie in a game engine. But it was very cool. It was very satisfying. And there's two other episodes that we shot. We shot it with Kentucker Oddly. I don't know if you're familiar with his movies. Um, and yeah, we shot two other episodes, but it just took so long to make that we kind of put it on the back burner until we could make something a bit more commercial. Uh, but if you ever get a VR headset, let me know. I'll send you a link and stuff so you can watch. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, what do you prefer between doing traditional directing and VR directing? Um, it's a good question. VR directing is such a pain in the ass because something is like the audience can look at everything all at once. It's just so it's so hard to cheat, <clears throat> and it's just so unknown at this point. Um, I probably would not make uh try and make a career out of directing VR films. It's just too too much work. It's too too laborious, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would go. Yeah, films are much more fun and much more like uh, they're more of a community. You're with your friends, you're hanging out. Like with a VR movie, you're just at least the way I did it. You're sitting in your fucking room all the time. Is it uh, even worth making making that? Like, is that technology uh, up there? Because I I live in a third world country, so I don't know anyone that. Yeah, has Hans doesn't know shit about VR either. <laughs> but uh, know nothing at all. Like the Oculus and like the PlayStation one, like do they sell a lot up there? Like, is that is there like a, a market for that type I think of thing? So. Yeah, I think this sure. this recent one, this uh, this guy here, this Oculus, uh, what is it? The the Quest Two is sold a lot. It's like the completely wireless one. And I've been making a game with a friend for like two years. It's like Time Crisis uh, t- style game, but it's like kind of a comedy. And we're doing like all the cutscenes just like in CG, but they're like, uh, we're not doing them like VR. It's just going to be like whatever, 16 by nine uh, cinema style. Cause I don't want to like deal with making a VR movie again, basically. <laughs> right. How long did it take you to do the perfect wife by comparison? Yeah. The perfect wife I shot in like a day and a half. Oh, really? uh, yeah. Yeah. That was really quick. I just shot the scenes in the bar in one night and then I got an Airbnb of the house and we just shot it throughout the just an entire day through the night. So that's like quick. It was like a fun weekend where we just hang out with your friends uh, and just like kind of joking around and trying to do funny shit and make each other laugh. It's a much uh, the collaborative process of making a movie like that's way more fun uh, and just way less work. Where did you get the idea to do that? Did that just pop into your head out of nowhere, specifically the perfect wife? Um, I think so. I think I was just, I couldn't sleep one night and I was laughing about, about thinking about some woman's head getting slammed in the fridge. Because <laughs> originally it was, I wanted to have a woman, but my friend Rob, uh, who's a really awesome director, was like, you're never, you should not make this. It's like, you're going to get canceled. And Facebook, since I'm trying to release my Oculus stuff through Facebook, they're like, not going to, they're going to like hate me. So I, I, I put the masked, masked woman, masked man woman on there to lighten it a bit. But I think it would have been funny with a woman getting beaten, personally. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I, I, I recommend everybody check it out. That caught my attention a while back, and that's how I wound up following you and uh, how the show came into fruition. Thanks. It is a very enjoyable short film. You can check that out on uh, your Vimeo, which I don't know if you got a convenient mm-hmm. link. All my links are... See, I was real stupid back in 2017 when I started doing this. I was like low-res Wonder Bread on YouTube, and I added the like the umlau in the <laughs> hyperlink so now it just oh doesn't yeah work. yeah it's just oh, done forever um yeah it's cool though 
it, it's it's <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I, it's very it makes it very difficult to find anything I'm mm. doing. That's what I've noticed. I mean, you could have done it graphically, but not enter it like that. I know I'm, it could be. I wasn't thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I want to make more movies, though. I love making movies. I'm really excited for you guys' movie, too. Mass oh, State yeah. Lottery. It looks awesome, man. Thank you. We're getting back to work on that in... Uh, what's the date, Hans? We're, like, almost a, less than a month from now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, specific. That's why this week has been so stressful and hectic, is planning for that. It's like, oh, God, we have 10 days. We got a bunch of people flying in, a bunch of money being spent. That fundraiser, uh, you know, really helped us out. Like, we... we the movie would be probably done, but now it's going to be done. And it's going to be really good compared to Fuck yeah. pretty good, which is where it, where it was at previously. So I'm very happy about that. I'm excited to get back to work on that. And then it's just a matter of, all right, let's line up the next thing for, for March now, hopefully the next feature. So that's, that's what yeah, the current probably. game plan is. Um, <laughs> that's why I started watching you guys. Oh, the Mass State Lottery trailer? Yeah, well, I I knew that you I saw like some of the podcasts or whatever, and I I uh, I, I may watch a little bit of it, but then I saw the trailer and it made me want to watch because I was like, they're actual filmmakers, like that's so much more interesting. I don't care about non filmmakers' opinions about films at this point, so I was like, these guys are cool. <laughs> I want to watch, and the <laughs> podcast is great. I like love watching the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I watch it all like the time. All, all a lot. Every film podcast is some combination of whatever the standard journalist opinion is or Wikipedia entries being read out loud for so minutes. fucking annoying. And I, just breaking down the logic of every film. Like, mm-hmm. why would this character do this? Or I'm like, shut the fuck up. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't um, matter. Uh, it what cool? I really get into uh, the habit of doing every so often, like I'll just go through, um, uh, you know, the iTunes directory, trying to find new, podcast episodes like random shows that i'll probably never listen to otherwise on like uh takashi kitano who's a japanese oh yeah writer. yeah yeah he's, My fave. he's he, yeah he's great he's awesome mm-hmm. or um another japanese filmmaker is nabiko obayashi oh yeah um, the director of house he's got so many weird obscure yeah, yeah. movies that have just not made it to house america somewhere yet. around here it's yeah yeah it's watched... hard to find them did he do no he i was thinking of somebody else I was thinking he did in the realm of the senses, but I, uh, Obayashi did do a Sada Abe story. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But anyway, I digress. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so nobody really talks about these guys, and I'll I'll stumble upon like a podcast from 2011, and it's just a couple of guys sitting around, and it's literally just. And did you know that Takashi Kitano was in the two beats? And this was a comp, just like all the most boring basic shit. Uh-huh. They're acting like. They wow. they knew it. They did the research. Uh-huh. They found this out, <laughs> and they all sound the exact same. I've listened to oh, several. God. Just reiterating that. I hate it. I get caught up watching that shit, and I'm like, that was a waste of fucking time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, I think we've said all we need to say about William Freak, and we're pressed for time tonight. I think we wound up going over a little bit, but I think that was a great episode. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, guys. Awesome. Uh, so where, where do you want people to follow you? I mean, we should have really done this at the beginning of the show, but uh, where do you we want should. to have people We should get on that because we always say that and we completely forget. Just to get <laughs> Every to episode is just like, ah, we probably should have mentioned Patreon or something in the first five minutes. And not the <laughs> oh, <first."> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I need like a website, but now I just have vimeo.com slash gerlardo is where I put my movies. And then I have my YouTube as well, but don't worry about that. My Vimeo's got everything on there. 
Yeah, nobody really watches like short films on on YouTube. It seems like yeah, yeah. Except my one short film. I have a short film that has eleven million hits because it looks like a porn. Oh, like the the main screenshot is like a girl going down on a guy, and it's just loaded with Indians. (laughs) Horny as hell. (laughs) That that kind of uh, I I for whatever reason, certain things will get chosen by the algorithm, and a bunch of people just believe it's something it's not. We have an episode of movies. That was on the movie uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99, the Vince Vaughn uh, State movie. Very good movie. And it was just like the close-up of the back of his head. And I think a bunch of people thought it was the movie and clicked it. And it got got 128,000 views or whatever, which is the most of any episode on YouTube. (laughs) And it has a whole bunch of downvotes. Oh, fuck. And, and it's just a standard, like, one-hour episode of the show. Uh-huh. And there's no comments or anything. It's just, it's very peculiar. Yeah, that's what happened with mine. It's got, like, 11 million hits, but, like, 500 comments or something like that. And most mm. of them are, like, you are going to hell for this movie. <laughs> like, Allah will strike you down. Or, like, sex stuff, like, uh, links to some, like, porn site or something. It's really yeah, funny. That's always great. When you get tongue emojis <laughs> in the comments section. Yeah. Ugh, she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going right. to talk to you. Message me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've started calling myself a YouTube documentarian recently because, like, I think that most YouTube documentaries, it's just people, like, they um, they just gather clips online and they just, like, read articles. And then, you know, it's just, like, a rundown. But what I've been doing, uh, you know, especially for, like, my past, like, five or six videos is, like, I actually go out, you know, I meet people. I uh, do on-camera interviews. I get exclusive footage, and it's much more like a uh, traditional documentary than um, what people are accustomed to on YouTube. So, yeah, I just put out this one, and, um, yeah, you know, it's got a great response. And, um, yeah, check it out. Yeah, okay. you're you're on your way to a million views at this rate. Um, yeah. I, I would just say, at this point, you're a documentarian. I wouldn't even put YouTuber in front. YouTube is just the platform. YouTube yeah. could disappear in a week. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're doing real boots on the ground work with these documentaries and it's impressive stuff. Um, I, I do, that. I do have a question for you tonight. Do you consider documentaries to be a legitimate part of the filmography of somebody who does not primarily work in documentary film? For example, the director we're talking about tonight is William Friedkin. His mm-hmm. last movie was a really terrible documentary that I was uh, devastated by because I was like, William Friedman has finally made a new movie, The yeah. Devil and Father of Morth. And it was one of the worst things he could have come up with. It, it was horrible. It was hardly even a, a feature length. I think it was like 68 minutes, but it was put out in theaters. And, uh, you know, so he's got this little blemish in his filmography. But there's plenty of, like, narrative uh, scripted directors who do venture into documentary work uh uh, there are tons some of them get their start yeah like Werner herzog Mm -hmm. is a great example where you know his documentaries are great i think that grizzly grizzly man is probably the best thing he's ever done and also the funniest yeah (laughs) that movie's fucking hilarious um so your question is i didn't quite get your question i don't quite understand what you're well all right think about it like this if i'm a fiction writer and then i write a nonfiction book Mm-hmm. Is that suddenly given the same weight as all of my fiction novels? If you do a ranking of my work, are you including the memoir I might have written along with all these fiction novels? Ooh. Do you think it's one and the same? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
you know, if if they're primarily a fictional director, like I don't think that people look at Martin Scorsese and think like about all of his, you know, the concert. The stuff Rolling he, Thunder Review, yes. Yeah, that, they, they don't really think about like um, that or like that Bob Dylan, like the four-hour documentary made about mm. Bob Dylan. They, those feel like side projects for him, but with like, I think Werner Herzog is the best example of this because now he's primarily a documentarian. And I think that's sort of, um, for a lot of people, it has usurped like a lot of his earlier fictional work, even though a lot of that stuff is great. And, yeah. You know, I've probably enjoyed uh, his documentaries much more than uh, his traditional scripted features on the whole. I do think his work with Klaus Kinski is uh, terrific. And I actually thought uh, his movie Family Romance LLC, which feels like a documentary and it's shot with like really cheap uh, cameras. He might have shot it on like an iPhone or something I, it, like it has like virtually no color correction done to it. That's a great movie as well. I thought that was one of the better movies released in that abysmal year for film. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Just curious about that. Hans, what do you think? I don't, I don't watch documentaries because I'm not smart enough to get them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for a narrative and I'm just like, I don't have one. I have to think. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, I, I, it, it's difficult to say because, uh, with those couple of examples that you guys gave, uh, they both, they have both good, uh, fiction and good documentaries. So, I think it'll be tough to to uh, dismiss uh, documentaries uh, just because it's not their main, I guess, work. Um, and with that, I'm, I, I just realized that I have said nothing. Uh, <laughs> but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that I I, I see them as like the, as equal, I guess, as as their movies, as long as it's like a full length and not just like a half an hour. Well, it, it's not a matter of one being superior to the other. It's does this count as part of this canon? I think so, yeah. Why not? Why wouldn't it? Because it's you know? not scripted. It's a documentary. I don't know. I don't know. Just something to ponder, maybe, for the listeners and the viewers of this program. We are talking about a fully scripted feature tonight. We're talking about a feature that I believe was maybe based on a play yeah. uh, mm -hmm. or was at least written by a playwright, uh, Tracy Letts, who mm -hmm. also scribed Killer Joe, which is William Friedkin's follow-up to this movie, and arguably his last film. If you believe documentaries are part of that canon, then no, it is not his last film. Uh, this is a movie I have not checked out until uh, recently for this program. I like to leave myself, when I really enjoy a director, I like to leave myself one film to watch at a much later point, right? So with Stanley Kubrick, I've seen all of his films except for Spartacus. I have Spartacus on my shelf over there. Haven't watched it yet. Just holding on to it. Probably not his best one to hold on to either. Um, and with William Friedkin, it has been this one. And I also just haven't been that eager to get around to putting it on. Uh, but man, did I enjoy this film when I put it on today. Um, Oki, this was your selection. And I, 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 you know, you selected Joe the last time we had you on. That's another great film. Uh, yeah. I can't even, I can't remember what we started. Oh, Sorcerer. Sorcerer, yeah. We started yeah. with Sorcerer. So yeah. we're back to William Friedkin here. Uh, what made you pick Bug? Dude, I'm not, you know, here's like the thing. You said horror movie. And like, I don't know. That was the first thing that came to my mind because I don't, I don't know how much I'm like into horror as a genre, to be completely honest. Like, I really appreciate like the filmmaking aspects of horror. Um, and it's, it's always like, 
when I see something technically really well done, I you know that's something that um, obviously I really enjoy. But there's something like um, a disconnect for me with most horror, because um, I just I don't get, I don't find it scary. I just yeah. find it impressive. Um, so I kind of I I prefer more so like psychological over the top kind of like stuff like this or like you know a more mainstream example would be like black swan then i would like you know a mm. uh, more traditional like you know like a slasher movie or something so this was like, I, I don't know this was the first thing that came to my mind i was like and i've been meaning to get like at least someone to watch this for the longest time because <laughs> i love i love this movie i love how fucking over the top it gets yeah you know, especially <laughs> near the end um so yeah that's that's kind of it it's just it's just crazy. It's a I, fucking intense, insane movie. I think the, the biggest problem about horror, especially with people that have been around the internet for, for years, is that, well, I was watching uh, cartel beheading videos when I was like 14. Yeah. So anything worse than, you're not going to find anything worse than that in a horror movie or, or anything that's that realistic that would actually scare you. So, yeah, I, I completely get where you're coming from when it comes to horror. I, I like it more when it's goofy or when it doesn't take itself seriously and unfortunately nothing that i've watched recently has been that uh other than what is it terrifier terrorizer i keep messing up that name uh, yeah uh but that's that's one of the issues that i have with modern horror is that uh a24 kind of ruined that genre a little bit because some people believe that it has to be slow and it has to you know, no no jump scare or anything anything that might create a reaction from you. It's more like, well, look at how uncomfortable you're going to feel after we're staring at this wall and this ugly person for three minutes, you know? I can't wait uh, for them to do that to that Friday the 13th series that yeah. they're doing for Peacock. Yeah, that sounds horrible. What, a prequel, right? Yeah, by Brian Where Fuller. I, yeah, we're going to see a mentally handicapped child shot very beautifully <laughs> you're gonna see his, his blisters and his gross face in, in eight in 4k beautiful yeah that doesn't sound appealing to me at all uh but i agree with you uh when it comes to horror that it's it's very difficult to connect with the scare factor of it if you've been around the internet for a couple of years oh yeah for sure and you know here's the thing that i um yeah so there are so many horror movies that come out these days, especially within the past couple of years, because I think that it's like low investment and then high reward because you could you could have a theatrical release for horror movies. You know, the te teenagers will go see it in mm. droves. Right. And it could be made for like uh, two million to three million dollars. But then they're they all feel the fucking same. Like mm. all of them feel the same and they all have the same pattern and the same um like, I don't know. It feels like it's written by the same person every single time. I think the only one recently was that, like, Barbarian felt a little, like, it felt a lot different than what I usually see uh, coming out. Um, and then there was something else that I forget about. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, it just, it just feels like the same movie over and over. Barbarian has been the... I guess shining example for for horror so far this year. That one has gotten uh, tons of good reviews. Everybody seems to love that movie except for Hans. Yeah, um, <laughs> oh, really? yeah. Wait, we're covering it. it. Yeah. We're, well, we're covering it next week, so we shouldn't delve okay. too deep into All that. Right. But go, yeah, go ahead anyway, Hans. Rant. It's just. Uh... 
I, I hate when a movie is going somewhere and then it just turns dumb so that the story can happen. Uh-huh. Uh, well, this movie shouldn't have happened. Within the first two minutes, you're just like, bitch, just go. And then yeah. she stays and you're just like, all right. So she's dumb. We're setting that up that she's dumb, but she's not. And then she is. And then the, I feel like it just flip-flops whenever the movie needs it to. And I hate that. I hate when when everything that happens needs the main character or the other characters to do something really stupid or to have a, a decision or make a decision that no one with a thinking brain would do. And that's what puts them in peril or in, you know, in danger. And I just also I, I didn't like the design of the of the monster. It was very hills have eyes y but not as creepy. And that came out what twenty years ago. The reason, yeah, I mean, my my, my only problem with Barbarian, um, aside from it kind of becoming more of like a generic horror film toward the third act, yeah. was that monster feeling more like uh, like something you'd find on Mad TV. You know, <laughs> I thought, I, that's, that that was my perception of it. I was kind of like, hmm, okay, but like I didn't really have any real qualms about that movie. I, I thought it was probably one of the, for a year where all of the horror movies are getting. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. People are really gassing up these films that are mediocre. Yeah. Like it, it seems like if it just gets dropped on Hulu, you're going to get great critical reception just because. Um, yeah. I thought that was one of the less offensive examples of that where, you know, I can understand where people are coming from, where they think it's a great movie or a fun movie or a good movie. I didn't have a bad time with Barbarian. But again, we'll get into that next week. With, with Frank Austin coming back. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what have you seen this year? And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about William Friedkin's uh, body of work. Who, me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, dude, I have been mostly just watching older movies recently. I just, um, god damn, I had a fucking long list of them, but... Um, you gotta get on Letterboxd. I started one. I started one recently. Let me try and find that shit, because I, I did start one. That's what I do every time. Yeah, always I, asks me, I'm like, oh, let me. If I don't remember what I just watched. Let me go back. I use that more as just like a cataloging <laughs> website for yeah. this show more than anything else. Just so I, I, I know what we've already talked about. I know what I've watched this year. Um, it's been a pretty decent year on the whole, though. I think for movies, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I have done a deep dive into uh, tons of horror movies just the past month, just this past week. I was watching Toby Hooper's The Fun House recently. That's quite enjoyable. Um, do you have any thoughts on Toby Hooper, Hans? That's not somebody we've really talked about at length before on the show, but we've gone to Romero and everybody else. Yeah, that's one of those old, what is it, uh, um, Masters of Horror that I don't think we've spoken much about, and I'm not very familiar with what he's done, so let me pull that up. Yeah. Uh, he did Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw one and two, right. uh, Salem's oh, okay. Lot, Poltergeist, I Tarantino. I've actually seen Funhouse. I did. I wasn't crazy about it. That's the thing. But it was. Uh, it was. You know, it was all right. It's a. It's a standard '80s film. I think yeah. it has like a kind of cool idea for a monster. I guess, which is just, it's a birth defect. Yeah. That's all it is. Keep it simple. <laughs> it's a birth defect. Uh, Tarantino did it. His final chapter in his book on the Funhouse. Uh, that just came out yesterday, I think it was. I, Cinema I heard, Speculation. I heard some stuff about that book. Like, it's, like, really mediocre. Did you enjoy it? or? It's, uh, I mean, if, I listened to the audio book of it. So um, he only narrates the first and the last chapter, like the prologue and the epilogue. 
And uh, it's really just a kind of fractured thoughts of different movies. Like he could have done this as a podcast or something. It, it, it felt like he got a two book deal with Harper Collins or whoever put out once upon a time in Hollywood, the, the novel. And uh, he was just like, all right, well, let me just write my thoughts out on 12 different movies. I feel so, like, yeah, oh, it's sorry. whatever. I feel like every, anytime I listen to Tarantino talk about movies, it's literally him just being like, and this guy who was in this movie, in this obscure movie, was in this thing. <laughs> and then like, it's literally just connections. It's like, like very autistic, very like, you know, cataloging. Like he's got like, like uh, a catalogers mind more so than, you know, like, and like, I, I, I can't h- hate on him for that because like, personally, I'm not really that great at like doing like in-depth film criticism or whatever, but uh he just seems like a like a fanboy more so like than like a deep intellectual type. Yeah, you know? and it, that definitely comes across in the writing. I I don't think you know he's got some very questionable opinions on movies in general. Where you know everybody loves to point at him saying the Lone Ranger, the Army Hammer Lone Ranger, uh, was one of the better films of 2014 or 2013, whatever it dropped. Uh, but you know, as far as his taste goes, when it comes to like movies from the 70s or 80s. Uh, and what films he chooses to criticize, uh, he, you know, he he never really has like a universally sound point. He's very distinct in his opinions that are tailored to him and not really, um, you know, you, you can't treat it like the Bible. Like he was very, he wrote a chapter on Paul Schrader's hardcore in that book. And it's just completely negative. And it's about like how, snuff films are just a boogeyman and Paul Schrader was was putting that it felt like very weirdly activisty for for sex work or something um Oops. i don't know it, and it, it just seemed like you're missing the who was he dating at the time i think that's <laughs> what we need to look up <laughs> right. um and it, it kind of just felt like he missed the point of i don't know what the movie was or was supposed to be so i don't know i i enjoy tarantino's opinions for what they are but i don't treat them as um sound necessarily mm-hmm. yeah uh, much like um much like somebody like a nicholas winding refin who uh infamously did verbal battle with the director of the film we're talking about tonight <laughs> bug um i think I, I i think i've said this before on the show i it is my opinion that william friedkin is the best living director mm-hmm. um i don't think there's anybody better than this guy and that's not to say he has like the most consistent filmography because there is certainly a lull period in his career where you get to probably the mid eighties up until maybe this movie. Yeah. And there's not a whole lot that is worthwhile or worth looking at in there. Um, I think a lot of his best films came uh, in the seventies and then you have cruising in 1980 and then it's it's pretty hard to spot what is good up until he teams up with Tracy Letts. Yeah, Blue Chips is pretty good. <laughs> I actually hear that one is good. I haven't. I yeah, haven't, yeah. I I haven't not watched it though. He made like is, is Blue Chips the football movie or no basketball? Oh, it's that's a with Nick movie. Nolte, right? Oh yeah, okay. Nick Nolte playing the coach. Yeah, breaking the rules so that <laughs> you know so that his players get. He's like, um, motivated by the screaming white guy. Yeah. It's, it's got Shaq in it. Like YouTube video or something talking about it. Like talking about, they were talking about like college sports and like, oh yeah, Nick Nolte's character in that movie. Like he decides to like start paying the, the players under the table or something. That's I like, think it was 
it was Shaq's first movie, if I'm not mistaken. He was oh, very really? young and and lean. Wow. You know that that uh, famous acting career, Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was a big fan of Steel when I was a kid. The the Superman spinoff movie. So. Uh, he had a very illustrious 90s film career between that and what was it, Kazam? Kazam, yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen Blue Chips. That's one I'm getting around to at some point. Uh, but I did watch The Hunted from, I think it was like 2002 with Benicio Del Toro and Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, I thought that was real painful to sit through. That was <laughs> pretty rough. I Honestly, I, I if it's not for, I, I, maybe Tracy Liz did, 75% of the heavy lifting with these later Friedkin films. Cause if you just ignore this one and then killer Joe yeah. and you just take a look at his nineties work and then leading into the devil and father of Morth, it's like, that's more mm -hmm. consistent and it's not good. Consistent. Is that the, <laughs> okay, you, you can go, you can go. I just, I, I don't know if you're going to move on from this haunted movie because I don't know if I've seen it, but is that the one with Tommy Lee Jones uh, running as a very old man where he just runs chasing after someone? He's just very sad. As a very old man 25 years ago. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's, all. To, That's all I wanted. <laughs> I used to have that on VHS. That's one of like uh, the movies when I was growing up. But uh, I was going to say, like, uh, when it comes to like the heavy lifting, it also helps that like a lot of the actors that were on doing those Tracy Lutz stage plays like uh, Michael Shannon are also in these movies, you know? Oh, I didn't know he did the play as well. See, I don't know yeah. anything about um, the, the actual plays of this and of killer Joe. What are your thoughts on killer Joe, by the way? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love how fucking dirty both of these, those movies are oh, yeah. just like dirty, grimy, like fucked up movies. Like uh, in this one, they're like doing meth, like in, right in the beginning while they're partying, <laughs> you know, you got like domestic abuse. Like in fucking killer Joe. Uh, what's that lady's name from that movie bound? Who's also in this uh, uh, fuck. And she's also, I think she's Juno also Temple. No, not Juno Temple, but Juno Temple gets naked a bunch of times. <laughs> Killer yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that's no. that's what she was hired for, I think. And around that time, it was just like, oh, that blonde girl who shows gets her naked. Boobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that was her whole thing. No, anyway, so there's like in Killer Joe, like one of the first scenes, like um, it's just like this the the actress, the one who with the KFC at the end, like the first scene is just her. Oh, with Gina Gershon, right? Yeah, she's got a merkin on, and she's like fucking all like like nude from bottom like from her bottom you know up like she's just wearing like a shirt and just like her vagina is just like out that's one of the first scenes <laughs> in killer joe you know it's just a dirty scuzzy fucked up like both of them are just yeah just in the gutter and you know i really like that about them you know yeah, uh, you killer joe them. killer joe really creatively invigorated me when i watched that back in like 2011 or so and i've gone back to it and i still enjoy it i think it's a very good film but it doesn't have like the same uh, energy to it that it had when I f first watched it. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that Matthew McConaughey wasn't like current day Matthew McConaughey. So it was kind of a very interesting, different off type role for him before he uh, became known for True Detective and Dallas Buyers Club. I think this movie Bug might be better than that. Um, oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it is wow. much more stripped down. And they do something with this film in that you know, much like a stage play, it, it's set in one location, but they make that location 
interesting uh, period, more and more periodically throughout the film as Michael Shannon's character gets more comfortable there and or rather less comfortable there and starts losing his mind yeah. uh, more and more in like the tinfoil it just all the tinfoil everywhere it was it was uh very visually interestingly done or a way to handle a single location film did you notice from the beginning of the movie like uh i think it's the first scene you hear the black helicopter like mm -hmm. going around mm -hmm. like it's like it's a constant thing throughout the whole movie that there's like, you know, the conspiracy of like the black helicopters following people. You could just hear like the, um, with the engine of the, of the helicopter and it starts right from the beginning. It's, um, it's good. Like the energy of that movie. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Shannon is definitely pulling some uh, off the bat, uh, some very Ted Kaczynski vibes with his character where he's talking about, uh, hearing the machines at night and, and all that. Um, <laughs> Ashley Judd is also very good in this movie. For oh, some reason, so good. I, you know, I, I didn't have a particularly high opinion of her acting career, and I'm not yeah. even really sure why that is because I don't think she's done anything that's been, you know, I, if, she, during this time, downright terrible. She used to be uh, the one, like the girl in the 90s who did all of the, like, like the thriller movies, like with like Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Double Jeopardy. And like oh, that no, no. With like, uh, that was Tommy Lee Jones. She did, uh, yeah. what was it, Along Came a Spider or something? Kiss the yeah, Girls. Yeah, but then she did like like a string of them. Like that was mm -hmm. what she was known for. She was like, she played the cop or the lawyer that, you know, I don't take shit. Yeah, you better get out of my way. I don't take shit. Mm -hmm. Like that was her whole <laughs> fucking characteristic in like the 90s, you know. Um, and then, but she's so fucking phenomenal. I was so surprised, like, the first time I watched this, how fucking good she is. Like, she, I don't know how even someone taps into that. Like, it felt so fucking real. The, like, you know, that kind of, what is that uh, term uh, again, where it's like two people who are in a relationship and code, codependent kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Where she's like screaming at the friend when she's trying, like the friend's trying to help her. She's like, "This is the only good thing in my life." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't. Fuck she got it that. Up. She got that autistic penis once and drove her crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What did he say? He says, uh, I pick up I pick up on things and he makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. And then he says, I haven't been to bed with a woman for a long time, but I think I could go to bed with you. And she's like, Okay. And from then on, you know, they become this uh inseparable couple of very unstable people yeah they i you know he's got a great line uh as well that i think i posted to the facebook group uh where she's like uh so are you into oh, women are you you know she's she's trying to question him about his history uh the line is are you a homo i'm not anything really i'm done with that that was Michael Shannon's uh, response to that. His character is so feels so authentically mentally ill, like yeah. the way that their relationship unfolds and how there's this shared delusion between them and and it absorbs her essentially feels so realistic to me in that, you know, you kind of at first play along if you've ever like been around a mentally ill person for like a significant amount of time, you almost have to. Yeah, I'm referring to you, Hans. That's, um, you know, you almost have to find yourself at points where you're playing along with it, but then you can yeah. get sucked up into that if you're around that person for too long and it can just become this very unwinding, terrible thing. 
and it does in this film. It gets very uh, grotesque. And I think part of the um, part of the genius of the writing and also the direction is not making it immediately obvious that it's a delusion. So there are parts that kind of go along with what Michael Shannon is saying, like the helicopters being outside and all, all of that. You know, you're not immediately in on it, but anyone with common sense by the very end of that is going to realize with this man torn up trying to pull egg sacs that aren't there out of his body. <laughs> um, you know, it's all just in his head. He's created this situation for himself. And it's so fucking terrifying when that's what kind of why, like when he said, Hey, do you know any horror movies that you want to talk about? And I, I, when I think about that, I think about him pulling up his shirt and showing all of those fucking scars and scabs and fucking open wounds. And just like the first time I saw that, and actually even when I rewatched it, it was just so fucking unsettling saying that, you know, like, hmm. well, when he starts taking his tooth out well he did that multiple times but the first time he just goes uh, and it's like yeah. like dealing with a yeah like dealing with a child that doesn't want to let go of something so you're just trying to get to him but the kid is still doing it <laughs> I, it felt like that where she's like no don't do that and he's like tr pushing her off him uh with his elbows as he's pulling his teeth out because they have bugs in them or no eggs was it yeah it was, <laughs> yeah, it was eggs i yeah. think it was eggs yeah yeah, he uh, believes that there was an egg sac plant planted in his tooth and that they're somehow trying to find them through the bugs or something. They're, they're right. government and bugs. He, remo he removed multiple teeth because I guess he couldn't find the right one. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, he's he's a great character. Harry Connick Jr. also gives a uh, surprisingly good performance. Not that I've seen him be like terrible or anything, but... Uh, he's primarily known as a singer, right? So I, I don't know. I only know of him from like guest appearances on Friends and shows like that, shows I don't watch. So I, I don't know. Uh, that was another reason probably why I was holding off on watching this uh, is because of Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I don't even bill. know who that is. Uh, he's the uh, like the deadbeat just out of prison. Uh, oh, no, I know. Like I kind of guessed who that was in like the movie, but I don't know what he is otherwise. Like he's a country singer, I guess he said. Uh, yeah, I don't know I what don't he sings. What... I thought he did like, um, like, like jazz or something. Like a crooner. Yeah, yeah. I think he might be a crooner. <laughs> huh. uh, I would pull it off, but we'll get flagged immediately. Yeah, we don't need to listen to the the hits of Harry Connick Jr. Um, yeah, no, he, his, his filmography is primarily like Law and Order. And just procedural appearances. So, uh, oh, when Harry, no, that's discography. Never mind. So, uh, yeah, uh, this movie is really something interesting. And it's kind of up until, I guess, recently, because they did add it to HBO Max and, and Hulu, it's kind of hard to track down a decent copy. It's on DVD, um, but it hasn't been pressed for Blu ray or any other format since. And I'm not even sure if it was on streaming for a period of time. Uh, Hans, how did you ultimately wind up watching this movie? The reliable one, two, three movies. <laughs> oh. I had I had like five torrents going. They didn't move at all. I couldn't find a streaming service because Hulu is not. I can't use Hulu here even with a VPN. And HBO Max uh, didn't have it for Latin America, so I couldn't watch it there either. So I ended up, yeah, one, two, three movies. In I've never used that site, actually. My torrent like a fuck ton. So yeah. I'm gonna add that to the list of movie of sites he is. 
It's um, not bad as a last resort. Um, it's yeah. kind of on par with what you linked me with, uh, Oki, in terms of uh, just trying to find something. Uh, because I primarily use, well, you know, YTS.MX is like the yeah, best. Yeah, I use that, yeah. That, I don't oh, know yeah. how they haven't been shut down yet. <laughs> um, that's always quality. That's the best streaming service as far as I'm concerned. You know what annoys me about that site is like when I, when I torrent a foreign movie and they don't have the subtitles with yeah. the with the movie so then you have to go yeah. and you have to try and find the subtitles but yeah it's you gotta go to yts subtitles.com or yeah, something like yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, i tried to get peter von kant from that site that is a uh, a remake of the fassbender film the bitter tears of petra von kant and it said it had it and i downloaded it i was so excited and then i i turned it on and uh, it was just like twinks dancing in their underwear for seven minutes. And I, I started to go, wait a minute, this seems <laughs> older than 2022. What is this? What, what is this, uh, LimeWire? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what it, I got LimeWire there. It was not the movie. It was just some other movie. I have no idea what that was even. Uh, and they, whoever did it cut out the title from the movie so no one would question it. So uh, I only learned that. You got gay porn. Yeah, I basically <laughs> got gay porn. Uh so that that was not great. They, they failed. The that you, you got the tender moments of a gay porn yeah. pornography. Movie. <laughs> I, I I gotta say something real quick about Bug. Yeah. It's in a trilogy of Michael Shannon uh, being crazy movies that I fucking really love. It's a it's the it's an un um like it's not a, an actual trilogy, but in my mind it's a trilogy. So it goes from this Bug to Take Shelter, where he's like he he just feels like the need to create like a fallout shelter mm -hmm. right and he goes crazy and like everybody around him is like what the fuck are you spending all your money on this fucking fallout shelter for you know and then uh at the end of that it's the herzog movie my my son my son what have ye done so that's that's the thing that ends his trilogy so if you want to watch like three michael shannon movies that where he just goes crazy th those are the three movies to watch and he's really good at being crazy He's the best. Uh, I did watch My Son, My Son, What Have You Done earlier this year, uh, and I quite enjoyed that. I don't know if I've seen uh, Take Shelter. Oh, I feel like I might have caught pieces of it on cable. No, it's a great, yeah, no, that's a great movie. That's like uh, before Jeff Nichols fucking went out and made shit like mud. You know, like he was actually like pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking made a shitty movie mud. You know? uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Herzog is somebody, you know, he, he's, I've done kind of a, a dive into his earlier work uh, this year, and he has been rising the charts for me as one of my uh, favorite directors that I've just recently gotten into. Um, have you checked out much of his work with Klaus Kinski from the 70s? I've been, I was also looking yeah. into Klaus Kinski a fuck ton, and that is just like a weird, bad dude. Uh, class oh, Kinsey. There was like, there's stories from the set where it's like, you know, oh, I have to pull a gun on uh, Klinsky so he doesn't leave, and like, mm. oh, he's like being really abusive and stuff. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of it is, uh, I don't know how much I can trust it. It's probably just like lore, mythomaniac kind of like lore making kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, I've, I've watched like uh, Agria. I don't, I always forget how to pronounce it. Agria, Wrath of God, and like, um, yeah, a bunch of those movies. That was like really early on to when I started getting to into films. That's like that was um I watched a lot of early Herzog movies. But my favorite early Herzog movie is Trozek, which is 
fucking depressing as hell. It's about this mentally handicapped guy who like goes to America and then he he gets he like he hooks up with a whore and then like she ends up I think she ends up like fucking him over or like stealing from him or something. Um, and I don't want to say how it ends, but it's it is honestly the most like depressing. But at the same time, I'll say of... how he kills her. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I watched this recently. It was on Tubi or Pluto or one of those free uh, uh, sites, one of those free, free apps. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That's that's actually probably my favorite of his early work as well. Yeah. Uh, Kinski's terrific in that. Uh, you know, I was trying to get a copy of his autobiography for a period of time, which had to be pulled from publication until he removed some very spicy, very illegal details from his autobiography. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, what he did he like, do? He was yeah. <laughs> bragging about his incest. Oh. <laughs> yes. So. Holy shit. That he's, he's not a good guy. Or he wasn't a good guy. He died in like 92 or 93. I'm not breaking any news here. Uh, but if you are to believe any of that, and according to Werner Herzog, he thought half the autobiography was lies. This guy was pure theater, loved to uh, paint a picture of himself that was not true. But um, some family members have since come out and said, yep, I had sex with my dad. Oh, so, so that like good. that kind of incest too. Holy well, shit, I was, yeah, worse. I mean, he's, he's talking about fucking his mom, his oh, his every female family oh, wow. member you can imagine. Oh no, family affair. That's right. <laughs> oh man, uh, just terrible. But uh, great Nosferatu that Klaus can see. <laughs> I've never, see, I've never yeah. seen the Werner Herzog Nos Nosferatu, but I tried to watch like the first Nosferatu, and I'm like. All right, cool. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I, I spent like twenty minutes watching it. I'm like, yeah, all right, whatever. That's enough. You that, can that you is... can just look at stills from that movie and you'll get the idea. Yeah, yeah. That is my uncultured opinion in all of those 1920s movies. We're just like, oh, I see what they're doing here. That's cool. I'm not gonna sit here for two hours while an orchestra plays in the background and people move very quickly. Like I. I I don't the care. Only, <laughs> I don't the know. only one that like, I can say is like, like there's two of them. Like that, um, the most obvious ones too. Battleship Potemkin and Sunrise are like actually good, but then the rest of them, I feel like, fuck, I don't really care. It's very it's difficult. It's very difficult to care. Uh, there's a there's some pretty good Alfred Hitchcock uh, silent films. One is called oh, The yeah. Lodger, um, and I thought, but you know, see, here's the thing too. You can't even really recommend a silent film because the music is so much part of it, right? And if you get, with the silent films, you can download five different versions to get five different versions yeah. of the score on that film, and it might change the experience entirely, because I've experienced that, where I turned the lodger on on YouTube or something, and it was fucking horrible. And then I watched it on some app, and it was great. And I thought, all right, I can actually go along with this. The music plays such a significant part in being able to hold one's attention. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but aside from that, I mean, it is really few and far between as far as like what is is watchable if you've grown up uh, with just the way the movies are today. Man with a movie camera is another one that's kind of, you know, I like that one. But then, yeah, but the, like most of them, I am not like gonna fucking recommend anybody see it. Like, mm. you know, other than like just for sheer film appreciation, like 
historical context, like what the fuck's the point of seeing them? Where I feel like, um, like it's not really the same for like movies that came out in the mid '30s to the '40s, mm-hmm. you know, '50s movies, even like you know, after that point. I think after like 1935, you got a lot of more stuff that you can actually probably recommend to like the right type of person mm-hmm. that isn't like you know a chore to watch are there any decades of film for you where it's just like almost an absolute no-go uh, yeah now well, 2020s, <laughs> right yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> the 2010s on yeah yeah the, the 2010s is pretty period. pretty rough going too i i would say like the 1960s is almost irredeemable until you get to 1969 yeah yeah okay yeah i can see that yeah yeah for sure um on the subject, though, of, of Nosferatu, are either of you guys interested in seeing, I guess that Robert Eggers remake is going to be happening after all. Um, right. It was previously announced that it was supposed to be pulled from production due to some reason. I guess he couldn't get Willem Dafoe for it, which is crazy because Willem Dafoe does everything. He will yeah. do everything <laughs> if you pay him like $20,000. Um, <laughs> but they're going to do, uh, on the topic of Barbarian, they're going to do that... Uh, Skarsgård, kid who played Pennywise, who's in that uh, movie, yeah, uh, as Nosferatu. Yes, Bill Skarsgård. Uh, I would. I'm gonna. I, yeah, I'd be interested in watching anything that Robert Eggers does right now. He's one of the. Yeah, he's a very interesting filmmaker, and you know, I like The Northman a lot. Um, even though, like at times, it kind of felt like a video game, like fucking Metal yeah. Gear Solid. <laughs> you know, like, but uh, I liked it. I really, I dug it, and you know, I like. I like what he does, so I'm I was really anticipating what he does next. I, I I'm intrigued. I'm cautiously optimistic about that Nosferatu film. Uh, I'll say because I really enjoyed The Northman. I didn't think I was gonna enjoy The Northman at all. It's not my type of movie. I'm very dismissive of anything that's like Middle Ages and earlier. Yeah, you know, I just yeah. I can't vibe with that. I can't watch like Game of Thrones or Lord of the... any of that. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's just not my cup of tea. You don't like like fantasy stuff. Well, I mean, it, it depends. Uh, I'll tell you what. I recently rewatched the Never Ending Story on HBO Max, and I was like, "Oh, this is fun," yeah. you know. But it's a kids' film, you know. It's like ninety minutes. So, yeah, but on the whole, low. yeah, uh, no, that's too far. <laughs> um, for the most part, I would say that fantasy is pretty inaccessible of a genre for me. What about sci-fi? No, I like sci-fi, but it also depends on what kind of sci-fi. I can't get into like Star Trek and shit like that. Anything that has like a significant lore to it, yeah. uh, that's an uphill battle. But if you want to do like a one-off, then I'm I'm in on that. Yeah, no, I get that. My brother's the same way. He doesn't really, you know, yeah, he doesn't really get into like the fantasy or yeah, Star Trek shit like that. I like Star Trek personally, actually. I I dig yeah. it. The only Star Trek anything that I enjoyed was actually the, and this is probably blasphemy, the J.J. Abrams films. Oh, oh yeah, so, you yeah. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still watch the classic one on, on Netflix sometimes. Oh, it's I like easy... it. Yeah, I love that shit. From the theme how... song on, the sets, everything is just, it's great. I love how love campy it. that shit is. That shit is like yeah. really fun. Yeah, I like the original series a lot. Um, I got to say, like Deep Space Deep Space Nine is probably the best one, uh, but the original series, like, yeah, I fucking, I can just rewatch that shit, and, like, I don't really. But do they ever play Beastie Boys on the soundtrack? Like the <laughs> That's a good probably question. Oh, uh, God. A really no. good question. 
Hans, did you check out that, what was it, the cartoon or something? Weren't you ranting about one of these new Star Trek uh, incarnations that went to Paramount No, well, I, I started watching uh, Discovery when that came out, and I... Yeah, it just doesn't it just it. feels like star wars like it's it's not the star trek that we learn to like as children i guess uh and then i watched maybe one episode of that um uh what's his name uh i'm so Scott Bakula? no 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 the bald bald captain i just didn't see a new picard. generation oh, so right. i don't know picard picard yeah yeah that was another it's just it's like they don't get you know what the series is supposed to be so i i just didn't like you say, I didn't buy. I, I I don't say that, but was that <laughs> I didn't like buy with any of those two shows. Was it Disney or Netflix or what was it? Like, where did Picard, like, where where did that drop? Was it behind was that? It's an HBO. No, it was Paramount. 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 Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. What do you What do you guys think is the best Paramount Plus <laughs> original? <laughs> I don't fucking know, dude. I just want everything. <laughs> Well, what did Paramount Plus have? They had, remember when we were filming, there were like those ads for Spencer Confidential everywhere in the Seaport District. Yeah. Uh, for the Mark Wahlberg, Mark Marin team up everybody was waiting for. You got the Paranormal Activity next of Kin. That's an original. That has no ghosts in it. It's just it's, Amish people. It's just Amish people are scary. Four thing. <laughs> yeah, Amish people are scary because they don't shower every day. Ooh. That's the that's the whole thing. But it's at night, so it's creepy. Uh, yeah, there's not really much there. I, I don't even know why people get this this service. Watch South Park, Big Brother, Survivor, All right. reality All shows. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's nothing on there that's really worthwhile. I You know, I, I tried to check out the offer uh, that I think was a Paramount Plus exclusive that detailed the making of The Godfather. And even that was just oh, like CBS yeah. procedural level writing. Oh, uh, that already came out, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. God that, damn. That dropped I, in I, the summertime. I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? Well, the guy that they got to play Co- Coppola like actually kind of looks like him, which I was like really surprised about. Dan uh, Fogel. Oh, Dan Fogel. Yeah, Dan. What is his name? Dan Fogler or Dan Fogler? Fogel? Yeah. He was in uh, that ping pong movie, Balls of Fury, Balls from of, yeah. <laughs> 15 years ago. Good for him for being well, able to get he, out of the gutter. Miles he play, Oh, no, God. Yeah. He, yeah, he plays the Jack Black when they can't afford Jack Black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Dude, Miles Teller just like has like fucking bomb after bomb. Like, I don't understand. Like, I guess he's just like bad at picking projects or something. Yeah, his career, I think, would be over if it wasn't for that Top Gun movie being, like, the yeah. biggest thing of the year. Yeah, that's true. And if they didn't hold it, you know, if that had come out back in, I think it was originally slated for 2020. If it just dropped in 2020, Miles Teller would be washed up right now. Like, Too Old to Die Young, I think, was the first misstep, even though uh, that creative pairing should have been awesome. Um, did not perform well. Wasn't even my cup of tea, and I love Refn. Yeah. And then just everything that has happened since, it's like very poor decision making uh, as far as these acting roles go. But it's like uh, Whiplash was so fucking amazing. When, like when I saw that, I saw that in theaters like three times. Mm-hmm. I was so yeah. like entranced by that movie. Like it's so fucking good. And then I don't know, Damien Chazelle, like he, he did La La Land. I don't even know what he's doing now. He did that like astronaut. Babylon. Movie. Uh, Babylon comes out at the end of this year and it's going to be 
probably Eric Roberts' first theatrical film in six years <laughs> oh, really? or seven years. Yeah. Uh, well, it's got a pretty stacked cast. Holy shit. Okay. I, I think Tobey Maguire's in it. Tobey Maguire. Holy shit. Okay. Is that be his first theatrical release since Christopher Nolan forgot about him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm kind of also cautiously optimistic about this movie although i have uh like a 4k copy of first man i thought all right i'm gonna love this movie he's back with ryan gosling it's about you know space in the 60s yeah it was, it was really like, not good you know what it reminded me it reminded me of that brad pitt movie ad astra <laughs> oh i didn't even see that i skipped uh, that movie just really fucking boring and slow it's just like you know like i don't know i, I just couldn't get into either of those I kept confusing that movie you just referenced with the uh, Claire Denis, Robert Pattinson in space movie, which I don't oh the title yeah, of. yeah. No, I haven't even seen that movie. That's by that uh, that director, the woman who uh, made. Fuck, what did he make? What did she make? I think she did a movie called Trouble Every Day. That's not what she's most well known for. Claire Denis. I... I'm not a fan of Claire Denis personally. Um, High Life, is movie. Yeah, that's of. the movie. That's the name of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy Trav oh. Travel was pretty good. Oh, or Boo. I don't even know how to fucking say that. That's that movie that's actually shot in Somalia. Mm -hmm. You know where like you know, my family's from, right? So like, um, well, it's it's Djibouti, which isn't actually Somalia, right? Mm -hmm. That's where like the French people, like the France, colonized that part of Somalia and made it its own territory. That's a that's like a pretty decent movie, and then you know you get at the end of that movie that fucking scene where the main character randomly just starts dancing to in the to the rhythm of the night, and it's like a fucking four hour <laughs> shot of him just like dancing at a nightclub. It's <laughs> just like no. a great decision in my opinion. Uh, that's a very like David Lynch Twin Peaks: The Return kind of move to just like linger on somebody who's sweeping the floor for six minutes. Yeah. 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 Gosh, Italian realism when you're just sitting there as a boy eats his breakfast for 15 minutes and nothing happens. It's like, cool, I'm, I'm learning, I guess. I remember that that happened to me in college when we were studying that movement that I remember nothing about other than how bored I was with this whole realism thing. It's like, I don't want to see real time going on the screen. That's why I'm watching a movie, you know? And it's, yeah, someone sitting in a poor house in a poor table just eating a loaf of bread what's that what's that movie about the like the french movie where it's it's like the, the name of the movie is an address and it's just about this like hooker who's like like making fucking breakfast like oh, the whole fucking uh, movie no that's too that might be too deep of a yeah, cut no, for, for even me <laughs> no, um i don't know i have no idea i've never heard of this movie hans you want to do a quick search on that real quick you breakfast just type YouTube, hooker, breakfast <laughs> I did. Uh, <laughs> Hooker make breakfast <laughs> movie, and I got breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't think that's the right one. Uh, no, that's the right one. That's a that's a classic. <laughs> that's, that's the movie. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't actually seen. I don't think I've seen anything of uh, Claire Denise except for Trouble Every Day, which was like a vampire film with Vincent Gallo, and it was like so stripped down. Can I ask you guys what's your fascination with Vincent Gallo? Uh, he's he's just a fun asshole, and he, yeah. I think I think he's a great director. Um, his Q and A was also very inspirational, learning about his creative process. Yeah, you went to that, huh? Yes, like I recently. did. I met I met our mutual pal Kino of the Kino Corner, 
which Hell is yeah. how he introduces himself. Hi, I'm Kino of the Kino Corner. Not I'm Peter. I'm yeah. Isaac or whatever, whatever his real name he goes by is. He's got multiple names. Um, yeah, that was a fun time. That was interesting. I saw quite a few familiar faces in that crowd. And yeah, just learning about how he views art and also like New York in the 1980s and his relationship with Andy Warhol and uh, Basquiat and all these like classic figures of, of late 20th century New York was extremely interesting. But I can't get into detail because there were NDAs signed. So, mm, um, yeah. yeah, but as a filmmaker, as a director with his two, um, public stabs at it, uh, I just, I think they're both masterpieces. Okay. Did yeah, you, did you put his pants on to go to his party? Dude, I, oh man, you know, as <laughs> during the Q and A, I was thinking I should have worn those pants and stood up and said, I'm wearing your pants, Vincent Gallo. <laughs> Do you own Vincent Gallo's pants? I found, so, uh, back when he was still being more elusive and he was in hiding, Right. Yeah. Uh, he has multiple sock accounts online that he peruses the Internet under like YouTube accounts. There's one uh, I suspect this is him called like Juan de Jose or Juan de Carlos or something. And mm-hmm. I remember he posted on YouTube one time a uh, negative comment about some dude who uploaded a video that said, I sold Vincent Gallo my stereo and I bought my son a car with this. And it was a very long negative. It was like a wholesome video. And it was a very long negative comment from Juan de Carlos. It sounded remarkably similar to like any page on Vincent Gallo's website. Um, so through one of these videos, I found a link to his eBay page, which uh, I think it was called like Family Friend Records. Uh-huh. And um, there was wardrobe for sale. There was stereo equipment for sale. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool to own one of Vincent Gallo's wardrobe? And there were a bunch of cool, neat jackets from like Vogue shoots and stuff out of my price range. Uh, but what was not out of my price range and what looked pretty good was a pair of pants. So I bought these, I can't remember what the pants look like anymore. Anyway, they yellow or something like that. Uh, I have no, no, they were not yellow pants. I would not wear yellow <laughs> pants. Hans. Um, they were just a normal pair of pants. Don't remember what they look like. He shipped them to Paris. And so, uh, I found this out later on. I said, Hey, listen, I didn't get these pants. I paid, X amount of money for them. And he sent me like an essay long apology saying, I will refund your money. Please forgive me. Uh, and also have your selection of anything in my eBay store. I will send you free of charge. That's and so really I picked nice, it. Actually, that was great customer service, right? Yeah. So I went with a different pair of pants. They were blue corduroy bell bottoms from 2003. And wow. I got those. Yeah. And it turns out Vincent Gallo and I are the same size of pants. So, Oh, here you go. Yes. Oh, man. I would love to see a picture of you on the streets of New York wearing corduroy bell bottoms. There's probably a picture on my Instagram. I've worn them out before. So, But no, I did not wear those to the Q&A. That was a real big missed opportunity. Yeah. Do you, Remember listen, these? You, have, you, you saw them around? or? Oh, yeah. I, I only bought these like a year and a half ago. These are brand oh, okay. spanking yeah. new pants. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's a story. Hans, I'm gonna you... be honest. I'm not. I'm not that crazy about Vincent Gallo's movies. I I know you're saying they're masterpieces. I just don't. I guess I don't just don't see it. I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. There's like kind of I a feel. disconnect for me. Like when I watch his movies, especially like, The Brown Bunny is the one with uh, what's her name? Big tits. What's her name? Yeah. <laughs> Chloe. <laughs> Chloe Sevigny. No, uh, Christina Ricci no. is the one. Christina with Ricci. Yeah, some, yeah. Some Which one was naturals. um? 
No, no. So the brown buddies were with the blowjob scene mm-hmm. with, yep. uh, and then the other one is with uh, Christina Ricci, where yes. he like kind of like kidnaps her and stuff. To me, it's like I don't yep. know. I just couldn't really get into it, but I should probably try again because it's been it's been a few years since I watched uh, both those movies. So I think Buffalo '66 is um, a superior film. I mean, they're very different, but Buffalo '66 I think is just kind of extremely rewatchable and i love ben gazar's performance in that movie um that guy's so, great yeah he's excellent in everything i will say that gallo shared that that was like the best actor he ever worked with uh during the q a um and gazar is just awesome in anything 1970s um, well he was in all of those um what's that guy's name again cassavetti's film Cas- cassavetti yeah cassavetti's films which i again I'm not crazy about Cassavetti's films, except for um, Love uh, Love Streams. That's like what, really, thing. yeah. And then other than what's uh, Mickey and Nikki or whatever it's called, what is it called? Uh, Mikey and Nikki is uh, an Elaine May, Elaine May film that oh, he and Peter not... Fox starred in. So like, yeah, every other Cassavetti's film, like even like Women Under the Influence, I feel like the performance just doesn't feel like and like an actual legit mentally ill person it just feels like someone who's like oh this is probably how a mentally ill person acts so yeah. she just just starts doing like she starts bashing her head and like acting like a fucking retard but it doesn't really actually work <laughs> and it's like it feels the same way like we're like nicholas cage like playing a drunk where it doesn't actually work like when he um you know fuck, you play always... vampire's kiss no not not in vampire's kiss but in uh leaving las vegas where he's playing a drunk oh. where it doesn't actually feel like a drunk. So like in, in Woman Under the Influence, it just, it just feels like false. But, you know, I've seen that movie and I think the soundtrack for that movie is great. Actually, I've, I've, um, I have that in one of my videos, actually, the soundtrack. I paid money to get that soundtrack from the composer's Bo website. Harwood. Yeah, he just died recently. He died a couple of days ago. Really? Yeah, oh, I was okay. trying to... Um acquire a song from love streams actually and i never got an email back and it's probably because he was in a coffin mm. God damn, no so, no I, I hate when that happens um but yeah no uh, no 5g in the casket <laughs> no um, <laughs> love streams is a weird one to to actually be a fan of that's not one that's frequently mentioned what is it you like about love that's my second favorite after husbands i think it's just um compared to most of his films it's just the most um i guess the most competent one mm. if that's the right way to describe it it's um i feel like he matured at that point where he made like because love streams i think came out in the 80s so it was after he made it like a, a boatload of movies and like he i think he it's been a while since i've seen love streams as well too so i don't really remember too much about it it's mm-hmm. i think i saw in like maybe 2015 something like that but um, I remember that being my favorite out of everything that I saw that he, he's made. Um, the, the history of that film, I think, is really interesting in that he had directed it as a stage play in the late 70s with John Voight in the role that he played in that film, oh. um, along with Jenna Rollins. And then uh, he had planned to adapt it with the playwright and uh, John Voight had to drop out at the last minute for some reason. And he was like, well, I guess I'll just star in it. This is convenient. Um, 
And then he finds out, I think like a week or two after they begin principal photography, that he has um, cirrhosis of the liver and he's going to die in a couple of months. Yeah. And so he throws out the script to the movie, rewrites it without telling the playwright and turns it into this completely different thing from what the play was. And then uh, it was all intended to be like a swan song to his career, which you get the vibe of in those like final 20 minutes or so, kind of like it's supposed to be a goodbye. But the doctor was wrong. He lived until 1989. So he had <laughs> six more years, tarnished his career and did this movie called Big Trouble with Peter Falk and uh, Alan Arkin, which is like a follow up to the in-laws, just a wacky screwball comedy that the original director got fired from. And Peter Falk was like, oh, no, oh, no, my career's over. Can you please just direct this movie? There's no director on this movie I'm working on. Can you do it? And John Cassavetes was like, yeah, I guess so. So that's his final movie, is this movie Big Trouble. I've never I, even heard of that movie. It's um, been buried. I don't even know if it got released on DVD. I haven't watched it before. I don't know if it's any good or not. You know, here's the thing. Like, I've always appreciated Cassavetes, like, but, but then I watched, like, I've watched both cuts of Killing of a Ch Chinese Bookie. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't really like either of them. But I really fucking appreciate, like, what he does. Um Cassavetes yeah. took me a long time to be able to like break through because I had a lot of attempts, especially through Chinese Bookie, because I think I just maybe watched the, so the longer slow. one. That the, the, the original released version of that film is so grueling to get through because yeah. they just show you like stage numbers that go on for four minutes, five minutes at a time, and it kills the pacing of the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I did think that the re-release moved at a much faster pace. It was easier to get through. And uh, on on watching that, I was able to like tune into some of the uh, like subtle aspects of Ben Gazzara's performance and like the comedy in that and just was able to really enjoy it in that way. But yeah, for the longest time, I just I couldn't wrap my head around or have the patience for even uh, Cassavetes films and even Woman Under the Influence, which you referenced like that's a lot of people's like entryway into his filmography. And uh, that's not my favorite. I actually think that's, and I love Peter Falk. Peter Falk's one of my favorite actors, but that one I still think is just not really for me. Yeah. You know what's also not really for me? It's like Nick Nick Cassavetes movies. No, Nick Cassavetes <laughs> is on tour. How dare you? He, he, <laughs> yeah. shot, he shot that, uh, what was it, My Sister's Keeper in my hometown. I remember it was like a local story. Mm. And Cameron Diaz was uh, faking being bald in the city or something that I was living in. Um, and they took over like a storefront and did this whole thing. Yeah. He's, uh, it's kind of funny how you have like the independent auteur of, of the 20th century, the guy. And what does he do? What does his son do? The notebook. Yeah. <laughs> he does yeah, alpha dog. <laughs> yes. Just, he does the most commercial it just, shit. It doesn't make sense. And then also I think I'm pretty sure he's like a, like a, like a Bible freak kind of dude or something. Oh, I don't know. His Instagram. I mean, it could be. Look, people's personalities and their beliefs are often. But his his Instagram account is literally just like naked pictures of his 25 year old girlfriend and him really like sucking on her neck. <laughs> and putting her... Yeah. <laughs> his oh, Instagram handle is like small penis or something. Yeah. In... Really? Yes. Oh, So he's edgy. Yeah, he's an edgy boy. He's got tattoos and he's, he's just so I strange. Even, I really didn't expect that because I think I saw something about him being like really Christian or something. I mean, he could be. He could be like a born again guy, but he has like washed up alcoholic vibes to him. Oh, yeah. It would probably run to the family, too, though. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. certainly. 
Um, there are stories about like how John Cassavetes would like wake him up in the middle of the night when he's like a child and said, Hey, I need you to go watch my movie and tell me what you think of it. So I, so I can do this new edit. Maybe like wasted, just hammered in their New York apartment. There you go. Paul Sminas. There you go. Oh, that's that's his Instagram? This is yeah. his Instagram, yes. Oh man. So this oh, he's is he's just fucking. He's yeah. <laughs> this is a strong man. <laughs> oh man. He's got the kettlebells, he's got the Joe Rogan kettlebells uh, up there. I started looking into him when he appeared on um What's his name's podcast? A really fat guy who got ripped. Who was in oh, Kevin I Smith know. movies, Boy Meets World. James, who was any of the the guy Corden. from uh, My My Name Is Earl? Yes. Yeah, uh, I know. I know. Ethan Supley. Ethan Supley. Yeah, that's actually a cool shot with the kid in the fucking in the basketball net up there. But some of these shots are feeling really Pizzagate. What the fuck is going on with the naked? <laughs> <laughs> He was in some really bad Nicolas Cage movie we watched during our last round of film. Hans, what was that movie called? What, what, I've, I've been tr trying to think about it since you, uh, since Ogie mentions his name, and I, I can't. It just came know. out last year, too. It was fresh off the press, and we put it on, and... Oh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. Right. There was some famous Japanese director who did that, right? Sion Sano. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, that guy got me too'd. All right, did he? He's seen it. yeah, yeah, he's oh. great. He he's made he made one of my favorite movies of all time, Love Exposure, which is like this four hour movie. It's four four hours long, but it's fucking incredible. It's got incredible pacing. It feels like actually like an hour and a half. Um, but yeah, he got he got me too. So what do you do, Hans? Let's look this up real quick. I, I think had no he idea. like he like he he, he obviously he uses his um thing to like. Do like the power dynamic thing. What's up is like you gotta fuck me to like be in the thing, and he blocked the door while a woman, like an actress, was like trying to get like away from it. He blocked the door or something, which is goddamn, dude. I don't know why these guys keep doing this shit, but I fucking love his movies. It's uh, it's it's just unfortunate. Is this stopping his career? I mean, this must be like a pretty recent thing. I'm guessing. Oh, it's like it's like the last year or something. But he made literally one of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion, Love Exposure. Uh, just this epic movie. Like, it's an epic of a movie, not epic like in the Reddit sense, but mm -hmm. like, fuck it, an epic of a movie. Uh, four hours long. And um, I think I saw that advertised on Amazon Prime or some subsidiary is like a TV show, not even a movie. They might have broken it up or something. Or is oh, that. Oh, that's horrible. Why would they do that? I don't know. They're doing oh, it. God. That, that all these streaming out. platforms seem to be in the business of taking longer movies and wanting to like, which did not work for Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight because I watched no. the miniseries they version did that of that. Too. Yeah, they did. Oh man, that's so horrible. He had an extra half hour or forty minutes of of that movie that he cut from the theatrical version, and uh, I remember we did a show on the Hateful Eight, and that's the version I watched. I think that was the same case with you, Hans. Yeah. And we were like, this movie fucking sucks. I mean, damn, Tarantino missed the mark on this. And then we watched the theatrical again and uh, did a second show on it. And we're like, how could we have gotten that so wrong? This movie's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. This movie rules. Um, I saw that yeah. in theaters. I saw that um, the 70, 70 millimeter like oh, traveling road, road show. show thing. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah no, they were, they're doing it with Baz Luhrmann's Australia as well, which is another long. It's not even oh, like shit. three hours long. They're chopping it up for Hulu and turning it into a TV show. It just seems. You know what? I fucking loved it. I loved Elvis, dude. That oh, Elvis great. is great. I oh, love man. that movie. 
Yeah, that was awesome. I think that was the best movie to come out this year. Um, I think that, so too. Yeah, that was a blast. I saw that in theaters twice, and um, I got to get around to watching it a third time. That that did not get old for me. And uh, Austin Butler is just—I'm excited to see him in anything. The fact he's playing like the Sting role in in the new Dune that's going to be coming out—I was very like whatever about Denny Villeneuve's Dune, uh, but now I'm much more interested knowing that he's going to be the antagonist of that. I'm not crazy about Denny Villeneuve movies. Yeah, I think he's somebody who's way more hit and miss than people like to give him credit yeah. for. Well, yeah, people like, well, I fucking watched Incendies, and I thought it was fucking terrible. You know, I, I don't even think I've seen that one. Is that one of his earlier no. films? That's one of his earlier movies. It's um, Lady Goes to Iran, and she's, like, trying to figure out what happened, like, with her mother. And it's really fucking slow. Like, super slow, where it's like... All right, just like get along with it, you know. Like it's like one of those movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna really state a controversial opinion here. I think his best movie is probably Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That's the oh, one I Prisoners, dude. You think yeah, Prisoners, Prisoners is better? Yeah. Prisoners, I enjoyed, but I, I don't know. I think Blade Runner twenty forty nine is even better than original Blade Runner. I so. didn't like Blade Runner twenty forty nine at first, but I rewatched it like uh, a couple weeks ago, and then I really liked it. I don't know. I guess I was like in a wrong headspace the first time I watched it, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's good. And then um, I think it's like Prisoners, Arrival, and Enemy. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. like more than Blade Runner twenty four and nine. I think Arrival's pretty up there as well. I mean, Sicario is good, but again, I have another. Uh, this is an opinion people people don't really go along with, which is that Sicario two is better than Sicario one. Davis Soldado. I've never even seen Sicario two. Never seen either. It, it kind of, I don't know. It does like a very old school thing of like taking the principal characters from that first movie and kind of just ignoring a lot of like their traits and even the linear nature. It takes place before the first Sicario movie. And there are major character inconsistencies, at least with Benicio del Toro's character. And uh, it's much more of like a, just like a, very hardcore action film by comparison. And I liked that more than this. Oh, can you believe this is happening? Wow. Uh, Amelia Clark whining. Or was it Amelia Clark or was it some other woman? I, I think it was John Krasinski's no, wife. You know, it's Emily Blunt. Am El yeah. yeah no. Amelia Clark is from Game of Thrones. That's right. Yeah. And she played so, so Sicario 2 is to Sicario 1 what uh, the Samofall Axe is to Burn Notice. Yes, and it has the Burn Notice guy in it, and he's great. So Nice. That might be something to cover for this show. Uh, okay, what do you think is William Friedkin's best movie? Since oh, this is French a show on Bug. Yeah, The French Connection by far. By far? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I would you put really? that maybe. Come on. I think Seriously? that's like fourth in line for me. Oh, man. Really? Yeah, I think, look, I'm going to be, uh, again, uh, I'm going to be boring with this opinion. I think The Exorcist is by far his best. Okay. Um, I think that's just classic film of all time. Uh, and then probably it might be just Sorcerer. Sorcerer is great. Yeah. I, Sorcerer would be my second one. Yeah. French Connection's uh, definitely top four or five. I mean, if I'm thinking about it logically, I think French Connection's much better made film than Cruising, but I enjoy Cruising more than the French Connection. Really? It's funnier. Yeah. It's funnier. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't really think, like, I think, like, it's almost like, with Cruising, it's almost like um, 
like a curiosity thing. Like you kind of check it out. It's like, okay, I watch cruising. We're like French connections, like fucking just super solid. Yeah. I, I, I agree that it is like French connections, just American classic, like universally adored. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I think cruising's just got more character to it. I like, I don't know. I like how seedy cruising is. By you like gay Pacino. I or love fake. gay Pacino. <laughs> Pacino, gay who, Pacino. I don't think he's fake gay. I think he's gay gay, and he just doesn't yeah. realize it until the end of the movie. Mm. Uh, uh, it's that, one of his best a... performances. It's still very early, but he yeah goes all in. And it was before he became you know what we know him as now, which is very sad. That's a good double bill to watch uh, with. Um, what's that Sidney Lumet movie where like Pacino robs a bank? Uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Mm. Like he robs a bank to get his um, his his girlfriend or boyfriend's like transition. Like that's the whole reason he gets the, he wants to get the funds for his transition, his like sex operation. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see the dog the documentary on the on the real guy who did that? No, I haven't. That's a that's a pretty worthwhile documentary from about ten years ago, and that guy is just so peculiar. And it was interesting to see him after he was released and old and talking about all these things. Um, yeah, I mean, I I also uh, this wouldn't really be your cup of tea. I watched another Chris Sarandon film. Chris Sarandon plays Al Pacino's trans girlfriend who was going to get the sex change in that movie. Fright Night, Hans. Maybe that might be more up your alley. Fright Night. What do you what do you think about Fright Night? I've never seen it. You've never Wait, seen Fright, Fright Night? Which Fright Night? No. Uh there's a movie called Fright Night from the 1980s cuz I I was looking into a Roddy McDowell's home movies cuz he's got his home movies uploaded to YouTube from like all these big celebrity parties from the 19s. Like, there's no sound at all. But Roddy McDowell was this uh classic classic British actor for those who don't know or maybe he was Welsh. Well this and, is the we know Hans is showing the Fright Night that yes. I'm thinking of. I don't yeah. think this is what you're talking about. No, this is this is the movie. It is. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about this movie. The vampire that we yeah. see here with the the very Italian looking man. There is, was a uh, guy, that guy right there with the X on his. He did gay porn. Oh yeah, Evil Ed did gay porn. That's right. Yeah, that's what he went on to do <laughs> after he did after he. Uh, also a good double feature with cruising. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If that was his career afterwards. He just did. He did gay porn during the nineties. Uh, what were yes. you gonna say? Sorry. I know Chris Sarandon, the vampire of this movie, plays Al Pacino's uh, love interest in Dog Day Afternoon. So, just a little fun trivia fact. I forget what I, I was did talking not know about that. Right I didn't even that. realize that. There you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, that's the girl. I've never seen Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> that's the one that's supposed to become a girl. Yeah, yep. no, dude, that's a great movie too. Like it's Sydney Sydney Lumet is probably one of my favorite directors of all time. I think. Yeah, he's, he's just, terrific. He's just so fucking good. Him, Brian De Palma, William Friedkin, Martin Scorsese. Um, God damn it, there's a few others. Oh, um, Sion Sono now. Yeah. <laughs> After yeah. he got canceled. Yeah, once he got canceled, he became my favorite. <laughs> You know, I was just I, I just picked up from Tarantino's book that De Palma was supposed to helm Taxi Driver originally. Really? It was going to be Jeff Bridges as Travis Bickle. That would oh. be. God, I, I want to see that, too, though. Yeah. I think that would have been. A, 70s Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges would have been a very boring Travis Bickle by comparison, I think. I, I mean, yeah. you know, he's good in um, 
ah, what was that Michael Cimino film? Michael Cimino's first movie. Damn, I think it was Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Clint Eastwood. He's very good in that. That's all I've seen him in in the 1970s, Jeff Bridges. Do you like um, Michael Cimino after, um, fuck, what was that movie? What was the one that was like the hunter? most, uh, Heaven's Gate? like, yeah, that's the, the notorious bomb, right? Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate is blamed with like killing new 70s. Hollywood. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would have to go back to that. I did not, uh, I couldn't get on board with Heaven's Gate. It was a little too arduous in watching that. It seemed very long too. But then he made like a Kung Fu movie afterwards, right? No, he made Year yeah, of the your Dragon. That's <laughs> a, a cop movie about how Chinatown was taking over parts of Little Italy uh, oh, okay. in the 1980s. So it's not, I thought it was a Kung Fu movie. I've never seen it. No, that would probably make it even more interesting. Um, no, it's it's a terrific film, but Hans was not a fan. Uh, no. Then people still vent to this day. I just got an Instagram comment saying, the only time Hans was ever wrong on this show, which is already a crazy <laughs> sentence to start writing. Accurate text. Uh, yeah. uh, is on You're the Dragon. Uh, but Michael Cimino's work after that movie, I wouldn't say that it's bad, but it's definitely not what uh he was doing in the 1970s i think year of the dragon is like his last hurrah it's like a good epilogue to his actual career and he does a movie called desperate hours with mickey rourke in 1990 i want to say it was and anthony hopkins is also in that and that's kind of just like a generic thriller for the time and then he did one with woody harrelson which is like a native american crime drama where he's trying to escort this native american teen killer to sun chaser um, yeah sun chaser to a reservation it has a horrendous poster let me show you. it does it's a very 90s poster <laughs> oh my go. god <laughs> yeah holy shit oh this one's not better wow nope that's even worse um not great yep that first one's probably the best and i watched this for the first time only recently so i i believe i've now seen all of michael chimino's films and uh, this is maybe not a good movie, but it's better than I thought it would be. It's very 90s. They love Native Americans in the 90s. You couldn't go a yeah. single year without movie, Native American Thunder... blockbuster. What was that? Thunder... Th Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Yeah, that's his no. first one. Fuck. The, like, there was like a mystery... like Tropic Thunder. No, mystery thriller, thriller movie in the 90s. Uh, God damn it. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, just... Yeah, just keep talking. Uh, jungle to Jungle. Thunderheart, dude. Thunderheart. With Val Kilmer. I've You've never, never seen, seen I'm not. I go out of my way to avoid Val Kilmer usually. No, I, <laughs> I haven't seen Thunderheart. It's Let a good movie. A it's actually a, it's it's actually a really like solid fucking like mystery thriller thriller uh, is, Western movie. Thunderheart. It's another. Does he, does he play a native? No, he plays a he plays like an FBI agent. And oh. like there's some some dispute over water or some shit I forget. Because he but, plays a native now. <laughs> After he scans her, he looks like an old oh, Native American lady. <laughs> See, I thought oh, yeah. he died in, in in Top Gun, in the <laughs> Top Gun movie. So I thought he was dead. They did you notice that they did not use his real voice in that Top Gun movie? They they didn't, they didn't huh? No, they well, gave him a bummer. Dog. I didn't even know that. 
It's just a bummer. It would have been. Yeah. It would have ruined it for people. Sure, maybe. I'll be your wing, or what? What is it line? <laughs> I'll be your tail. That's horrible. <laughs> That's mm. very depressing. Yeah, I noticed that in the theater because I saw the Val documentary that went to Amazon Prime that I think Jack Kilmer uh, shot or directed or something. His son. And uh, yeah, you get plenty of his actual voice now in that movie. And then in Top Gun, it's not that. It, it feels, huh? Yeah, it feels like that one uh, Harvey Keitel film from the 80s where they dubbed him because he sounded too New York or something. It was like a space movie. Oh, really? That's fucking right. I saw him playing. I forgot what movie it was, but it was. Oh, it was. Um, Selma and Luis. And he has a Texas accent throughout the whole movie. Harvey Keitel. Oh, I, ha- I haven't seen that in a second. Uh, and Dude. I was looking into Ridley Scott, too. Oh, yeah. Ridley Scott was, like, reluctant to actually direct that movie. Uh, he, 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 like, picked up the script for his production company, and then he was like, uh, you know, I want someone else to direct it, and then eventually he directed it. But I think I think Thelma Luis is actually a really good movie. It's, like, literally GTA. It's, like, Grand Theft Auto the movie where like they're just trying to get five stars the whole time and it's just like these two women though one of them almost gets raped then um i forget if it was thelma or louise who shoots the rapist and then after that they just progressively do more crimes until they do that famous shot of them jumping off the cliff with the fucking car but it's it's a it's a great movie actually I'll have to revisit that. Yeah, yeah. I was looking into some of his earlier works and then also Tony Scott as well because of Top Gun. I watched the original Top Gun for the first time. I was like, Tony Scott's great. I, I didn't think the original Top Gun was anything special. No. I was like, this is no, a very gotta, pretty movie, but. You got to watch uh, Days of Heaven. Days of uh, Heaven, the, the, the racing movie with Tom Oh, Cruise. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a better version of Top Gun. I thought yeah. he did the same exact thing as Top Gun here, but it's actually like, it works this time. It's good yeah, this it's, time. It's much better. That that whole kind of Jerry Bruckheimer, like, um, big, like, fucking glossy, almost music video-esque, like, movie thing mm-hmm. during the mid to late 1980s. That's Jerry Bruckheimer and, like, Tony Scott. And um, I think that, like, that's, like, an important piece of film history that actually should be preserved, like, should be looked at. But uh, I guess the gloss kind of, like, turns a lot of people off of it. But, yeah. Well, is there anyone doing that besides Bass Lerman? The keeping that gloss, keeping that, I guess, extra, God, I whatever no you want to call it. Is Joel Schumacher still around? <laughs> no, no. He, he, I <laughs> no, think he died like 10 years ago. Did he, did yeah. he die? I didn't yeah. even know he died. His final words were, uh, I slept with 150 men. I'm, I'm fairly certain. It. That was... That was it. So, uh, no, it's just, it's <laughs> surrounded by his loving family <laughs> on his deathbed, and he's like, yep. I was going to say he was surrounded by all 150 men as he passed away. Um, no, it's just, it's Baz Luhrmann, it's Zack Snyder, it's Michael Wait, Bay. he died yeah, in Jack 20... Jack he died in 2020. Great. You said he died like 10 years it ago. He like just died. Ago. That has been 10 years ago because of COVID, dude. That's like mm-hmm. <laughs> 10 years ago. What was his last movie? I The last thing I actually remember from Joel Schumacher was his Phantom of the Opera which I think had Gerard Butler as the Phantom of the Opera in it. Uh, he did a movie called Trespass with Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. Ben Mendelsohn was in that, too. I think that was a direct-to-DVD ben film. Ben Mendelsohn is, like, fucking great. Have you seen him in Animal Kingdom? Yes, Animal Kingdom is maybe his best performance. Yeah. Uh, 
I think. His whole history is very interesting, too, because he was a teen actor who was yeah. addicted to heroin, and he completely oh, fell he, off. Fuck, yeah, he played... Dude, he, him and fucking... And also that other movie, the guy, the Jesse James movie, uh, the guy who made that also made another movie with Brad Pitt uh, where it's like a bunch of criminals or whatever. and like ben Killing Mendel them softly. Killing them softly. Yeah. Ben Mendelsohn's great as like a fucking like dirty, like he would have like worked perfectly in like Killer Joe or, or Bug. Like he's just like, he got this like dirty kind of like feel to him. But um, dude, I got to piss real quick. Can I just say, you know? Sure. I mean, we're going to wrap up in a second anyway, but if you want to take a, take I a just piss. take a leak real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Kill your cam though, so you disappear from the recording for a few. He didn't. Hear he you. did not. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> can you do that? You can't. I am pretty sure I can no. do that. Let me see. Oh, you can. Yeah, there we go. All right. Okay. So, uh, let's let, we'll we'll get into uh, Ben Mendelsohn a little bit more when he gets back. Um, yeah, I I didn't really have that much to say about Bug. I enjoyed it. I remember when I first saw it, uh, when it first came out, I rented it. You saw this movie uh, before. Yeah, I rented it and I, I was going to see it with my dad. I think I was still in Canada. And uh, we thought, cool, we're going to watch a, a horror movie with a lot of jump scares and it's going to be really dumb. And then you just got this movie where this couple just go progressively crazy. And we were both kind of like, this is not scary. <laughs> like, this is not like the the fun, dumb horror movie we were expecting at all. So I... I remember not enjoying it as much as I did this time uh, where I was in, you know, clearer mind and, and not expecting what this movie isn't because it's, it's a horror movie, but on the, I guess in the non horror way where it's more realistic than, than what you expect, I guess. Now you were expecting what evil dead two in a motel. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know. Something about a bug. And, and, and then I remember seeing uh, the trailer uh, and you could see the, you know the motel covered in in tinfoil so i was like all right i'm gonna be a creature or something here and then we yeah i stole nothing. from bug from mass state lottery without ever having seen bug i saw a still oh, yeah. of them in a foil room and i was like damn that looks fucking cool how about i just <laughs> deck out my entire apartment in tinfoil and i did that i just fit it into the movie so that now you guys know that that was not a scripted Seeing yeah. whatever you see in tinfoil. Nice. Well, I gotta say, welcome back. Hold on, Oki, your your video's off here. I killed your video to protect your privacy. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I was gonna, I was about to say, wait, is it back on yet? No, you're not back no. yet. It just says Oki. Well, can you turn it back on? I'm I, all right. Let me see if I can figure this out here. I think you have to turn it back on. It'll be where stop video and start video is. Oh, I see. Okay, you cannot start your video because the host has stopped it. What? So it's permanent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking, oh, no. uh, dude, you me here. All right, let me see if I can figure this out here. You know what? Um, here, what if I bump you from the room real quick and then you just hop back in? Bro, I just, you know, we can just finish it. Like, uh, all right, all right, fine. Like, right. I just say, I don't need to be shown. Listen, okay. I'm well, going to tell you guys, I, I think that what you guys are doing with Mass State Lottery, I was so excited when I saw that trailer. I got to tell you, like, it's like, it looks exceptional. Thank you. Like the fucking acting, like even Hans just like saying like, oh, you waited for me. Like that character, <laughs> I want to see that. The classic that line. Oh, you I waited I want to see what me. that character is. I think that was, that scene was one of the most nerve wracking scenes that I had to shoot because we were inside of a mall and I have stage fright and it was all about ignoring everyone and just walking 
but for whatever reason, I, I, I struggled a bunch with <laughs> with that scene as we were shooting it. It came out it came out great, like for at least for that sound bite for that trailer. Like the whole trailer just looks fucking awesome. Like I'm really excited to like actually see this movie, and like I I wish you guys the best. Like with what you guys with what you guys are doing because i Thank think it's, you. I, I hope i hope it's gonna be like i can't wait to see it dude i really well, can't wait to see it's it's it, look maybe i'll tell you this once we uh close out this i'll just tell you during the show fuck it uh, i've had two people already two companies already reach out to me this in one week just seemingly abruptly in the same span of time uh inquiring about mass state lottery so um i don't even know if we're gonna do festivals at this rate we might just go straight to something, something we'll see. And actually one of the, one of the companies that did reach out to me wanting to put their hands on it, put out a big movie kind of recently. And that's all I'll say. I'll tell you off, off mic, which one and what movie, but it's cool. It's very cool stuff. And uh, there's also another thing I haven't even told you about this Hans, but we might have something lined up for what will be the next movie. I might have somebody in the mix for that. And uh, yeah, it's it's great to hear that uh, you know you took to the trailer, Oki. That's uh, that's oh, awesome. Oh, dude, to hear. I took the trailer so much. Like you know, I I just did an interview like fucking Mario Co Como. Like I literally like I I love the music. I love the whole fucking look of the thing. Like there's not there's so many movies look like bland, like bland digital fare, and it just doesn't have any character it to mm -hmm. character to it. And like you actually you nailed like this character like. Like this, um, this feel, this vibe that like I really fuck with, and I just saw that trailer. I'm just, I've seen that trailer probably like a hundred times. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's great. I mean, we shot so much. It's been three years in the making almost yeah. with this movie, and we actually shot way more than I was anticipating. So there might not just be like one thing. It's not gonna be two movies. It's not gonna be two movies. But we might have like something maybe it'll be like a deleted scenes reel or maybe we'll turn it into something narrative that'll go supplement to to the movie itself so there's going to be like when it drops there's going to be a lot of stuff with that so i'm excited six to get hours director plate. cut no <laughs> maybe, uh, well maybe close i don't know the I, i'll share the work print time at some point but uh it it's pretty long it's pretty michael cimino length um, all right, that listen, we got to cl cl close out the show on that note. Bug, terrific movie, terrific choice. One of William Friedkin's uh, better films, certainly. You know, I did want to get to the point on William Friedkin, too. He does something that few other directors do, but it is becoming more common. I think Paul Schrader did this as well, where you start strong, you have like a strong 15, 20 years of directing, then you kind of slump and you hit a lull, and then you come back up late in your life and you do a couple of great films paul schrader i think is one of these guys uh spike lee i think is one of these guys as well yeah. although it's kind of limited to black Klansmen. i don't know about the five blood uh yeah that that movie was not really my cup of tea um but i think it was better than a lot of the movies he he had put out prior to black Klansmen. um yeah, he, he had a really hard slump but oh yeah, yeah. I, I did i did i have liked some of his recent output Mm -hmm. old boy yeah old boy it's other than old, old boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i i do think that's impressive and i it makes me wonder if tracy Letts is really to thank for that the juxtaposition between friedkin's directing and Letts's 
screenwriting is really uh, something interesting. And you're right in that he kind of nails that sort of dirty, gross, Southern feel uh, in this movie and in Killer Joe. It's a great double feature. Uh, but anyway, that has been movies. Oki, where can where do you want to direct people? I want to direct them to the Oki's Weird uh, Stories channel on YouTube. Best documentaries on YouTube. Um, there's no one better. Uh, greatest <laughs> of all time. The GOAT. Go check it out. All right. All right. We'll, we'll include a link in the description so everybody check out Oki's documentaries. Oki, thank you so much for coming back on the show today. I, it's a pleasure. I love this show. It's probably my favorite podcast to do. Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, that has been Movies for this week. Thank you for listening.